and the torturous wait to find out when and where the next Star Wars celebration is taking place ends today. That's right, because Star Wars Celebration is making its triumphant return in 2019 for its 20th anniversary this April in Chicago. The five-day event begins on April 11th and runs through April 15th at McCormick Place. Tickets, including multi-day, single-day, and VIP, are scheduled to go on sale on June 5th at 12 p.m. Central at StarWarsCelebration.com. Once upon a time, there were three bears who lived in a house in a forest. There was a great big father bear, a middle-sized mother bear, and a tiny baby bear. One morning, their breakfast porridge was too hot to eat, so they decided to go out for a walk in the forest. While they were out, a little girl called Goldilocks came through the trees and found their house. She knocked on the door, and as there was no answer, she pushed it open and went inside. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host of the show, and you are listening to episode 48, Goldilocks and the Tree Bears. Breaking and entering, theft, trespassing, I bet you Goldilocks comes from Newcastle, like my first co-host. He is the Goldilocks of the podcast and R5D4 focus collector. It is Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Rich, recently been to Buckingham Palace. I noticed the same day you were there, Warwick Davis posted a picture on Instagram stating he was there meeting inspirational youngsters. So did you see him or meet him? I did see him, yeah, but uh, I didn't meet him, unfortunately. Um, Is that because you're neither inspirational nor young? No, I I think I've intimidated him. No, I I was paired up with Frank Skinner for most of the day, so I had uh, a funky boy to talk to. You intimidated him. Did you have your short shorts on? Yeah. Uh, next is our big daddy bear, an ESB collector and a lover of Ray merch. It is Peter Davis. Good evening, Petey Weedy. Go, go, go. How are we, Sweet Cheeks? Now, last podcast, you were heading off to Mexico to <laughs> find me some jumping beans, which don't exist in Mexico. No, there was no jumping beans. There was everything else, though. Sombreros, yeah. uh, skulls, Mexican things. Fajitas. Oh, lots of fajitas, lots of uh, burritos. Big moustaches. <laughs> Uh, lots of big, very big moustaches. Very huge moustaches. In fact, people were driving around on the back of moustaches. That was that big. Criminals? Oh, everywhere. And in fact, the, the day before we got there, someone was shot on the beach. So that was nice. Also here is Mother Bear, a palatoy collector from Star Wars to various other toy ranges. It is Simon McCohen. Good evening, Simone. Hello, buddy. How are you doing? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. I should think you're slightly better, though, because you've had quite a privileged month having spent several days and nights with me since the last podcast, haven't you? It's the nights that will stay with me forever, Stu. Three three days in Echo and a long time in a, a vehicle going to Jesse's Quiz and where else have we been? We've been somewhere else recently, haven't we? Pinewood. Pinewood. Yeah, yeah, something about going on there, I think. Yeah, it's been it's been, it's been been a real privilege, like you say, Stu. It's not often you get to spend time with your idol uh and well you know you fixed it for me didn't you buddy (laughs) that's right 
And finally, after a two-month break for studying and then blowing us out to a nasty rash last month, Baby Bear is back in the house at long last. I'm delighted to welcome back little Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Should we boot him? <laughs> Jez, been a big couple of months for you with regards to the running Stormtrooper. Since you've been on the last show, you've run the London Marathon, done park runs, burnt a treadmill out in Camden Market, stood in a <laughs> shop window at Echo Live, yep. um, completed your 100k run, staggering feet, you've smashed it, you've got chicken legs, I'm going to tell you that. Can you give us an overview of the running Stormtrooper? Mate, I think you've just done it. I, I, I wouldn't know where to begin. It's just, first of all, thank you to everyone. Thank you to you guys for the support. Thank you for mentioning it in my absence. Thanks to the guys from Tantiv. Thanks to the guys from Jabbers. Thanks to the guys from Echo. Thank you to the guys from Stars Forum UK. Thank you to the people who came along and helped support the quiz. We've had the quiz. We've had the medals. As I said, going down to Camden Market was a bit of a letdown because um, that was just a tough day full of people watching me run and sort of half half run and walk on the treadmill. But they're not really digging deep. But conversely, you've got Echo Live, which was brilliant uh, in the shop window there. Managed to raise 419 quid. The quiz and the raffle, which pretty much, Stu, you single-handedly sorted out the quiz and the raffle night there, which putting together some brilliant prizes, we ended up raising two thousand four hundred and seventy-five. Put that all together with the hottest London marathon on record, and then coupled with the little hundred-kilometer run around Pinewood, yeah, it's been a busy old, um, busy old few months, mate. Well, perhaps I should run the London marathon one year because then it would be even hotter. London marathon. Oh yeah, see what we did there. Can people still sponsor you? Mate, do you know what? It would be amazing if people did because I've really struggled this year. Really, really struggled. I mean, it's been it's been great, but yeah, people can sponsor. That's what I've had a serious lack of in some respects this year. My website is still open with the uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash the last stormtrooper run, or alternatively, if that's a bit of a mouthful, you can find it. The donation button is on stormtrooperrun.com, and that'll just take you straight to it. But yeah, I've uh, I've really, really uh, struggled for sponsorship this year for donations, um, which is, I guess, I, I expected it in some respects, because, you know, a lot of people would have seen me do some stuff last year and, and donated last year, what have you. I've had some very faithful lads still do it this year, and I'm very much appreciating those who have sponsored, but it has dipped off massively. So I think the third and final year has been absolutely right. But what I am delighted, Stu, is when I add everything together, which has been raised over the 30 months, so forget what I've raised this year so far, over the 30 months, it's now gone to just over £26,000. So I'm well chuffed with that, and uh, and the targets have all been achieved. So uh, yeah, all good. No longer Guinness World Record holder, um, but cool with that. Uh, but just delighted with the way everything's gone. And and last week's hundred k, well, that was just something else. You just said the the third and final running stormtrooper. Now I'm sure if Jules was on here, she would be adamant it was the final. <laughs> is this is this definitely put to bed, Jez? Is this yeah. gonna pop out in five years' time no. for one more run? No, this was it. This is, oh, mate, something which got me. I had to apologize to everyone because just after the 100K, when we were in the dressing room and everyone was just all together and I just finished it, I think I'd been up for about 38 hours <laughs> and I was a little bit tired. I think the emotions just came over me and I just, yeah, temporarily 
um, lost it for about 30 seconds or so and composed myself and then everything was fine. Can you guys remember a couple of months ago I said that the whole reason I did this run is because I had seen a really sad video on, uh, on TV and it was a little girl called Vanessa. Out of the blue, I wasn't expecting this, phone rang the day after the 100-kilometer run and it was her mum. It got my number through the charity and uh, she phoned me to thank me for raising money on behalf of her daughter who passed away last October. Oh, my word. That knocked me for six for the second day running, I tell you. You can just imagine it. So I'm so pleased with the way everything's gone. But no, I can't do any more of this. I can't, I can't top what I've done this year. And I, I don't think I want to because it has, as you know, just completely taken over my life over the last three or four months. And I need just, just need to get my life back. And um, I think I can bow out just thinking, yeah, it's been a good three years. And uh, I'll pause, pass the ball, let someone else have a go. I'm sure I am. I speak for the other three when I say we're all immensely proud of you, mate. You smashed it all for a really good cause. Selfless. You, you've been a star, mate, and it's a privilege to know you and uh, call you a friend. I think. Uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Rich would agree with that because he hasn't got friends. But Simon <laughs> Pete will uh, definitely uh, agree with me. Thank you. Well, Cheers. As the only person who's never bullied Jez on the last three podcasts since he's been away, I think you've you, totally you laid you that on thick oh, because he's back now. So honestly, honest, yeah, it's more more, fa- more more faces than fifty pence piece you've got there, Stu. Yeah, Jez, <laughs> don't, don't listen back, mate, because it's just abuse from Rich all throughout the three. It's pop. not nice. It's not nice. Oh, no, it was hideous, wasn't it? I listened to it and I actually thought, oh, he's actually gone a bit far there. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Moldy <laughs> chicken. <laughs> yeah still trying to get to the bottom of that one well rich um rich as if you've run 500 <laughs> kilometers or whatever it was jez mega well done now jez last year obviously you're saying that funds were down this year but last year obviously you did have celebration which which really bolstered bolstered your funds now like you heard on the top of the show just before the uh, intro music since the last show celebration has been announced did anyone see chicago coming no anyone hear a rumor of chicago anyone mentioned no not at all but one of the fanta trucks guys had said that a friend of his had mentioned it but it was mentioned with another three. So it came completely out of the blue to me, completely. It yeah. went with my theory, because I, I thought it won't be anywhere near any Disney parks. I oh, thought no. there's far too much going on. Why on earth yeah, they would they do it, it near Disney? Yeah. No, no. You, you spread it. You know, spread the wealth. And that's what they've done. So from a from a city, from a state point of view, no, I had no idea it would be there. But I, I had a strong suspicion it wouldn't be Anaheim or Orlando. Is it my understanding that the actual venue is very big? It's huge. I've been there. So do you think they've done that because of the problems they had in Orlando with with queuing and getting into panels? Uh, are these rooms going to accommodate more people? I mean, I'm assuming that that you know it will be the big build up to episode nine, obviously, because it will be that year, the end of that year. And I mean, when I went, it was it was still being they, they, they kind of were adding on to it. I think I, I think oh, it must have been about ninety six, ninety seven. I think they just built another big section, and they were planning to build more. But I mean, I went to this packaging exhibition a long time ago. And in, in the sort of like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, it was amazing, <laughs> amazing. And it was in this ridiculously enormous hall, but from all accounts, there's even bigger stuff there. But 
I think I think what you said they've gone with the size because that one in Florida was not big, and you you want everyone to see a big screen. The last one, so I think they, they they've gone for size because they they're gonna they're gonna make sure that everyone's included rather than getting people to sleep on the floor just to sit in a room. You know, I think they, that's what they're going for. I think the Florida one was huge. It's just that they just used a small part of it. <laughs> yeah. um, is this Chicago one? Is this where they have C two E two? Because I know Reed Pop are involved in that C two E two exhibition that goes on. No idea, no idea. So hopefully they've got a bit of, if it is the same place, hopefully it's, you know, they're used to handling crowds up there. I don't think crowds are that much issue. I think it's just the fact that they, the last one, they kind of missed a bit of a trick on, you know, they had the, the tiny theatre rooms for the, for the big main events, which is, you know, not as not as big as Anaheim. I mean, that was a huge sort of main arena, wasn't it? About 7,000 seats, I think, in, I don't think it was many more than a couple of thousand in the ones in Florida. I mean, you need something that you can, I wonder if they're, they're, they're going to just do away with maybe a big hall and, you know, a big, sort of a theatre of the main event and just stick it on a big screen in the big hall. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but I hope it's. I hope they're going to, going to do it with a big theatre. They need to bus everyone to a stadium, you know, and just have it in a huge convention centre. But if you're going to do a trailer or a big promotion thing like that, just get everyone in one place. Imagine what that atmosphere would be like. That would be awesome. Yeah, because I, I think if they do it the last time, make people sleep overnight, it's just going to antagonise people. I, I, I thought it was really... I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm only considering to go at the moment, unless unless we hear differently, they're actually going to, you know, try and be a bit more inclusive of everyone, because that main hall last time, you couldn't... They had a TIE fire in front of the main screen, you know, so if you couldn't get into the main event, you go into the big hall where all the, all the stores are, and they had a TIE fighter blocking the view. So you couldn't even see it. So you're thinking, oh, I've travelled all this way to see a trailer, effectively, and I can't see any of them. But, I mean, Chicago is monstrous. So you're considering going, Pete, and I know Simon today booked Sit. his flights. Really? Yeah, I've got I've got a, a flight reserved. It's just a whole right, okay, air okay. mask. Okay, so this is what I'm seeing now, Si, is you've, you've gone on another group where there's 30 people showing off, I'm going, ah. well, I've booked my flights, and now the truth of the matter is... Hmm. You haven't booked them. No, I believe my <laughs> words were, I think I've got my flight sorted. But, you know, you, you go and twist words if you want, Stu. You, you carry on. Right. OK. I'm going. This is it. Flight my booked. Box. Bargain. Uh, business <laughs> class for 424 return. Um, I don't fly business class, mate. He's showing up about that as well, then, I. Premium economy. <laughs> and I think you're more than embellishing the truth, young man. You cut it out right now. I'm going to tell you, Mum. Stu, are, are you going to make your, your, your uh, foreign debut? That, that is my intention at the moment. Yeah. Hold on. He was in London? What are you on about? No, no, no. It's foreign debut. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. He is in France. France to London, still, tra- still travelling different countries. But, I mean, it's it, it is a different kind of format. It's five days. Yeah, what's with that? You know, like the Mark Hamill panel, instead of doing it once, it could be done twice. So you could, if you missed it the first time, you could see it the second time. So perhaps that's why they've extended it. It's on the Monday, isn't it? So it's like Thursday to Monday, which is really strange because, you know, Sunday's kind of like a wind-down kind of day where you get a few bits and bobs but it's kind of like, oh, yes, go on. But with a Monday, that is the weirdest time I've ever known. Unless they've done it for me, knowing that I can't do the Thursday and Friday, and they've looked at the school holidays and went, you know, for the likes of Rich, go on just for Saturday and Sunday. Mm. <laughs> but if we put the Monday on... So you've got a flight reserved, so you, you're intending to go. Yeah, absolutely. I just had to get, 
you know, final uh, flight clearance from, you know, uh, indoors. We've had one argument about it so far. I'll have another tomorrow. And then I think the reservation runs out on Saturday evening. So we'll have a third one Saturday and then I'll, I'll book it anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm there. You boys better be there as well. Otherwise, it could be lonely. Sorry, it's a, what I've heard is the first four days are all about The Last Jedi, so... Should I tell you why uh, I like going to a convention with um, Sai? Right. I, only, <laughs> I only get this from facts. But when you're small and you get lost, you can look and Sai's head sticks out above everyone else. So you kind of like got a target to aim for when you get lost. Jez, you're obviously going on tour soon, not as a rock star. And you return not long before this. So what are your plans on it? Yeah, we haven't mentioned that yet, have we? I don't think I've actually made that public yet. Um, still haven't told my parents, <laughs> but I don't think they listen to the Vintage Rebellion podcast, so I think I'm okay. Uh, they might do now that I'm on it and I've met them. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be away for a while, sorting out some different flights, and I'm hoping to be back in early March. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a very nice treat for me, like Essen was when I returned from a few other bits and pieces last time. That was, uh, yeah, I'm up for it and all is looking good. But at the moment, I'm months away from booking flights or tickets or anything until I know a little bit more about my future. And Rich, you've got a problem with a couple of the days. Yeah, my school is the only school in the whole of the county where I work that has their Easter holidays one week later, every other school. So I can't remember who sent us a text now, uh, but somebody sent us a text, said it's in the school holidays. Great. And I was like, yes. But then I thought, hold on a second. Working in a Catholic school, often they have Easter at a different time. And this is the first year for like four years that they've moved the Easter to a different time. So I can't get there at all until the sort of thing. I think I, I could do the Saturday, but... I realistically I need to fly the Friday evening and I'm finding it very very difficult to find flights on a Friday evening because most of them leave in the morning Rich uh, see you you just need to come to me okay because I'm full of solutions it is 11 months away move school <laughs> seriously just move school this is problem solved isn't it then you'll be in the holiday zone yeah, yeah that will be a problem you know going down to see you at Pinewood it took six hours to do a three hour train journey totally worth it it was worth being locked out in your hotel and getting because you wouldn't know any of this because yeah I got locked out the hotel because I got there so late and all sorts of things it took us half an hour to get somebody up to get to get into the hotel but anyway I had to digress there um, but on a positive note you did get into your hotel I did yes because a guest came down and opened the door for us and on a positive note you went to Buckingham Palace yeah I yeah, mean, you were yes. down to support Jez. You were down for Buckingham Palace. And well, on a positive a... note, your school paid for the hotel. Yeah, it's all positive, man. It is. And I, did some, I want some of and, your sunshine. And I did the void as well, which was the best thing I've ever done. It was absolutely awesome. Secrets of the Empire. So I had a great. I got a great twenty-four hours, except for the six-hour oh, journey down. We just turned that frown upside down. I love it. Mm-hmm. Short shorts. I love it too. Right, boys. <laughs> short I'm move shorts. This on. Now um, I'm being sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be on a badge, isn't it? It's going to be on a pin badge or something. You know what? The only two Swag. people commenting it are, are Chris G and you, Stu. And both oh. of yours, when I stand up, it's probably eye level. So I can understand, I can understand why it's, it's, it's on your mind. A highlight for many. Right, let's go over to our latest pickups. Oh, let's start with Jez, because I know he picked 
bits up. Um, he, he nearly picked up a granny at uh, Black Park. What? <laughs> you remember that? No. <laughs> the oh. woman who came over had just said, um, it might be the menopause talking, but I love him. because <laughs> <laughs> you had a helmet on? That wouldn't have it happened to you on Mars. I don't brilliant. think I was there, was I? I think she'd see me running around. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't taken your helmet off. Maybe if you're taking your helmet off, you might change the mind. But, uh... <laughs> well, Jez, what have you been uh, been buying? I, I, I've picked up a couple of carded figures. I, I've done all right because it's been a few months since I've been away, so this hasn't been all in one go. But towards the beginning of the year, sort of end, end of January, early February, got myself a Klaatu Mins on card. How about that then? And uh, yeah, that was great. I um I got that. It's got a little KB sticker on it. Nice. And the Gamorian Guard, same again, with another KB sticker on. So I was happy with those two. So I was like, yeah, a little bit, just just keeping me ticking over. And then, if you remember, Stu, Sai, Echo Live, staying in your hotel the night before. Simon gets out his box of carded figures, and I have a little bit of a shufty. And uh, and I select Low Grey, Chief Chirper, both Palatoy carded figures, and... Uh, Darth Vader. And I'm like, yeah, well happy with that. I know it's one of the most common Palatoy carded figures there is, but I've got a Darth Vader, and you know, that's a key figure, so no, I'm chuffed with that. Carded collection after having to sell so many to buy this house. I've now, you know, I've got five more since I spoke to you last, so I'm, yeah, I'm well delighted. Well, to be honest with you, the last time you did this as well, you had, you'd got quite a few from Barbara's Frog at yeah, Christmas, so. That's right, because I swapped some of my luke x-wings and uh i took away some of my swapsies like you used to do in the playground with your with your panini stickers it's all good everything <laughs> is good love it now let's go to him next because to me richard used to give us a long list when we started this podcast but he's kind of tightened himself up now but simon is the new rich so Cy, <laughs> what have you been picking up you nasty piece of work i'm the new rich i <sighs> Mate, I look up to you. Well, not literally, obviously. You're about four foot tall, but I, I've lost some respect for you now, I'm afraid. I don't, you're not my favourite podcaster anymore. Oh, I'm Jules, though. But yeah, there is that. Uh, no, I've had a, I've had a really, really, really quiet month, mate. You know me, the last few months I've been saying this. I've calmed down. It's not a big long list of stuff. It's just, it's just very sensible. Let's see, we'll, and we'll come into it in the market section, but a great sale at Gildings up in Market Harbour. Lots of offerings there, and I picked up a Han Bespin on Palatoy 45C, which you just don't see about, really. And they had, like, three or four of them. It's just so greedy. A General Medine, because everybody loves this grey man of Star Wars. And having sold a General Medine at echo live i i missed him. I didn't think I would, but I missed him. And I'm never going to get a chai logo on, so... I thought, well, it's nice, it's double stem bubble, it's really nice condition, I'll have that. So I paid well over the odds for one of those, for some unknown reason. And then having sold a nice Vader to Jez, I bought a nice Vader again. It came bundled with the Han 45C, and I wasn't going to miss out on him on the Han Bespin. So I've got a Vader back again. I really don't know why. Echo and, was like three weeks ago, and you're already replacing the things you sold at Echo. Yeah, but as you know, this is par for the course, Jude. This is, this is exactly what time. I did last time. Sold Echo, and speaking of which, thanks to the wonderful Steve Savory, I, I managed to replace my biggest selling regret ever, which was uh, Luke Hoth on Palatoy 45B. So it's the Empire Strikes Back logo, 
but it was the first card back that appeared without the Palatoy logo on it. Very clean card back with the wonderful ESB logo at the top. And I sold that and I regretted it from the very second the guy picked it up until today. And that was from, what, Echo Live in April last year? So I've managed to get one of those back. And also Han Hoth, again from Steve, on Palatoy 30A. So having taken my Lando 30 back to Echo Live to sell it, thinking, well, I'm not going to get any more, am I? And it not selling, despite it being a bargain price, I have to say. I now have two 30 backs. So, I'm yeah, I've got another focus now. It's 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 30 backs that I can't afford. What else did I get? Oh, and I got a black Bespin guard on Palatoy 45B as well. Because, you know, I like my Palatoy 45Bs. So I got one of those. And I got an Imperial Commander on Tri-Logo, which was another regret sale. That was James Martin. That was a minter. This guy is a bit battered. He's a bit sorry, but it doesn't matter. It's Imperial Commander. That's really about it. Oh, no. I tell you what else I got. And these two are, uh, yeah, one was just a, I don't know. What is it? I'll buy it anyway. It was only cheap. It was a, it looked like a die-cast tie bomber. And it popped up in Germany. I thought, well, it's clearly not. And the guy said, made of resin. I thought, well, it's a different colour. Well, anyway, I took a punt. It, was, it cost me £15. Cause he'd, and I asked him afterwards, where did you get this thing from? He said, oh, a collector's shop in Berlin in the 90s. And I received it. And it, it's what it basically he thought it was. It's a cast of a die-cast bomber painted in Thai bomber proper colours rather than the white. So it's a bit weird, a bit different, a bit interesting. Still don't really know what it's all about, but I'm pretty certain it is just that. It's a cast of one because it's even got the copyright information on the inside of the wings. But anyway, it's a bit of interest. And then because you can never have too many Luke Hoths on 45B, I picked up a, you know, one of those beautifully artistically and lovingly recarded figures. Well, someone had taken a very nice uh, General Mills 45 card. So you've got the the Palatoy 45B front and the German back, and they'd stuck a repro bubble with a genuine figure and weapon onto this card back and and touched it up a bit. It's it's a lovely it's a it's a lovely thing. But that cost twelve ninety five delivered. Delivered. So I'm going to slice the repro bubble off, and there I've got a nice GM45 card back. But other than that, Stu, it's been a really quiet month. I can't wait for you to have a heavy month. <laughs> <laughs> the world waits its breath. Baby. I haven't bought the most much this month. Bony twenty three palatoy cards. I, I, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I think what it is is it was quite a long time between recording last time and this time, and it just it's like buses, isn't it? They all came along at once. There were a couple of good sales, and then a out of the blue trade with Steve Savory, and it just happened. It wasn't my fault. Okay. 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 Peedy weedy. Oh, this is gonna be easy. This one's due. This is gonna be easy. I have bought, due to holiday, which I spent more money than I probably should have, I have bought one item, Stu, one item. Oh, Although I do what, have, is, what is it? I do have two in reserve on their way via Richard, which I'll cover next month. But one, it's not even a, in fact, it's less than one item. Less. Oh, it's a card than, pack. It is, it is a piece of cardboard. <laughs> yes, Stuart. A piece of cardboard. But it's less than a piece of cardboard because it's, let's say it's three quarters of a piece of card. <laughs> and uh, it was just it was just one I mean I've only got like 30 to get now maybe even less than that I think it's 30 car backs are clean, the, the full collection of car backs still got a few tasty ones to get some easy ones but it was around I, was, I just saw it online on eBay £2 it's a it's three quarters of a Rancor tri-logo card back and it's in nice condition apart from the fact that it's missing 
the bubbled area. But apart from that, it's mint. They're just missing a quarter of the card. But uh, it looks really nice. Really, really nice. Probably nicer than any of the stuff that Simon has bought. Might it be the nicest thing you've ever seen in your life, apart from it's missing a quarter of the card on the figure out the bubble. I can guarantee that value for money is better than everything size bought. Two pounds is giving me joy, Stuart. It's such exactly. joy. I'm Elite. sure if you ask Simon's wife what he would rather have spent this month, she would choose your card back. And it's and it gives me well, I'll never just flip it or get rid of it or sell it next week or put it in a it's gone into my collection and it looks beautiful apart from missing bit. Well it's interesting that um Sai just said things come on like buses because I just want to talk about basically what happened the last three weeks. So after I made a purchase, everything that I've been looking for for a long time appeared. So not just one, but two 12-inch loose Tuscan Raiders appeared after I'd made a purchase. And one of them was utterly ludicrously priced, but the other one wasn't fairly reasonable. And if there had been under other circumstances, I may have purchased them. But then what also appeared was a, a corded R5-D4. And I thought, you know what, this is unbelievable that that one appeared after I'd recently sold a resealed one that I had. And then the Square Meccano cardback appeared on one of the groups which would have been nice to get. The Italian Horbat Corbat appeared. And I was just, I was getting tagged in them left, right and said, I was going, I can't believe it. I've just made a purchase and I can't get any of these now. So backtrack to what my purchase was. Um, when I was coming back from the States, I was just in, the, I think I was probably in the airport browsing through things. And there was a three pack on the 12 pack group. And I thought, you know what? I've been tagged in all these things and nobody tagged me in that one at all. I was like, I can't believe it. I looked at the price and I thought, oh no, it's a, it's more than what I wanted to pay for it. Thankfully, I thought about it for 24 hours and um, huge thanks to Chris Hibbard who came to a deal with us um, and I managed to get it. So I've got a Droids 3 pack, a graded one, which I was absolutely delighted with over the moon. Uh, so that meant that, of course, I couldn't make any more purchases at all because I have to you know, be careful for a month or two. Two weeks after that, Vector Sale and I'm sitting there on the, I'm sitting there on the computer at work in between classes watching the vector seal and i knew Sai was watching a few things so i kept bidding him up on the slide because i thought i'm not having him getting away with that for that price and then a yoda appeared empire strikes back yoda and it was hovering at 120 and i thought what 120 i'm not having that so i won it for it was either 140 or 150 now i can't remember but i was fully expecting it to shoot up and i was like i can't believe it i won that for 140 150 and I thought, you know what, I can't afford it. Not after I've just bought that three pack. And then on top of that, when I got down there to pay for it, I'd won a, a modern lot. And I've never, ever won a modern lot at Vectis because I'm so careful with what I bid on modern items. And you know, they get these huge lots that have 25, 30 quarter figures in them. And I normally work on the principle of £2 and I'm always smashed to pieces. So I'll go as and win a modern lot at the worst possible time that I could. And then... So Are I you up the saying drives. you've flipped the Yoda? No, no, I've still got the Yoda. Oh, right. No, no, that... that, that this so is I've misread, misread the situation. And often, often at, Vec- at uh, Father's Farm, there's often two Yodas down there. And each time I'm there, I'm picking them up. And one of them's quite badly damaged. And I think he wants maybe 220, but it's got water damage on it. And the other one's in market condition for 300. And I kept looking at it time and time again, but I keep putting them back. So I'm really pleased that I got this one for half the price. Although it just came at the wrong time. And then on Nick Dykes' sales page, 47 back or 5D4, uh, graded. And I thought any time at all, I would have snapped it up. They're really tricky to get these 47 back or fives. I've only had a resealed one before, but I had to sell it because it was irritating as though it was reseal and as soon as i sold it that's when i knew how difficult they were to get and uh thanks to the generosity of forum member um who 
I've done favors for four factors and he contacted us and says, you know, he, he was willing to get it for us. And for me, just to sort it out when, you know, I got myself back on my feet a little bit after I recovered from getting this uh, Droids 3 pack. So m- massive shout out to you. you. You know exactly who you are. And thanks very much for that. I truly appreciate it. And it was great. So I've got uh, three three really nice items this month. So that, please roll. That, that is wow, great, great pickup. I switch. couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Just, the free yeah. pack. Do you have a spare £14? Uh, yes. Brilliant. I'm not sure if you've signed up for one of my virtual <laughs> medals. Um, now, at the moment, you, you know, you can do this on a treadmill, you can walk it, you can wheelchair it if you need to. Seriously, they, they don't mind. You can do it on a pogo stick. You can do it however you want, dude. You can swim it. And, um, yeah, sign up because the green ones, lovely. Get yourself a nice five mile virtual medal check out stormtrooperrun.com and uh, you are going to have a beautiful medal delivered to you for you to admire how about yes. that yes mm-hmm. is there a time limit on this because when i went away i had an unfortunate uh, uh i got bitten by a rock on the ankle <laughs> so <I've>, <laughs> i uh, <laughs> i have a large hole in my ankle it's almost repaired right but uh because I obviously started with a good 20, 20 uh, k. Yeah, uh, another eighty to do. But uh, yeah. I'm friends. This do one a week. Uh, now it's well, repaired. There's no longer a hole in my ankle from a rock. Um, well, hmm. just well first of all, let me pass on my condolences to you because you know I'm I'm upset. You're a friend of mine, and whenever I hear a friend of mine who's uh, in a little bit of pain or discomfort, you know, gets me down a bit. So, Pete, best wishes for you, and I'm glad you're on the mend. Um, Time wise, you got twelve months, mate. From when you sign up for it and just say, right, I'm going to sign up, £14, current exchange rates, everyone, regardless of where you are in the world, for some reason we've got this strange thing going on at the moment. It's a bargain for everyone, regardless of what country you're in. And then if you happen to order more than one, 10% off comes down to £12.60. Get your kids doing it. So we've got probably about 29 marathon medals left. No 100k ones, mostly got the five mile ones left, and we've got a few one milers, the red ones. But uh, yeah, they've gone really, really well just in charity money so far. It's generated an extra 1,900 pounds, so um, just a little bit more, and and uh, yeah, that'd be great. But they they do look good, right? Check in who's got one. I've got one, Stuart. Uh, yeah, you got yours, Simon. Yeah. Yeah, got mine. Red and green. And the little one's got one. Whoa, whoa. Oh, right, just oh said, yeah, I've seen yes that. No question, sorry. Let's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> no. not waste too much time. <laughs> oh, right. I'm sorry. So you yeah. got somewhere you'd rather be? And, and Pete's working on his, and Richard's going to go off and sign up for one tonight. Excellent. What about you, Stu? Oh, I've missed that as well. Yeah, just a few little bits. It was nice to get a couple of bits that Rich picked up from me from Ian. Only little, like... um beyond the toys things i've got a yugoslavian notebook with r2 and 3po on the cover which i love because uh, obviously yugoslavia doesn't exist and didn't have the license so quite a cool little item and i also got some um the pepperidge farm cookies from 1983 a full box uh ian was glad rich was going over because he didn't want to send them in the post but um it's the first item i bought into my house where my wife has said that that's disgusting and don't want them in the house she's not getting away with that because it's lovely. Last month we mentioned it. I bought an Ewok family hut of Steve Savory. It's probably the most ultimate toy in the Star Wars universe. It's amazing. So far since I've got it, I've lifted it out of the car and put it in my office. And there it sits. 
with my running Stormtrooper t-shirt on top of it, but it's uh, it will be out beautiful. I bought myself a loose fryer tuck figure just to go with my Sundance kid, and then I bought some mint on cards. So off of Steve Savory, a couple of bargain cards, the 21G Ben Kenobi and the 21G Luke Skywalker. That is with the free secret figure offer on the front, so the ESB-fronted cards. Uh, Luke was a bargain because it has had the pop ripped out quite untidily. It's Luke Skywalker on a card, so I'm not going to moan. And I also bought a 41C Lobots for no apparent reason. Then It was a low price on a Jabba's auction. So now I've got a couple of Lobot cards, so a side focus of Lobot, which doesn't appeal to me. Just remind, Every time I look at it, it reminds me of Simon, because um, <laughs> he wears blouses and has a bald head. So it does appeal to you, though. <laughs> but that is my lot, um, and it'll probably be my lot for some time, if I'm being honest, for a little while. See, so you take the mick out of me, and then you've bought half the vintage Star Wars world in mock form. Very nice they are too, Stu. Well, my family hut is what rules, and I'll send you all a photo once I have it set out, because I am going to get it out of the box and set it up, because it's too beautiful to be kept away. So, onwards to the quiz, where last month we had the strangest month. Oh, Jez, it was so strange. You, you, if I'd phoned you straight after the evening and said, guess what happened in the quiz, you never would have guessed it. Simon won the quiz. I know. I have said that 18 times. I still don't know how. Excuse me. How. Excuse me. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> but in did. spectacular fashion, it was. Come on. Right, I'm going to go for Wii first. By the way, we're in the middle of. (laughs) 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 It's like recording with your senile old granddad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll just hold that fault right there and I'll stitch it together, (laughs) Pete. Brilliant. Gosh, Ruth. Like I was just saying, Sai did win last month's quiz. Was it a fluke? I would imagine so. Or whether it will be back to battling Jez this month for the dunce cap. Pete, <laughs> you have prepared the quiz. <laughs> Let's see. And if I finish below him, it's going to be embarrassing. What? Is that it? <laughs> no, come on. I want some kind of forfeit here. Sorry, you're, you're the form form player. I would expect you to go into this month's quiz and win. I'm on fire, baby. Actually, I've, since, since the last podcast at both Echo and at Pinewood, I had some really nice feedback about the quiz and say that it's lovely way of starting the podcast so thank you to the several people let's just hope pete doesn't let us down with that they did all say that it all started when jez did blockbusters they are jez you're good for something just got to find <laughs> simon's now um pete <laughs> over to you sweetheart and let's meet the four contestants fighting it to the death tonight on the weakest link oh i say my name is jeremy lord pippin of the flying aces of Blitten. My best pal is Biggles, and I can shoot a pigeon off Lord Nelson whilst doing a loop-the-loop with my eyes closed singing God Save the King. Tally-ho, toodle-pip! Je suis Stuart Skinner. Je impose de tapis. Je me fais opérer pour ressembler à Grido. Oui, my name is Richard. I fell off Hadrian's wall as a kid into a look of pond. I was brought up mainly by ducks and thus possessed many of their superpowers. Simon here, tallest man in Great Britain. It's true that the fire service employ me to rescue cats from trees when the fire engines are employed elsewhere. 
So, here we go, round one. Jess, the Rancor Keeper had a name. What was it? Rancor Keeper. Incorrect. Stu, number of times Ewok or Ewoks are mentioned in Jedi? None. Well done. Simon, which is the only film with the original six in which desert planet Tatooine doesn't appear? Empire. Well done. Richard, which 1981 blockbuster features characters from the original trilogy carved onto the ancient wall? Readers of the Last Dog. <laughs> well done. Jess, who kills Jabba the Hutt? Leah. Yes. Stu, which is the only film of the original six to be nominated for Best Picture? Um, Return of the Jedi. No, incorrect. Star Wars. Simon, what does ATAT stand for? Ultra-Rain Armored Transport. Well done. Richard, oldest member of the Jedi Council. Yoda. Jez, what does C-3PO call the Jawas? Beastly things. No, disgusting creatures. Stu, what pit does Jabba want to throw Luke and friends into? Sarlacc. No, the great pit of Carcoon. Simon, how many people are called Skywalker in the nine Star Wars films so far? Three. And Richard, who start was cut from Star Wars, what was her character name? Pixar? Oh, I know. <laughs> you said that. No. And that is it. The minute is up. So, guys, I want you to vote for who you think is the weakest link. Jez and Stuart are statistically the weakest links with only one correct answer each. Simon was the strongest link. So, Simon, you voted Richard off as weakest link. Why? Is it because he's not as tall as you? I did, and it's, it's nothing to do with his height. Uh, I found it quite distracting all the way through that, because I could I could hear him stroking his three-pack, and that was quite off-putting. Richard, for all the stuff that he does for charity, and you vote for Jez? Did he get any questions uh, wrong? That's a bit harsh. I believe in, in the interest of fairness, and I... It was between Jez and Stu who got them all wrong, and I went with Jez. Stuart, uh, you're obviously completely threatened by the northernness of Richard. Can you explain? Well, last month he got a bit snappy and said he, uh, the duck jokes have been done to death. And now I've been told that actually people love them, and I've asked other people, and they all love them. Um, so he needs to get over himself and be a duck lover again. Um, and also, I think he got the most questions wrong. Oh, and Jez, just to just to drive that that uh, that stake in the heart of of our good northern chap, explain why poor Richard gets your vote. Because I'm solidarity with Tapius and this whole mouldy chicken business. <laughs> Tap mate, represent. Let's just uh, Richard. You are the weakest link. Mouldy chicken. So Richard, I'm sorry, but you are the weakest link. Okay, round two. I'm going to be starting with Stuart because he's the cutest one of the three of you. Just not say much. much. Time starts now. Blue Harvest was another name for... Return the Jedi. Well done. Simon, what grooming product was sprayed silver to make Guy Quan Jin's communicator? Yeah, uh, a brush. A Gillette sensor made it shave. Jez, Uncle Owen's job. Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, Aunt Baru's surname. Uh, oh my word! How do you like this? Probably missed the opportunity for Baru. <laughs> Baru surname. <laughs> no, Whitesome. Uh, Simon, what species did the Emperor's eyes belong to in Empire? Yeah, what? His face. <laughs> Come on. 
It was a this monkey. It was a monkey. How do you not know that? Jez, how many characters' hands does Anakin stroke Darth Vader cut off in the main six films? How many characters' hands? One. <laughs> Three. Uh, Stu, first person to say, may the force be with you in A New Hope. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, General Donata. Simon, who was originally called Buffy? Different franchise. Uh, I don't know, Wedge. <laughs> Yoda. Jez, the surname of Biggs. Dark Lighter. Oh, well done. Someone got some question like Stu, who played Baron Papanoida? What kind of name is that? <laughs> <laughs> <I> pass. <laughs> George Lucas. Simon, on the trench run, how many turbo laser towers were there mentioned? Two. Twenty. Jez, Warus Man's partner in crime didn't have a vintage toy. What was his name? Oh, Dr. Evazan. <laughs> Dr. Evazan, I'll give you that one. Right, that's yeah. it. That was a painful round, boys. Painful. But, joking. who do you think was the weakest link? Simon must not enjoy Star Wars much as he went from hero to zero and is, statistically speaking, not even a statistic as he got zero correct answers and was the weakest link. Jez was the strongest link with two correct answers. So, Simon, I'll come back to you again. Is it to do with height? <laughs> it's it's purely based on the fact that Jez actually answered a question or two. Um, probably two, actually. I don't think I got any, and I think the only one to get fewer correct than me was probably Stu. Oh, I got I got one right bit now, sorry. <laughs> well, I can't vote for myself, can I? <laughs> you can, can. Actually, I could have done, yeah, can I change my vote? No. <laughs> So, uh, Stu, based on height? I, I voted for Simon for proper reasons in the game. He didn't get an answer right, and he took a very long time wasting time, and he didn't bank after any questions that were right. So, <laughs> I think Simon was really you, were ba- you, you were banking? Oh, my goodness. I think you're a bunch I of bankers. Oh. Okay, <laughs> Jez, the deciding vote is down to you, unless you vote for yourself, which would be quite bizarre. I what? I've gone for a tactical vote oh. because I'm scared of this guy. Oh, I, you know, he is he's is a strong character, and I want to take the weakest one into the final because <laughs> I'm, this, I'm already out to the death. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I love all you guys, but uh, Stu, you are the weakest link, mate. Enough. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> I've got more of a chance up against Simon than Stu. Oh, Stuart. Stuart, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Simon, I'm going to start with you because you're the slightly hairier than Jez. Not saying a great deal. On the 12 inch vintage layer, what were her hair buns referred to as? French dollops. Star puffs. Goodness. <laughs> Jez, name the medical treatment fluid in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, back to. Well done. Padme Amidala served as Queen and then Senator of which planet, Simon? Oh, that'd be the one in, you know, episode one, that Naboo place. <laughs> well done. Jess, which number destroyed the Jedi Knights? 66. Well done. Simon, Princess Leia's adopted mother's name? Organa Bale. Isn't it? Uh, no, I'm wrong. Queen Brea Organa. Jess, number of members on the Jedi Council? 11. All close, 12. Simon, last words spoken in Empire. I can see the scene. I can't think of it. 
No, pass. May the force be with you. Jez, what wastes are not to be travelled lightly? The jungling wastes. Oh, well done. Simon, what would bring balance to the force? Anakin. No, the chosen one. Yeah, Anakin. No, the chosen one. There was no names mentioned. Jez, two actresses played Queen Amidala in episode one. Natalie Portman was one. Who was the other? No, mate. Let's keep the minute going. I don't know. <laughs> Kira Knightley. Simon, how many... I knew... Simon, how many lights are there on the wingtips of an X-Wing? Oh, good grief. Uh, four. <laughs> Three. Close. Jez, in Shadows of the Empire, who was Prince Zizor's lieutenant? <laughs> He's not getting that one. And Simon, who played Captain Phasma? Uh, I don't care. That's the time. That's a minute. Well, well, Jez took that quite <laughs> handsomely. I think Sai ended up with a, a mighty one. Oh, brilliant! Um, very disappointing. Didn't deserve to get through, but you know, I, I feel. Hi, hi, hi! Down scoreboard. You got one job to do. Not run a commentary. And Jez destroyed him with three much easier questions than what I had. But he, he got three. Yes, yeah. Simon, you are the weakest link. Goodbye, Jez. You are the strongest link. Well done. Chew becomes Jesse's girl. Cable doesn't do fables. You found what in a box? Spanish Colgate find. The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Rich Paul Chew becomes Jesse's girl. I'm not sure how the title relates to the story, but you're sure going to tie that up for me. Paul Chu, who most collectors know, has an insane collection of lots of high-end items. And it was known that he was after a Uzai Headman, and specifically a corded one. And I think, possibly, I'm only aware of two, possibly three of them. And for those who have listened to a Kivecast episode from a long time ago, when Sky interviewed Rick Springfield, the... I want to say American rock star, I don't, I'm not even certain he's American, actually. But I certainly know he, he was bigger in America than he was over here, who had a song called Jesse's Girl. And Rick Springfield rose to our attention when he was posing for a photograph of himself holding a corded Uzai Headman. So Paul's been looking for one, and 20 years later, he's now found one. So absolutely amazing. So he's posted on Facebook, finally, I've been looking for this figure for two decades. Big thanks to Jonathan Mola and Oscar de la Cruz for flying to Istanbul to pick it up for me. I'm absolutely delighted to say that I contacted Paul and I said, Paul, is there anything you can give us on this? Tell a little bit about the backstory. What do you mean you found it in an old abandoned warehouse? How did you acquire that item? Paul's very kindly recorded a segment for us when he was on holiday visiting Todd Hudson, who was a former guest on ours. So let's listen to Paul and Todd now discuss the Uzai Corded Find. 
Hey, Richard, I want to first of all say thank you very much for inviting me to speak about my headman transaction. This week is a tough week, and I know you had a Thursday deadline. The walking that you hear is that of actually Todd Hudson's dog. His name again is? Scamp. Scamp. So Scamp is a scampering around exploring. So now that leads into the next question. I'm here with Todd Hudson. Hey, hey, how you guys doing? So Todd, I, Todd has been a gracious host and taking me around, showing me his collection, letting me uh, disturb the sanctity of his ownership of some <laughs> of his pieces. But we went to, we had a fabulous time and an even more fabulous dinner and I got to meet his incredibly fabulous wife, Kathy. And we spent more time talking about fun stuff, not the toy stuff, but I want to detail with you my love for Uze's, but particularly the Uze headman. Todd, you have any questions or anything like that? So let's think about this for a second. Okay, world, what's the meaning of life? Oh, no, 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 nobody <laughs> wants to know about that. Uh, what we really want to know is, Paul, tell us more about your collection. Let's hear about... Your Uze obsession since I know you've been collecting Uze for many of years. We'd love to hear how you got into it. I think that would be interesting for everybody. What your first one was and when you first purchased it. And just hear a little bit more about your obsession with it because uh, I believe you've been collecting Uze for many of years, correct? I am a Star Wars collector. I live in Manhattan the Manhattan borough of uh, New York City in the great state of New York. I was originally born in Houston, Texas, and grew up in San Francisco, California. I am now a pediatric dentist, actually, in New York. I'm a pediatric dentist. I have my own private practice, and I'm the director of a residency program in Central Bronx at Trauma Center, Level 1 Trauma Center Hospital called St. Barnabas Hospital. I get a lot of good experience in managing the great suburb of Rye, a lot of nice families, and then I really get to go in the Bronx, which is definitely a different type of demographic. So I see everything from multiple different points of view. I actually happen to be in Hawaii for a pediatric dental meeting, and what is so cool is that there's an amazing individual who lives in Hawaii, who is in Maui, by the name of Todd Hudson, who's hosting me this moment. So, Todd, you want to tell everyone about yourself? Sure, sure. I'm uh, Todd Hudson, uh, born and raised in the city of Chicago. Um, been on, decided to move to Maui 2004-ish. Uh, started collecting, pretty much always collected something. Uh, started off with I believe the very first thing I ever collected was stamps, uh, which moved to baseball cards really shortly thereafter. That's cool. um, then went to comic books. I don't know if I collected comic books as much as I just read them and then yeah. put them away. Right. And then I always had Star Wars. I definitely wasn't a collector as much more as just a player with them. I love right. to play with the toys. I love to blow them up. <laughs> have fun with them. Did and you grow up with the figures? I did. So uh, we were relatively poor. Right. So we didn't get a, I didn't have a lot of right. showers. And most of the times 
Um, I had to trade stuff to get them from my other friends. Okay. But I remember there was a store in Chicago on Devon Avenue right. called Cut Rate Toys. Okay. And they would have the figures there all the time for cheap. Right. And all the ones that would fall out yeah. of the, the, <laughs> or the fall out, so yeah. to speak, parentheses <laughs> around that. Uh, they would sell for 25, 50 cents each, oh, and nice. they always had a stack of weapons. Right. Even back then, <laughs> I always wanted the weapons. Smart. I don't know what it was, but always I loved a, it. Always a smart man. <laughs> so I loved my Star Wars toys, and I would fight them against, uh, actually, Lincoln Logs. Yeah. I would, I would make Lincoln Log houses. Right. And have my Star Wars men, and they would have fights. You know, we'd shoot stuff back oh, and forth with awesome. them. Uh, Stormtroopers always won because yes. uh, Stormtroopers rock. Yeah. So I love that. Uh, and from there, I just uh, I got into, I always loved the pr- um, proof cards. Right, okay. And I always loved foreign cards, especially right. the Asian stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, in particular, Takara. That was right. my favorite line for sure. What did you have of Takara? I had the full run. Wow. Uh, then I had most of the poppies. Okay. And the Sukudas. Um, yeah. Those were a lot harder. Okay. To actually, you know, back back in the you know two thousands, there wasn't really a right. real list of those who could, who could yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody really knew exactly what was was out there. Right. Um, so it was a little bit harder. So I would just kind of collect them all, and then I saw those, you know, those ones that had the coins, the Power right. Force coins, and I was obsessed with trying to find one. And I oh. must have looked for six, seven years, and just could never find one. Uh, so I guess I kind of lost interest oh, yeah. <laughs> at some point. I am also a toy collector, so I have been interested in and have collected toys pretty much since I was really young. I used to get Star Wars figures from my mom as presents when we were growing up in Houston. She would pick them up at Foley's department store on one Friday a month, and she'd always bring home either a Mego action figure or a Star Wars figure. Mind you, I'd never seen Star Wars at a young age when it came out, when, when it first came out. So I was getting these figures, uh, and I, uh, 78, uh, 79, and I had no idea what, uh, they were, but I pretty much was in my own world with my brother. We were just imagining what it was like, uh, with our figures. And that pretty much stayed with me. I ended up, I didn't come from a lot of money, so I actually, just fell into selling comics, which lit, you know, then I end up at a comic show and I saw someone selling toys and then it just spiraled downwards from there. Pretty much it always been selling Star Wars nonstop, college in the nineties. I actually had some auctions in Toy Shop magazine also for you classic uh, veterans of the hobby. Some of you do know my advertisements. I always used to uh, put in a lot of memes, comedic memes about just toys in general. Had a lot of fun. And I end up leaving the hobby because, as I told you before, I had to really hunker down and study hard. Professional schools is definitely not easy. So uh, I really just uh, didn't pay attention to a lot of things when I was going through my training. But I had some time after my residency program. And, I, you know, and there are a lot of things that I recall about when I was selling toys and whatnot, one of the auctions that I had, you know, I got rid of a lot of Uze figures. And Uze's I had always loved ever since the 90s. I remember one time I ended up at a show and I picked up, I held it and I said, what is this? It was a blue snow trooper. It just looked amazing. And then I saw other figures on the table 
But it was that blue stars that I said, this is pretty cool. So I ended up getting that. And I, I don't remember the price. I know it was under a hundred bucks, but the others were $25. The other Uzes were 25 bucks. And that probably, uh, jives with what you remember, uh, back then, uh, with yeah. Uze. Yeah. Well, I, I think my first time hitting to the Uzes would probably have been more closer to 2003, 2004. So a little bit, uh, further along. Right. But the prices were definitely a lot lower. I mean, yeah. I remember you were able to get, Pretty much any foreign figure for cheaper than Kenner, to be honest. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. maybe Palatoy would have been higher or, or close to price, but it was weird yeah. the, the difference in price from Kenner to um, anything else was so much cheaper. I remember even being able to pull, get Letty's for like, yes. they were giving away Letty's $50, $60. If uh, we just knew now. Uh, of course, those. Then. The card back was just elaborate and really just uh, trippy, is if, if I could classify it as such. Really just outlandish. And re- one thing I was surprised about, you knew it was not, it was a knockoff. It was not from Kenner uh, automatically. These Uze figures were made by a company called SB Products. And one of the things that I really noticed about these figures is really just how how well made they were. I mean, the figures look really close to the originals. The cards themselves, the card stock, you know, they were firm, really sturdy. The only thing negative is uh, the bubbles themselves. So those of you who own Uze figures, you know that these bubbles are just... You could almost sneeze and then they'll, uh, they will break in front of you. I just got a Darth Vader in the mail... And the seller uh, really did such a great job with packaging the figure, but it was a lot of tense uh, thoughts as the figure was being shipped as to whether or not the bubble would survive. So these bubbles, if any, if any negative, it would be the bubbles. But the card back, in particular, the card art, my gosh. So if you look at all these, that's what really sets these figures apart for me are card back art. Now, I am not an Uze expert. I defer to many amazing individuals in the hobby. Number one, Joseph Iglesias. Number two, uh, Meta Akun, uh, who I would love to say rest in peace. These two individuals really did uh, have done such a great service for the hobby themselves uh, with the information that they're giving to every everyone and documenting and archiving for all of us to read. Oh, Darren Wilde. He is also one of the Uze gurus. I had known about the figures, you know, in the 90s, but I, I would look at the back of the card just to see which ones I had to collect. And back in the 90s, I particularly had no troubles finding C-3PO's, Stormtroopers, Emperor Royal Guards, Chewbacca's, even the Adat driver I had no problem finding. But, you know, the others, just not easily found. So when I got back into the hobby, you know, I was picking them up one by one, sometimes two also. Back in 2012, I had contacted Mike Vogt, who's actually in Germany, about a carded Blue Stars. And we came to an agreement and 
then that led to a carded flicks, which led to meeting Darren Wilde and Meta Akun. They had some complicated deal going on, and that deal hinged upon my acceptance of the flicks deal. I have to tell you that that was probably one of the best toy-related introductions that I've had for a long time, and the memories have been long-lasting, the effects have been long-lasting, the friendships have been long-lasting. So I really appreciate Mike Vogt for that. And that pretty much was the little snowflake that turned into a snowball for me about getting back all the figures that I had once sold in my auctions in Toy Shop. That was pretty much a goal of mine, is once I re-entered the hobby, it was just getting pieces back that I really missed and sold when I need to sell them. People ask, oh, you sold toys, do you regret it? I do regret it. I feel as if I should have just gotten a regular student loan like everyone else and saved my toys. But, you know, the education is always one of the best investments that you, one can make. And, and that was just my choice. And that's the way it was. Do I regret it? Uh, now that I see the prices, maybe. <laughs> Especially after looking at my auctions and selling carded Uzes for $88, $90. Blue Stars, I think I sold for $125. What's interesting is that some of the individuals who participate in my phone auctions are still active in the hobby, which is wonderful to see. I do keep records from my uh, auctions. I have this little spiral, uh, bound spiral notebook, which is pretty cool that I just look at. I just found it. I just looked at it. It's pretty cool to see who is uh, still in it, uh, still in the hobby and also in the, in the notebook. But going back to Uze's, you know, there were some easy ones back then. Clearly, the easy ones back then are not easy now. Nothing is easy. Either people, I feel they're just breaking off the bubbles, or really they're just staying in collections, and, and uh, which is most likely the case. Back in the, I, I, I feel, again, I defer to the experts, but the Uze's, from what I know, were released in the late 80s in Turkey, by SB Products. There's almost a billion Star Wars figures sold, so obviously they got regular Kenner versions got to Turkey. But these knockoff Uzes were produced, I'm assuming, at, it looks as if late 80s, so it's after uh, after the Power of the Force wave and you know maybe even definitely after Droids and Ewoks series of figures. And these... From what I've been told, we're just sold in bodega shops and, you know, like our bodega shops here in New York City, you know, uh, little trinkets and whatnot and those types of stores and stalls and flea markets and whatnot. So I had heard a story about Uze figures and how they came to the United States. Israel Leverick, who is the owner of Toy Shop, traveled out to Istanbul after seeing a, the Blue Stars figure he traveled out actually to Istanbul to find the source of these Uze figures. And he had to travel via cab, and the cab dropped him off at a mountain. Then he had to ride a camel and took a donkey with him because he knew he had to carry some figures back. I mean, the story sounds unbelievable, but it is 100% true. It, just this hobby is full of stories like this. 
So Lev will play, and his nickname is Lev. He, you'll see him now. He's super involved in other things. He's evolved with uh, the whole hobby itself. He's really immersed in Japanese and Funko Pop figures, but he is definitely always on the up and up, and he is very ahead of the market with many things. And Uze's were just some of his, just some of the lines that he brought into the States. But I digress. Going back to Uze's, God, you love them. I love them. Everyone loves them. They're super popular now. And fast forward now to 2018. Amassed pretty much almost all the Uze figures. I got super lucky. I mean, so many people to thank. I'm very thankful. Uh, luck is a part of it. Uh, sometime, you know, and they weren't super high priced. It's just really luck and being there, right moment, right time, right people, right connections, it, just the way the currents of life work. You all, everyone in this hobby knows how, how it is. And I was just right place, right time. So I've gotten everything that I've wanted, but one figure has eluded me. I mean, I'd heard about it a long time ago and I have, uh, it's the headband figure. Everyone here has seen the special Rick Springfield's Rolling Stone interview, and you've seen his images. He has the collection that I just uh, go crazy over. After Gus Lopez, after Ron Salvatore, after Yehuda K. I mean, after so many people. But Rick Springfield's, it's the retail versions that I like. It's the carbacks I like. And I have, on several occasions, used several channels to contact Rick Springfield, the other two owners of the headman figures, everyone knows who they are. Joseph Iglesias and Darren Wilde. I have bothered them on several occasions they know. I actually have been told that there's another owner somewhere in the Midwest. I'll defer to Joe on that uh, for information. So there's about four out there. Rob Amantea has a group called Star Wars Put a Bounty on. It's a bounty group. There's just one day I was working on a large hospital report at Starbucks. It was a Saturday. And I just saw his group. I got invited to it. And I said, you know what? Let me post this want in there. You know, let me put a bounty for a Harbert Fett and a Uze Headman. My interests are pretty much and primarily international figures. I've always loved international figures. My old sales, you'll see it. I love anything that's... Uh, I love domestic. I am number one pro-American. I love it. I get what I like, though. And what I love are the international cards, just alternative packaging, different languages. I just love it. I love how they look. It's just really intriguing to me. And I also feel that they're a little trickier to collect also, which adds a little bit of spice to the hobby for me. So I put a wanted out for Harbert Fett because, coincidentally, that is the last figure I need for my Harbert collection. Also, the Uze, the Headman figure. Also, the last Uze that I, that I need. I put out that bounty, and what's great about the, all of these Facebook Star Wars community pages, everyone's so supportive. Word reaches out, but just making that post really just, it was just a kick in my pants to really go into overdrive. Just for the day, I was also digressing from my actual work, but I was just messaging other people saying, you know what, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this. Interestingly enough, which was just insane, I started messaging everyone saying, okay, do you have this? Do you have a headband? Do you have this? So what I got back was an individual named F.A. Ozan. 
out of Turkey. He, we were talking, and I messaged him several months ago about other items, but I just messaged him again. I said, you know what, Turkish guy, really, really considerate. He, you know, you never know. So I messaged him, and he responds back, his next sentence, in a, my most ominous tone of voice. I have what you're looking for. I literally started shaking when I heard those words. I just couldn't believe it. So what I did was I just said, you have a headman. And his response was, yes. I said, I already have a headman. I have it loose, complete condition. He said, let me send you a photo of what I have later. So, Excuse you. It's like a kid waiting for Christmas toys, waiting for parents to get out. Yeah. So Come on, mom. Come on, dad. Let's go. Exactly. It felt like a week. So I was floored what he sent back. I, I mean, I couldn't do any work. I was waiting for him to send back that photo. You know that excitement. Each one of you collectors, you get that. You know how it is. You hear about this piece, your heart starts to race. That excitement, uh, that panting, the uh, eagerness. It's like a kid. On, it's like how it was on Christmas, Christmas morning. I couldn't wait to open the present. Couldn't wait to get that message back. And what does he send back? He sends back a photo of a carded headman. The image that he sent, great image. I have an iPhone 10. The images look great. This image was okay, but it wasn't as crystal clear. So there's always that trepidation that you approach any deal with, especially with such a rare item like this. The first thought of my mind is, actually, this is amazing. Because you know what? The card looked amazing and authentic to me. I just couldn't believe it. When I just look at the card, the card back itself, there's this dullness to Uze cards that you can tell. And those of you who own it, you feel it. I don't want to say there's a waxy feel, but it, there's a stiffer feel. And there's a little bit, it seems to be a waxy feel to it. Of course, I couldn't feel it over the photos. But just looking at it and looking at the imperfections, it had multiple imperfections. Staples through the card back, bends, curves, everything. The bubble itself, to me, was what screamed authentic. If it was a customized card, it was definitely with an authentic Uze bubble. They, those bubbles are so distinctive. Looking and the wear and the glue, the whole package to me was just, I, I, I couldn't believe it, number one. Number two, I just said, you know what, you've got to go with your gut sometimes. I don't romanticize things a lot. I, I'm pretty much I'm pragmatic. Sometimes I'm actually negative about these things. I just feel it's not going to happen. In this case, gosh, it was amazing. The figure was in there. It did not have any weapons. It actually had a hole at the bottom of the bubble. And he said, there's a hole. You know, the figure can come in and out. The blister's broken. I told him, I said, how much and we agreed upon a price which just so you all know it is less than what i offered joe darren and rick springfield you know there's seal nice this one is open it's got some issues with the card itself in facebook messaging effie's brother i found i've come to find out that they'd found this figure in a warehouse uh an abandoned warehouse along with other Uze figures. Because the bubble's broken open, it leads me to believe that sword and that shield are somewhere on the floor in that warehouse. So you know that they have already been looking for it. You know, this is this figure was found in October of last year. So they have been nonstop looking. So we'll we'll see what happens. But they have been amazing and wonderful upfront and transparent about everything, which all of those factors 
just made this stressful transaction so much easier to go through. We pretty much agreed on a price. He, I gave him an offer and he said, yep, let's do it. It was, I feel definitely fair. And I had to figure out uh, some things to, to sell to make myself feel comfortable about it. I said, you know what? We'll do this. Uh, let's agree. So we had an agreement uh, right then and there. Now, picking up a figure or having it mailed and transferring certain amounts of money how do you do that and what do you do? You know, I never had dealt with Effie before, but I know it, he's had other posts where other people have dealt with him, and that's fine. But for something like this, I was just either, I was more comfortable myself going out and picking up the figure, but I have a private practice and I'm running a hospital program. I just didn't have the time to carve out one or two days to get out there and take care of this. So, just a month ago, my boyfriend was out in Turkey, and he was visiting. Uh, he had a brief stopover, and I, I just said, listen, I have a huge favor. Uh, you've got miles. There's a figure in Istanbul that I have really been looking for. And Jonathan has known about this figure for a while because I've discussed it with him. He immediately said yes. There was no hesitation. Now let me tell about Jonathan. He's only seen episode four. He doesn't know these characters. He doesn't know anything about Uze. He doesn't, he just knows that I like it. He knows which one I want. And when we were in Milan, when we were in Italy, I said, look, this is the Boba Fett that I want. So he, he knows all of this via my request of my talking about it. Those of you who have spouses or partners who don't know about the hobby, you're, you know, we're all in the same boat. But, Here's one who has never seen more than beyond episode four, just saying, all right, I'm going. So he had, like I said, he had miles. So he hopped on a plane, went to London, then went to Istanbul, where he ended up meeting F.A. and his brother to pick up this item. You're only allowed a certain amount of money when you fly on an airplane. And so we had to get a second person to fly over and pick up this item and we did that and for me the the rush of him going over there to pick this up has just been amazing you know so what i have had to do is figure out how to get them over there how to meet blah 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 and i really didn't have to work so hard at all because the brothers were so good f and his brother were really accommodating very friendly very informative. They stayed in touch. They were helpful. They stood behind this item. So Jonathan flies over with his friend to pick up the figure. And the brothers, like I said, couldn't be more accommodating, couldn't be more helpful. And the transfer was made. And coming back to New York, no problems. Jonathan gets back. I actually got received only the card back and the bubble. I wanted just that. The reason why I wanted that is because I felt that I already have a head, a complete head, man. The brothers can go do something with the figure. They want to keep it. They want to sell it, whatnot. I think that that gave me a little bit of, that actually made them feel a little bit better that they could keep some, a part of it and really help someone who really wanted the item out with their collection. They weren't there to just say, you know what, let me make the most money I can out of this buyer uh, because we know it's his last piece. These brothers were saying, you know what, 
this is the last piece that he needs. He's offering us a fair price. Let's do it. It is the best of both worlds and just such nice, nice individuals. It just, you couldn't deal with any more of a more a high caliber, passionate, wonderful set of individuals like these brothers. It, it's very tough wiring money internationally. I've done it several times uh, for figures. Not an easy thing to do. But in this case, I can't reiterate enough how wonderful it was being going through this with them. They made it really, really comfortable. So thank you again to, to the brothers. So once I received the figure, I held it, I looked at it, I smelled it. I mean everything. I, everything led me to believe that this is authentic. It's not, again, romanticizing it and having blind hope. Uh, I'm you, my negative personality. Before I met with Jonathan, I was just negative about it. Oh God, this is fake or whatnot. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know. And, and those are just natural thoughts. It's just how it is. There's a part of me that said, I hope it's real. The other part of me is, what if it's not? You know, all these things. The minute that I held it, the minute I smelled it, the minute I looked at it, the minute I touched it, I knew. I brought along with me some other figures, all uh, my, my Death Star droids, so I could actually feel the difference. I, we actually didn't. I, Jonathan, this is the crazy thing. Jonathan is a performer, so he literally got off the plane after traveling from Istanbul, stopping off at London. He had to perform that night, so he gets off the plane, goes to a performance. I had to meet him at his performance, doing all this stuff. It was just unbelievable. So I get there. Uh, to where he's performing, and look at the figure, I know what's good, and I'm so happy. But what was nice was his whole crowd was just super happy also, listening to the story and looking at the results. Of course they think I'm crazy. You know, he's in an art, artistic crowd, and and this is a little bit sometimes outside of those who are in the arts. Uh, I didn't care, you know, it was a great story. But I was so thrilled. When I got it back, I started taking photos, I sent it out to Tom Derby, who I I trust because he's graded this figure multiple times, and also Joe Joe Iglesias, you know, and and there's always concern by everyone about the authenticity of any figure, and so definitely it was suggested by Joe. You know what? Just send it in. I was actually Joe was actually nice enough where he was actually going to coordinate meeting uh, to pick up uh, to view the figure. I had had uh, John Paul Ragusa. He's an amazing individual. I, I I don't want to leave him out of this story also because he he is the master shipper, f- helper, uh, assisting me and whatnot. So great. I'm not the best at packaging and selling. So John Paul Ragusa, uh, Imperial Castle. Let me make sure I give you a shout out because just a stand-up person. I trust all of uh, my things with him. He's just a wonderful individual, a wonderful dad, two great kids, and wonderful in the hobby. So I, you know, I had him take care. You know, I said, all right, meet up with Joe, handle this. And then it, that just didn't work out. So John Paul ended up packaging the figure for me and shipping it out to Tom. Once Tom received it, he also verified it. I sent, I actually broke out of my case the figure, uh, the original headband figure that I had with a shield and a sword, authentic shield and authentic sword to be packaged with this card back and bubble. 
surprisingly, when we were, when I had the figure at home and I started to look at it, you know, I, from the brothers, they said, oh, the bubble was broken and the card is not in good condition. All of that matched up. I, I mean, I was, I put books on the card back so I could try to flatten it out, everything. And that did work, you know, to a small degree. But when I looked at the bubble carefully, I, it, it had a hole in the bottom when they sent me the photos. But when I received it, I just looked at the bubble. I said, wait a minute. The bottom bubble is not broken off. It's folded inwards. So the bottom flap was folded inwards. So I actually just used one of my, the same, I was breaking out the figure with my dental instruments from the AFA case. And I used that, one of the smaller instruments. Some of you are in the uh, dental industry. I used a half Hollenbeck. So I used a half Hollenbeck uh, instrument to actually carefully reflect out the flap. That, listen, that made me happy. I thought that it had no bubble at the bottom, but this does. And so that made it, you know, even sweeter for me uh, to have the bottom flap of the bubble. We ended up shipping the figure out to package. And let me tell you again, great work by Tom of making a sliding case that I was really happy about that the figure that actually made room, the perfect amount of room for the headman to sit inside and be pretty much have provide blister protection for the bubble. The figure sits inside the bubble perfectly. The bubble and the card back sit inside the acrylic case perfectly. And the sliding back slides along the card back perfectly, not causing any unnecessary touching but providing perfect stability for the figure inside the case an amazing job and he also verified the figure with joe and of course through his own evaluation just you know making sure that it was allaying my concerns and making sure that it was authentic and i'm glad again the same thing christmas time waiting for the news same thing with tom and joe again thank you joe for your time and and tom for taking your time to do this also beers on me next time celebration hopefully sooner uh, joe i think i'm going to see you soon looking through this hobby i tell everyone you know what it's unfortunate you know you do have to have some finance to it it takes a little bit of money it takes a little bit of savings but i'm going to tell you what's even more important for me that and all so many of you will agree it's really the relationships it's really the connections that you make and it's really the connections that you sustain and it's through friendly interactions and fair interactions both parties need to come across as not feeling as if they had been taken advantage of. And it's a fine walk for everyone, especially at the, with these rare items, uh, making sure that both parties are happy. And I, I, you can ask the brothers how they felt about me, but I can tell you from my end, I not, never been so, I, I've been surprised many times by individuals, but, you have this assumption and you go on a wing and a prayer many times with these transactions. You all know this. So I've been blessed to have so many amazing transactions. I, I mean, I really, you know, when I look back at all of these items that I've received, I've only problem with one. It wasn't authentic model trim, but people want it anyways, you know, so it's a, a non-authentic bootleg. 
uh, who cares, you know? So, to me, that, and if you look at all my hundreds of figures, zero problems. And when I look at how positive my experiences are with everyone in the hobby, how supportive people are, how friendly they are, how kind they are, how giving they are, and how just, you know, you're all, everyone is cheerleaders for each other when they receive an item and then get an item. You see how it is. It, it just makes the whole hobby that much more special to me. You know, I have a, I'm a very busy life like all of you. When I can take the time, carve out a little time for this hobby, it just makes these types of good transactions even more meaningful. I want to say thank you to a lot of people. Thank you again to Joe Glacius for your knowledge and putting up with me, you and Darren especially, about this. Thanks to uh, Tom Derby for taking the time to evaluate this. John Paul Ragusa, F.A. and Furtan for you, both of you, the brothers, uh, just for your kindness. Thank you to Jonathan and Oscar for traveling to Istanbul for this craziness. And I also want to make sure I give a special uh, shout out to Meta Kuhn, who passed away last year. Just he has a Star Wars, uh, Uze website, UzeStarWars.com. That and Joe's section on uh, the collector's archive are just so valuable sources of knowledge for this hobby. So Richard, again, I just wanted to say thank you so much again to you for inviting me to talk about this super happy moment in my collecting uh, hobby life. I also really want to say thank you to Todd and Kathy Hudson, as well as Jesse Cedar Soberman and Veda Soberman for really showing me that island love and hospitality. You've really made my visits to Oahu and Maui just some of the most memorable experiences of my life. Thank you so much. If you have a chance to just uh, visit Hawaii, please, uh, I'm going to Oahu for a meeting, but do make sure you get to Maui. Make sure you get to Maui. Uh, there is an amazing uh, host here who is just uh, has an amazing collection, but just an amazing uh, couple. I I've not no talk about Star Wars with them. It's just how much uh, they were giving me parenting advice, uh, couples advice. Most importantly, we had some good food advice today. <laughs> so anybody who comes to Maui, please call me. Happy to to get in touch with you. Hit me up on Facebook. I've had quite a few people that I I didn't even know before they came here. Uh, we just knew each other kind of on Facebook or through some of the forums. Yeah. We've had a chance to get together, have have beers, a couple of people, lots of beers, and we had a fun time <laughs> just talking story and right. hanging out. Uh, and that's how we do it on Maui. You know, this is a it's such a lovely place, and we enjoy anybody who comes out here. This is the first time I've actually uh, hung out with Todd. Uh, for a length uh, a length of time and just I've got to tell everyone it just feels like you know just old friends and and that is the magic of Todd and Kathy so I want to really say thank you again to both of you absolutely loved you coming out thank you You brought some amazing wine I just want everyone to know they brought the walking dead blood red (laughs) bland so it's uh it's an interactive 
bottle of wine. Go ahead and get the bottle and you can read the back and you can see. You can download an app and it comes to life. Uh, my wife is a massive Walking Dead fan and I'm pretty sure she was more excited about the wine than anything else <laughs> for the night. I hope you all have a nice day and may the force be with you. Aloha. Thanks very much for that, Paul. That's great setting that out when you're out on holiday. Good stuff. So I've given you each a little bit of task for us. A few of our listeners may be thinking, who's I? Not entirely certain exactly what those are. So, Sai, first of all, can you give our listeners an overview of who's I? Yeah, I'm not the greatest in terms of uh, bootleg knowledge, but who's is one of the better known bootlegs, isn't it? Believed to be dating from the, the mid to the late 1980s from Turkey. These were what they had for for Star Wars figures, and the, from from what I found, there were fourteen in total, with a few card back variations just to keep you entertained. It was rather heavily weighted in in the Imperials' favour, so you had ten that could be classed as Imperials, which included Tie Fighter pilot, Darth Vader, Attack driver, Imperial gunner, Stormtrooper, Death Star droid, Hoth Stormtrooper, and Emperor's Royal Guard. And then two, I really don't know what's going on with these. I'd love to know what the thinking was behind them. Blue stars, which were blue Imperial snowtroopers with white Hoth rifles. And Headman, which is Paul's latest exposition, which were, from what I can see, painted Emperor's Royal Guards with shields, interestingly enough. And then for non-Imperials, you had R2-D2, R5-D4, C-3PO and Chewbacca. No characters that showed human likeness, so I'm guessing that would be for some kind of copyright infringement because there was skirt in the edge of copyright as it is with these figures. Well, it's interesting to say that because that's exactly what occurred to me. Other than the massive waiting in the Imperials' favour, it was like, well, there's no faces here. But then, yeah, copyright skirting. I mean, this was beyond just skirting, wasn't it, really? Things like Death Star Droid, C-3PO, R2-D2, they were all, they were all copyrighted, surely. Talked about headmen there. What do we know about headmen? Are there variations? Well, Joe, well, I, I loved I loved going through the show notes this month and seeing this because these do nothing for me or anything. <laughs> so seeing a question, I didn't know where to start, and I chanced upon a uzistarwars.com, which is obviously a Mete's website, so it's still up and still a great wealth of knowledge. So uh, figure variations on this, it says none. And cardback variations for the headman, none. But there is a weapon variation. So you can get a gold sword and a silver sword. And you can also get a gold shield and a silver shield. Now, they were packaged opposites. So if you had the gold sword, it would be packaged with the silver shield and vice versa. So, But as far as I'm aware, Rich, that is the only variations you can get. Repro, bootleg, repro, bootleg, same thing. Yeah, completely different, mate. I mean, generally, you go amongst the collection, uh, the collecting community, and uh, bootlegs are all good, repros bad. You go into, say, Google search, and you ask that particular question, one of the first hits you'll get is Christian's blog on VintageStarWarsCollectors.com. And he actually had Joe on, who everyone knows, Joe Y from the Star Wars bootleg main Facebook group, who everyone associates with bootlegs. And he's asking a question, saying, right, what's the deal? So in Joe's words himself, 
and I quote, legally and in general terms to someone outside of the hobby or someone without much knowledge of the world during the vintage era, they could be considered the same as both are unauthorised and both do, did bridge copyright laws. But intent and hobby accepted definitions make them far different. Vintage era bootlegs were made to be played with as toys by children that were in countries where the licensed items were either unable to be legally imported, such as Hungary, Poland and Russia, which thanks to trade embargoes had no legal imported Star Wars items, and the few items that were illegally imported were inflated beyond belief. Or third world countries where even if the licensed items were available, they were beyond many people's means to buy as toys for their children to play with. So bootlegs flourished as a worldwide influence of Star Wars had everyone everywhere wanting something from a galaxy far, far away. It's a really great interview, actually. So I encourage people to go to StarWarsCollectors.com. But it just essentially then goes on to the whole repro thing, which is, in general, repros are made for people too cheap to buy the real thing. If the repro weapon makers started making their weapons in colours, then the Kenner would never made them in. That would be a great solution for those that want to give beta vintage figure to their kids and still have weapons for them to play with. So, Pete, I want you to fire up the Star Wars tracker. <laughs> I want you to go to the section that Jared Cope <clears throat> has got dedicated on Uzai. In that <clears throat> section, you will find the... 14 items listed there because there are so many have been sold over the years. So, what did the market data tell you? Uh, where do you find in Uzay items, Rich? Exactly. So, have you seen any market data at all for <laughs> anything at all to do with Uzi? Well, I checked on the web on the the website on the website version of Star Trek, and I fired up the old beast which is the the desktop version of it and there is actually an ooze section sadly there's nothing in it <laughs> which is a pain but there was something was something i remember when i interviewed mete several years ago and we joked about the you know have you have you scoured the warehouses of turkey because you'll probably find one stuck in one and it's weird how that has actually happened that we did say that if you listen to that interview i think i left it in that um that we we said one day someone will find one left in a warehouse in the middle of you know a farmyard somewhere in the back of a warehouse um so it, it's happened so maybe there are a few out there randomly lurking in in you know old shop stock or something but all, all i can remember price wise rich is is these things just go for silly silly cash i think the last one i remember that mete talked about was you know just for a loose one somewhere around like fifteen thousand dollar kind of mark i think it's just obscene amounts of money and these things will go for crazy cash but <laughs> so the advice is basically if you want a head man and one appears you've got to buy it because there are so few and far between and you look at tens of thousands you can't be fussy with the uzai you've got to get them when you can the moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes cable doesn't do fables uh richie richie rich well, first of all, I was going to try and hook up Bill Cable for an interview on this, but the Kivecast have released a fantastic interview with Bill Cable, so I urge everybody to go and check out the latest Kivecast blog log pod. They've covered everything in there and more, so once they've done that, I thought, well, a lot of our listeners will listen to the Kivecast. I'd rather just focus on a different part of it rather than just repeat a lot of the things. So Bill Cable, who, as everybody knows, is a C3PO focus collector, 
he has been after a 45 back C3PO with removable limbs for a long time. And I didn't realise actually how long it is. It's 19 years he's been looking for one of these. And he'd said that the new the 45 backs were tough to get. But by the time Celebration 2 came out, it was generally accepted that if one was available, they would have appeared by now. Nobody had seen anything, not a card back, nothing at all had turned up. The reasons for that, well, nobody was entirely certain at first. Proof cards, although obviously proof cards are rare, Bill has two of those. And I think he bought these possibly at Celebration 2 around about that time. So he bought two proof cards as... I'm not going to say placeholders because that's not the right word, but it fills a gap in his collection. And he thought that that was the best he was ever going to get because the, the 45 back just hadn't appeared. Over time, the founder used card back, but this had a, a Bassa sticker on it, which is the Peruvian license. So Bill then thought, well, hold on a second. How come one's turned up in Peru, but we haven't had any turn up in the States where there was a far bigger market? Perhaps, you know, they're still waiting for one to appear. And more and more years have gone by, and eventually, within the last month, one appeared on eBay. And Bill couldn't believe it. He contacted the the seller and said, "Is that the exact one that you're selling? Can you send me, you know, photographs of the back?" He'd actually listed it as a return the jelly, and it wasn't. It was MPS Drake's back. Bill was a bit, "Is this too good to be true?" On the bubble, it's got a big X on it. Bill had put in a bid of. I want to say from memory, it's somewhere around about six and a half thousand. Thinking he didn't really want to pay as much as that, but if it, if he did get it, it's obviously a fantastic item, and he could sell some of the things that are more common to him to fund it. And he got it for about two hundred and fifty dollars because nobody else had either spotted it or really realised its significance. So the time between that he purchased that and it actually arriving in his house, it, he must have been you know, threatened quite a lot and thinking, oh, is this going to arrive? Is somebody going to uh, contact the seller and tell him what it is, offer more money? He was absolutely delighted when it arrived. And on his website, creaturecantina.com, and also on the Kivecast, he's, he's put some discussion in there as to the, the possible theories about why it's not appeared in America. This came from Hong Kong. Why did it have the X on it? But the story didn't end there because within a week, a second one appeared. So 19 years hunting for them, one appears and a second one appears a week later. Uh, This one doesn't have a black X on it, also in in fantastic condition. Unbelievable story, truly amazing. Stu, first of all, 45 bucks, what do they look like? What do people need to look for if they're looking for 45 bucks? And and why do you think the C-3PO with removable limbs is not common like some of the others are? Right, so the 45 back uh, is the Star Wars Display Arena arena offer card isn't it with the uh, sticker on the front and then the back with it laid out um you you said why were these ones so rare i couldn't i couldn't find out why because this was its debut card wasn't it and yes. the other debuts r2 luke hoff attack commander cloud car pilot and black bespin guard are seemingly really really rife on this card um you can get the most days so all I've read, actually, it was Bill Cable that wrote it, was that maybe there was a problem with the vac metalizing. I think it's Pete. You've asked to look at the X, which kind of goes into that. That there was some sort of issue with the figure, and they were sent back or didn't get past that that stage. So maybe that's why there's not many around. But I don't really know, mate. Um, unless you have actually got a proper reason, I couldn't find anything out apart from like the rumor mill. 
Yeah, there's still a bit more to be discovered. Listen to the Kitecast interview. Bill was talking about possibly the net that was behind oh, didn't need a thin baggy. Yeah, yeah, didn't need to be in a baggy. Did there need to be a thin piece of of plastic separating the figure from the net? Bill is going to spend time on this because as a focus collector, he's really passionate about this. He's going to do some more digging. He's going to probably not rest until he's found out the real reason why these have not been accepted. But a problem with the vac finishing. It's certainly plausible. Now you're going to say, well, hold on a second. Well, if there was a problem with the VAC finishing, why wasn't the one the original C-3PO? Well, if there was that, it has to be something to do with the removal limbs, the connecting to the body when the turn did little bits of the VAC metal rub off. I've got no idea. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody truly knows, or certainly nobody more so than Bill. So I'd love to find the real reason. If, if anybody's got any theories, send us a message or send Bill a message and think, and have you considered that? Jez, up until now, only two card backs with Basil stickers on them were known to exist. How do Kenner figures end up in Peru? Yeah, cheers, Ridge. Going back to the previous question, though, theory-wise, could it just be that they had a load of leftover fixed-wing 3PO's and thought, we'll just try and smash out as many of those we can on 41 cards? Or, or... I wouldn't have thought so, because this is the, the debut wave for that figure, and it, it had the photograph on the back of the card of the removable limbs, and you've got to remember, there's a hell of a lot of these in a baggie. Yeah. If you wanted a hundred yeah, baggies, yeah. you could get them tomorrow. We're going back to the question, though. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair one. I just thought, well, hang on a second. All the others which debuted were actually new figures. So they just wanted to get them out straight away. Whereas Kenner probably wanted to think, well, we don't want to be left with all of these uh, fixed limbs. Yeah. What are we going to do? Going back to uh, how did they get out there and why? Once again, just referring to it. And I, this is where I love going to Rebel Scum. Put a little search into Rebel Scum, and Bill Cable is quite clearly, as you said, been after one of these for a while. Because there was a really good thread which started in 2012, lots of people chipping in. And Bill Cable chipped in no more than three times, or no less than three times, saying, how did they import ESB 45 3PO's from Kenner when they were never produced by Kenner? And there's more chat, goes on. And someone actually comes on, uh, Louis G, saying... I'm from Peru, I live in Peru, and I remember what it was like when they first came out. He said initially they were smuggled in uh, during the final years of military government when importation of foreign products had really high taxes and massively high inflation. Inflation around about 73% in 1978, 66 in 79, 61 in 1980. So as you can imagine, the, the cost of these toys was, was incredible. He said, in the beginning of the 1980s, with a new democratic government, the importation of product runs, it started to be good again. And Bassa began to import the Kenner ESB line and they uh, applied a Bassa sticker to the front of the card bags and boxes. And so it's not just figures in the big collection book, which I've got here, which I think most people have got, which is, you know, the Star Wars Gus and Duncans. You've got the Slave One in there with the Bassa sticker. So it's not just carded figures. But they were appearing for sale in the big department stores, in Sears, etc., and in supermarkets. But it did say that Bassa Kenner toy prices were still about two to three times the price of USA. So very small country. They were going in a little bit more expensive just to keep up with the demand. But a great thread on Rebel Scum. And I'm, Bill needs to take a trip down memory lane if he hasn't done already because he kept on going back saying i don't understand this i don't understand this you know why at the moment there, there's none now it looks like there may have been dot 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 was his last entry 
That is amazing information, Jez, and you're bang on right that Rebel Scum's got such a vast array of, of information. We've got an item there with a big black X cross, right across the bubble. What's your best theories for that? Oh, it's, it's a difficult one because the, I'm surprised it's on the bubble because you could obviously remove it. So I don't, you know, you, I mean, you can get pens and a little bit of, you know, fluid or something and get rid of that black X. I, I mean, normally when you see sort of things like this, from my experience, I mean, when I was now, I know shampoo packaging is totally different than Star Wars packaging. But normally, when when you're doing like a trial and making sure everything you know is connected properly and bowls and tops are put together and the liquids put in and all that sort of nonsense, then it's labelled up. Normally, at the end of the line, you you just people work on the line, go right. We've we done that, done a few, done a few hundred, just for you know QA QC purposes, and you'd put a few in your pocket. Normally, the the line manager would put a line through it just to make sure you don't go and sell it. Um, you know, put a line through the label or something so you don't go and put it on the market stall or whatever um, and actually just take it home and use it. So it could be that. I think if they wanted to spoil it and say don't distribute it, they would have put a line through the card because, you know, like I said, the bubble's not really, you know, you, you can go and, you know, you could rub that off and sell it off. So I, I don't think it was that. I think it was just an, in, I would imagine it's an internal thing. So it might have just been put in a QC docket and just filed away for, yeah. It all all went together very well, you know. The bubble got attached nicely. The figure was, is in there. It's all right. I don't think it'd been a quality control thing because if you were just testing the bubble, you'd have probably put any old figure in there, and yeah, you, know, you probably wouldn't have cared about the card and stuff. You'd just run it as a as a production if you're doing that that side of things. Um, the only other thing I think of is, is like I said, maybe, maybe there's something to do with bag in there. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the wrong bag, or it wasn't a good one, or it was a uh, I don't know, a prototype or something, they just whacked in there just to test it out. But I think I, I think my personal opinion would be that it was just, they were, they were testing the line, it was the first batch off, uh, they put a cross on it just to, just to mark that the fact it had been done and, and dusted and probably threw it in a box and let, let the staff have it. The ones in America, when they didn't want the employees to have them, they cut the bubbles, which is where a lot of the cut bubbles have come from, so the employees couldn't sell them. That's a that's a plausible thing, what you're seeing there, Pete, especially because the second one that's turned up doesn't have the X on. And what I'm really intrigued about is the fact that there's clearly a source of card figures in Hong Kong that haven't really been discovered yet. Two of these to turn up believed to possibly have come from the same shop and I'm sure Bills and others have been contacting these guys saying what else do you have lying around there could be so many reasons Rich it's such a you'd have to really speak to someone who was kind of almost there and and what their processes were but it's it's interesting although you know maybe it's just someone messing around with a pen can the typical collector truly appreciate what it means to be hunting for something for nearly 20 years and then find it and i don't just mean somebody who goes oh i fancy one of them one day and then 20 years later gets it i think of somebody who's absolutely dedicated and has scoured the whole of the world looking for an item and i've put in the show notes mike lemons lol i don't know if you any of you lot know what that reference was about so mike lemons was a guy who joined rebel scum a couple of years ago i still i'm still not sure if it's a real account or not but he put on there want to buy uzai or two and then a couple of days have gone by and he put something along the lines of, I've been hunting for three days for a news IR2, can't believe anybody hasn't arrived yet. And the, the the education that guy got afterwards was absolutely hilarious. If he was saying, I've been looking for one for 13 years, you know, you've been looking for three days, you know, you're going to have to uh, get a bit more patience on that. But, but 
going back onto Bill Sings, Kasai, so 19 years looking for this item, truly dedicated. Can we really appreciate what that means? It's quite interesting, actually, because it's, it's a tale of two generations in a way. I think if you went back 15 years, 20 years, and collecting was such a different thing back then, the internet was still very much in its infancy. You made your discoveries and your, your new purchases through networks or going to a trade show. And therefore, to find such a piece like this, Bill would have had to have a network all over the world. And the chances are he would never have found it because the guys bought it off. It doesn't even sound like he was a collector, does it? Old school, yes. Totally imagine what it's like to hunt for something for 20 years because everything was just that much more inefficient, if you see what I mean. And personally speaking, no, I've never searched for something for 20 years. I think the the longest I've hunted for something was about seven years, which is a, a family group of medals, and I turned that up in the end. But 20 years is, no, absolutely not. Now, bring it forward to today, and the only reason that Bill's been able to find this is because of the internet, isn't it? It could have been sold locally a dozen times over in Hong Kong, and Bill may never have found out about it. But because of the internet, and in this case eBay, something on one side of the world finds its its long searcher on on the other and and congrats to bill what a what a great find and what an amazing purchase as well for that price congratulations bill and for all those who haven't check out the kite cats blog log pod it's a really really good interview death star approaching estimated time to firing range 15 minutes uh, rich you found what in a box what's the story behind this crazy headline you've come up with this time <laughs> well, big thanks to Carl Dennis, who's a regular to have our show. He sent us a link to an Instagram account from a guy, a collector called Barry Chalmers, who goes by Toy Curious. And he posted, so I made a mind-blowing discovery this week. I had these parts in a box with a prototype Luke X-Wing doll from Ken Astro Casbo factory clearance. I put out a request if anybody knew what the parts were, and it turns out it's the prototype concept model for the unreleased Luke Risk Communicator. Credit also to GoCo Race and Anthony for helping out with his contacts. I own the prototype model of the Risk Communicator. The original concept art is not mine and is property of Derrico. I know this is a Power Force 2 item, guys, but the concept art in this whole product design is so vintage that clearly that's what got Carl excited. And when I first looked at that and I thought, wow, this looks like a vintage item that was in prototype and I've never seen it before. But obviously doing a little bit digging, it's actually a Power the Force 2 item. But I am I'm so impressed with this. So it's absolutely amazing. So Pete, first of all, can you describe what it is and tell us about the Luke Wrist Communicator? <laughs> it, this is really weird. I mean, because you know, there's a picture of Luke in Bespin gear with wood on his wrist. I'm just trying to think whether whether he communicated in the film was there anything on his on his wrists, but I, I couldn't really see anything. But uh, it's really bulky. It's like two big chunks of plastic on the top of your wrist and the underside of your wrist and sort of like decorated with stuff. It didn't look like, look like there was any electronics at the time, but it looks like there was maybe space for electronics. So I guess you could press like like three buttons maybe. Um, and it's kind of decorated in, in red and orange kind of uh, livery. But um, the the word that I mean I, I look at what was out, out, ours was out there because I thought I wonder if 
Kenner or someone sort of reappropriated this kind of stuff. There was a sort of Star Trek communicator, but it was sort of turned round and it fits in your wrist in a much nicer way. The picture looks quite uncomfortable. It would really get in the way everything. I'd imagine it would be streamlined a little bit. But yeah, it's it's kind of two bits of plastic, a bit of kind of uh, material, which I imagine would have Velcro on it and would seal up. And um, for a kid, I think it it looks blooming enormous. It looks like it would be fit better on mine or Simon's wrists. But um, yeah, there was there was a few bits of puzzles. I mean, there, there, there's a decent Star Trek one. There was also one in 1975, which I found, by Mego. It was a Commander Zack Power Power Arm. And it looks kind of similar kind of thing, where it was a big chunk of plastic stuck in your arm, but it, had, it actually had a few sort of kind of bits and pieces extra, like um, you could basically power up some sort of little motorbike toy. Yeah, it's obviously something they're looking at. But I didn't, I didn't realise, actually, when you first posted it, it was a Power Force 2 item. Yeah, and I can probably see why it didn't go ahead, because it doesn't look particularly playable. But I think if that came out in the early 80s, that's something I would, I would have definitely have bought, because... Those sort of things you could wear with Star Wars on it, I thought I'd have been a you while know, away. But you had buttons that made noises. Been awesome. I think it may have been reused again after that. I don't know if Sai or Stu, I think something in me back in me, in me mind suggests that something wound up the late 90s may have had some kind of risk communicator on for Star Wars. You know what, Rich? Now that you say it, I mean, there was the, the Power of Force 2, there was the, the binoculars, weren't they, used for the slide viewer. And I... I sure i remember something about a risk communicator i'm sure i do but i'll be blowed if i can now it's just one of those it was just another toy that was lost in the the plethora of star wars branded toys at the time if it wasn't an action figure i wasn't particularly interested in it to be honest finally spanish colgate fine love these been so disappointing that in the last few weeks there's been an influx of these fake Colgate toothpaste boxes that have appeared on eBay, so a real shame. What first appeared was it was a cast-graded item. It was a Colgate box, which I think most people know of, only one of them known to exist prior to this, but a Colgate box, which they had a promotion where you got a free Star Wars figure with the box of toothpaste. And Cass had graded it with an AT-AT driver. And a few people thought, well, the one that's known to exist didn't have an AT-AT driver. And I just think it's it's a fantastic item. I'm really, really pleased that this has turned up because the Colgate box itself has been authenticated as definitely being legit. And that's just amazing. Jez, you probably became aware of the, the Colgate the first time that I became aware of this as well. So can you tell us about the, the Spanish Colgate and who do we know what definitely has one? I don't know if it was at the same time, mate, but the first time I saw anything was the Essen. Yeah, they started passing out sort of box flats of, of, you know, reproduction ones of these. And I was just thinking, what on earth is that about? But I guess from a Star Wars license thing, they were putting the brand on so many things. It didn't surprise me now looking back. But yeah, that was the first time I saw it. Doing a little bit of research the earliest bits and pieces I could see on Rebel Scum were 2007, where they were still making reference to, oh, I've been looking for one of these for years. So clearly been very popular amongst collectors for quite a while. But, yep, world record holder Mr. Steve Sansweet is is the man. And uh, the ones of the images you can see online are, are Steve's, I believe. That's correct, but he doesn't come with an at-that driver, though, does it? No, his is a bib, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's a bit Fortuna. So, Sai, I can understand a bit Fortuna and the links between that and toothpaste because he badly needs some dental hygiene. But an AT-AT driver? Really? Would you expect that to come with Colgate toothpaste? And what does the Spanish say in the Starburst? Looking at the AT-AT driver, what's to say that these two came together? Because that cellophane is clearly screwed up and that AT-AT driver is clearly very worn. So, who's saying this is authentic? Yeah, I mean, that's an absolute fair point. The AT-AT driver is a PPB. So that's a tenuous link, but it's the only link that they've got. And this was sent in together as a set. So, yes, you could argue that perhaps Cass have graded this incorrectly in the fact that these two items should be kept completely separate. They've graded them together for, for whatever reason. That's what the collectors wanted. But, yeah, it's a, it's a totally fair point. Personally speaking, if, if it was my business, I would have turned around to the guy and said, sorry, there's there's nothing. Yeah, it's a Spanish figure. Yeah, it's a Spanish toothpaste tube. But like you say, Bib Fortune, you can understand with his manky teeth, but an AT-AT driver, so an Empire figure give, being given away in a Return of the Jedi promotion? I don't remember any AT-AT drivers in Return of the Jedi. I, I'm highly suspicious of that, I'll be honest. I don't think that's right. What do I know? I, I've never even seen one of these things in, in person, but that strikes me as particularly odd in terms of what it says uh it's as you gratis una figure and then all the rest of it so uh, free a figure of star wars return of the jedi hence my suspicion on the attack driver and then below it in the box it says i'm not even going to try that one uh, it says there are 70 different figures to collect so you could say well hold on a minute Yes, it's a Return of the Jedi promotion, but it's saying there's 70 different figures to collect, and Return of the Jedi only had, what, 20-odd, wasn't it? 28, 29 figures. So I guess it, it could be legitimate, but I don't know. I'd be Unless that was removed from that and it was all sealed up, I, I just don't see what place that has got with that packet. Do you think the 70 could have some reference to the trilogue or card back? Interesting point, actually, that, Rich, isn't it? That's, that's really good. I'd be surprised purely because, in my mind, this would have been early on, possibly even possibly pre-release of the movie itself, certainly in the early days. And from what we know, the Tri-Logo card back came out in 84, so sometime after the launch of Return of the Jedi. But it's interesting, yeah, very interesting that it's 70 figures. That hadn't even registered at all, Rich. I'm led to believe that there's a an image of one in the Tormos guide that doesn't contain the Bib Fortuna. Have you been able to find it? And if so, what figure does it come with? I did, Rich. Right. First of all, before we go on about this, could you, the Tormos guide, right? My favourite book in the world has the worst index at the back of the book. It is hideous. You would have thought that toothpaste would be with toothbrushes and stuff. No, no, just on a random page. So page 99. And you are correct, Rich. It is the image of the, it's the only one image of these, and it is the Biker Scout in the packaging. It doesn't state what figures it comes with in the actual write-up below. It just says a uh, Colgate Palm Olive uh, with Kenner Return of the Jedi action figure, and this is the best bit, 10 to $15. <laughs> wow. Uh, for your price. So, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, the Biker Scout is the image in there. Wow, so there is an Imperial in there. That's, I mean, I can understand the Biker Scout for the time release, is what Cy was saying. 
but I'd, I'd never I'd never heard of that until last week and you know we've all got Tormod's guides I mean when you've been flicking through have you ever spotted that in there no do you know what I mean I've probably seen the Colgate as I flick through and not taken too much notice, notice of it just thought it was the one that we often see but clearly not I think it was Juan Carlos who was desperately seeking for um, the Colgate box if there's possibly three now and won't exist who knows perhaps there are more out there so it was it was nice to see that anyway it was nice to see another box whoever sent that in the cast for grading th- thanks because it was really nice seeing that in the cast is set but i i am also a little bit dubious about the other driver i'm not going to if if the guy says i had this from a kid and this is my set then fair enough but i think for a grading company they possibly should have asked for just a little bit more proof than that than grading it together as a set but nice to see anyway well done Right, now I want to welcome back to the show for our interview this month. It's Andy Goulding. Good evening, Andy. Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm all good, all good. Great to catch up again. Rich, Rich is with us. You all right, Andy? Hello, Rich. You all right, mate? Andy, you were a guest host for us back on episode 39, so roughly about about a year ago. Yes, yeah, it was done fun. Yeah, yeah. So we have covered a couple of um, great collecting stories back on that show um, in particular, uh, yeah, but to be um, fair, I am terrifically old, so I'll probably have forgotten just saying again. Yeah. <laughs> well, the driving glove story uh, was a joy. <laughs> was a joy. So, but we we, we will touch on props because I think a lot of our conversation that night was prop based with you. But I want to go back to start with back to um, early days with you, where you first saw Star Wars and yeah. how you how you got into this hobby. You're you're still in now. Um, yeah, it all began well, for you. With no, no end point in sight ever until they lower me down into a hole in a box with a Millennium Falcon under my arm. But um, yeah, no, it's, well, I mean, obviously I'm old enough to have seen it the first time around in the 70s. I was born um, 71, so I was kind of about the ideal age, really, you know, going on sort of six, seven when I saw Star Wars through to just becoming a teenager when I saw Jedi, you know, that sort of six, seven year formative years. Um, so, yeah, p- perfect timing, really, to see it and catch it. And I'll tell you, I can remember the first time I ever, and I've got this early, early memory of a kid, the first time I can ever remember anything to do with Star Wars. So I would have been, yeah, probably five or six years old, and I was watching Blue Peter, which for our American friends or anybody else who doesn't live in England, um, it was like an absolute staple TV kids program in the 
50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I think it was in the 50s. I know it was in the 60s, but it was like a omnibus-type program where they covered different things. And I was watching Blue Peter, and they actually showed a scene from Star Wars. And it was the scene uh, during the dogfight between the Falcon and the TIE Fighters. And it was when 3PO walks down the corridor, and there's a big explosion, and he falls over and squeals, and there's all lights. And I can remember that scene just flashed on, and I, it scared me to death. <laughs> I nearly fell off the sofa. And I can remember saying to my mum, oh, I don't ever want to see that. That looks horrible. Yeah, it kind of didn't really turn out like that, did it? Uh, <laughs> and here we are all these years later, and I'm still well into it. But yeah, my, my mum dragged me along because it would have been Christmas 77, early 78. It came out in the UK. And we, I lived in a, a town in the middle of the UK, and we were quite lucky. We got it quite early, so I think it was either, I think it was Christmas 77 I went to see it. And my mum had heard, you know, all the goings on, and it was this crazy film, and everyone had to see it. My dad, not really into sci-fi at all, so it was a Saturday afternoon, and mum's like, yeah, yeah, come on, we'll go to the cinema and see this, see what all the fuss is about. There's me going along, half thinking, what the hell is this? Half thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be terrified by a killer C-3PO. Um, and yeah, like all of us, you know, up until that point, you'd seen, you know, Buck Rogers with dodgy cardboard chips on the end of a tube and might have caught a bit of 2001, which wasn't exactly a, you know, adventure fest. It wasn't exactly uh, high paced of drama um, or seen Spider-Man on the TV. And then all of a sudden you've got that opening scene and you've got a, a cinema full of six, seven, eight year olds who were just absolutely mesmerised, and it just, just blew everybody away. You just, you'd just you never seen anything like it before. I suppose, you know, it's it's akin to your first time at the circus or the first time seeing an elephant or, I don't know, the first time just seeing a steam locomotive or a train roll past you. You're just absolutely mesmerised by it, and this this story was just, just amazing. And two hours later, cue a lot of kids rolling out of the cinema with their minds absolutely blown and uh, i've never looked back since <laughs> really so andy when you came out of the cinema obviously we didn't have toys or anything back then um and i'd imagine in christmas 77 you probably didn't get anything that was doors related what no. was your first memories of seeing merchandise on store shelves and started getting interested in action figures well i'll tell you what the first memory of it was every kid went home when we immediately got our action men and we're asking our mum and mums to knit kind of han solo costumes from or luke costumes basically anything that was roughly white a ripped up bit of towel was immediately wrapped around an action man and he became luke skywalker so i guess we were all kind of hungry for it hungry for the figures obviously not really knowing then what was coming you know as a kid you were just, it was Action Man and Toy Cars and Dinky and Corgi. You really had no idea this was coming. That's one thing I can remember is that there was there was no real hype surrounding these figures. There was no advertising, nothing in store, you know, stores. It it just, literally, I walked into one one day and it was at the bottom of town um, in Swindon where I grew up, a, a toy chain called Trent's, which I believe got took over by Beaties in the UK and eventually they went they went bankrupt, I think, in the 1990s. But that was our big toy shop. And I can remember going in there and usually it would be, you know, Action Man was the big thing, which is G.I. Joe for our American friends. But Action Man was the big thing, cars, tractors, whatever, you know, whatever. And I can just remember going in, to this day I can see it in my mind's eye, and in the corner was just this store stand full of, 12 backs and it would have been the x-wing and the tie fighter and the land speeder and 
it was just amazing. You know, it was mad. It was the fact. It was again. People have talked about it at length about the genius of the. I think it was Mike Boudreau, wasn't it? Who held his finger and thumb up, and you got the three and three quarter inch range, which meant that action vehicles and play sets could be scaled to it. Before that, we'd never seen anything so cohesive as a range, you know. And just seeing all these figures and the fact that they were seventy nine p or ninety nine p, whatever they were, meant that you could as it says on the box, collect them all. Uh, um, yeah, I can remember seeing it. I can remember going in there, and I can remember... I don't know which ones it was, and that always bugs me, but I can remember I had some pocket money, and they were, I was so blown away. I bought one with my pocket money, and my mum and dad bought me another one, so I had two figures. And I've still got all my original figures from when I was a kid, so I will have the first two I ever bought. I just can't remember which two it is. If I had to guess, I would guess it probably would have been Han and Luke but I would, that were the two I would have bought first off. But, yeah, I just remember seeing it in that toy shop. God, I wish I had a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you go full on in those early days, as in also start looking at other things like the Marvel comics, because they came out pretty quickly, and then we had the board games and the you know posters and things like that. Were you actively hunting all sorts down back then? Absolutely anything. It was mental. Every kid in school, everybody everywhere was Star Wars. I had Star Wars bedspreads, Star Wars curtains, Marvel comics, Star Wars toys. The whole, guys who grew up are the same age as me all know this, but honestly, the playground of the schools that we're in. Every dinner time, it was Star Wars. It wasn't Cowboys and Indians anymore. It was Stormtroopers and Rebels. Everybody was running around making pew pew noises and laser guns, and it was just, you had to have lived through it, really, to experience it. It was just an absolute phenomenon. It just took over the country. It took over the world. Every kid in that kind of, you know, target age bracket was just, you know, as soon as the marketing got into gear, we were just bombarded with stuff, and we lapped it up. So, yeah, all the Marvel comics, annuals, yeah, everything. You name it, we had it. Star Wars toothbrushes, Star Wars everything. So you had a, a fairly big toy range, I'm assuming, the way you're talking. Yeah, but it was, just, it was just kind of like, like all of us. It was kind of, you know, the, the toys, the figures were so cheap, you could get one a week with your pocket money. You know, they were perfectly aimed at pocket money, you know. So I, I would pick up a figure every week. I'd go into Trent's, get an action figure birthdays christmases that was it it was an x-wing or a land speeder or a land of the jawas or you know and big christmas big present was like a falcon or something like that and so yeah it was i i, I amassed quite quite a big kind of collection as a kid and I'm was, actually, you, was oh, you still picking them up come return of the jedi and stuff oh, you're yeah, getting yeah, a little yeah, older yeah. you were still full into it oh yeah through the whole way through i, I suppose jedi was 83 so I would have been sort of 12, 13. So it was kind of time perfect. It was the sort of time when you kind of, you know, toys are weighing in and you just kind of started getting into, you know, your exams are coming up at school. Women have made an appearance and you understand what's going on with them and you kind of start leaving the toys behind. But at sort of 13, 14, we were still seeing the tail end, you know, the last 17 were coming out and uh, and that was when I was starting to sort of stop buying stuff. Um, in fact, I can remember as well, I can remember the last ever Star Wars toys I bought as a kid and again, it was in Trent's and we had the last 17 come out and I went in there and the last couple I ever picked up was the Death Star Gunner uh, and a man man that was the last two I ever picked up and they would have been on Troy logos with the £1.59 sticker and I've still got the card back I've still obviously got the figures but I've still got the card backs for those two because when I was a kid when I took the bubble off I loved it all so much I kept the card backs and I literally put the card backs in a folder and to this day I've probably got about 
50 or 60 card backs that I bought as a kid from various toy shops when I was, you know, six going through to 13. Um, so, and I can conclusively say, because I catalogued um, the weapons that I had with them as a kid. So my Death Star Gunner definitely came with a blue blaster, not a black one in the Troy logo. So mm-hmm. when it comes to people saying you have to have a black blaster for a gunner or an A-wing pilot, well, not if you're in England. <laughs> I'm quite happy with a blue one. I've actually got them carded pair with the force. But yeah, back in the day, Troy logos were absolutely 100% shit with just normal blue end or blasters um yeah but that was the last two i ever bought oh god i should have split them all up i remember looking at yak face and thinking what the hell's that no way should have bought about 50 of them i could retire now <laughs> how much pocket money did you get as a kid like i, I only got 20 <laughs> pence and a lump of coal once a month i lived down south rich we had like you know we were given pheasants and like lamborghinis and stuff yeah, like that sounds <laughs> like it. yeah no pa- pound a week uh, mate pound a week you say the last two figures you bought there, a man a man and the gunner. Yeah. So you're talking 85, 86 then. Yeah, so I suppose, yeah, that would have been the last one. would have been, yeah, that would have been the last, the very last ones I bought, yeah. Do you remember seeing the Ewoks and the Droids lines for sale in the UK? No, not at all. But again, that's not to say that they weren't there because that, that was really it. You know, for me, then I was sort of 13, 14 and I'd stopped really going into toy shops. So the last actual physical range you know that hit was that it was that troy logo last 17 after that i kind of stopped really going in for a few years so yeah but could no, never remember seeing them myself but that's not to say they weren't there so when and why did the bug bite again oh god it didn't like it didn't stop for long because basically i love the toys so much of all the toys I had, I, I loved my Star Wars toys, and we lived um, in an old 1950s bungalow in the UK, which is kind of the reverse of America, where you get huge basements. We had huge lofts, you know, it was all open plan lofts then. So these toys that I, I loved, basically they went up into the loft. But what happened when I was given them as presents or when I bought them, we, I'd take them out of the packaging, and the packaging would go up into the loft just in case anything was wrong and it had to be returned. And because we had such a kind of big open plan loft, they just stayed up there, so cut forward to kind of around 84 85 where i finally stopped buying them i literally put them all up into the loft put them back into their boxes and just left them up there it's like well some of my other toys like action force and action man i just sort of sold off at general sales and things like that or gave to me friends kid you know or younger kids in the family but the star wars toys i love them so much i would never get rid of them so they went into the loft and just sat there um, and I could, it wasn't very long because uh, I started doing my apprenticeship um, and it would have been, so I would have been around about, I went to college for a couple of years and did my apprenticeship. So I would have been around about 18, 19. Uh, and I remember I got uh, Model and Collectors Mark, which was a magazine back in the day in the UK. Um, a bit like Toy Shop, I suppose, in the States, similar sort of uh, magazine. And I remember seeing the first adverts for the Chesham and Stevenage shows, which Jason Joyner runs, um, which is where I've met a lot of the guys, you know, that I'm friends with to this day. Um, and I can remember saying to my mate, oh, that was quite interesting. I've still got a bunch of Star Wars toys up in the loft. Let's, let's go along and see what it's all about. So a mate of mine I was doing my apprenticeship with, we drove up to London, hit one of the shows, um, had a look round, and I saw a yak face there um, amongst a few others. And I was like, oh, I'd never had a yak face as a kid. And I was like, well, I'm only probably whatever it would be, sort of five or six of the last 17 away from finishing off a complete run. 
So I picked a yak face up, and I can remember my friend. I bought this yak face, uh, and I can remember my friend looking at me going, "What? Hair? Why are you spending that amount of money on a little bit of plastic?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, it's good." And this was an absolutely mint, untouched yak face, and it was twenty quid. Uh, uh, I, I wish I'd have bought four hundred of them. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I bought bought the yak face, and, and that was it. So I would say it was only kind of sort of fourteen, fifteen ish. I stopped buying the stuff, still kept it all, and probably eighteen, nineteen, I picked that yak face up, and that was it. I was hooked then. Um, so I was probably only out of it for maybe two or three years. Um, yeah, luckily, luckily um, I'd never got rid of all my original collection I had as a kid. They were in the boxes were in pretty immaculate condition because again I'd taken the toys out and they'd just gone straight upstairs, you know, straight into the loft just in case. Um, so reunite everything together, picked up the few loose figures that I needed, and then started seeing all the stuff um, that was available that had come from the states that we'd never seen. Things like the Kenner Death Star, Rebel Command Center, things like that. Obviously, these were starting to populate the shows in the uk and all of a sudden micro collection we now never saw any of that we were just like wow you know this is all, all new to me and i just started picking stuff up and obviously back then it was a hell of a lot cheaper than it was now and i remember picking up from jim stevenson who a lot of the guys on here all remember who's a I used to buy a lot from jim he's a good guy i think he's too well at the moment which is a shame but he was a really nice guy and every time I used to go there, I used to have a nap with Jim and I'd pick something up. And I picked up a absolutely mint, factory-sealed micro-collection Millennium Falcon. I think it was like 140 quid or something like that, 150 quid. Absolutely crazy prices back then. I can remember as well, in those early fairs, um, basic dealers were still buying um, cases of action card and action figures uh, that were overstocked. I remember... There was a guy in Chesant in the top left-hand corner. I can't remember what his name was. Um, but he used to bring in cases of action figures, last 17 and stuff like that. And we'd just literally slit them open there. And we were buying them like a tenner a pop. Carded Lumats, Paploos, uh, Lando, um, General, stuff like that. Just literally, absolute case fresh. Open the case up, tenner a pop. We were all just buying them. <laughs> Crazy days. Crazy days. Andy, um, a couple of collectors that we've spoken to have given with varying accounts of what it was like back then. We've had some say you still had to go hunting, you still had to, you could go to cardboard fairs and find nothing still. Whereas others have said that you could go there with a bin bag and basically fill it up every single time they went. Um, what are your what are your memories of going to these different places? Were the <laughs> were the times that you would go there and there was literally nothing, or was it uh, really uh, you know the utopia? Yeah, it was the utopia um, back in because it would have been, I suppose, what we're talking probably eighty nine, something like eighty eight, eighty nine, nineteen ninety. Um, yeah, you hit any kind of jumble sale or car boot, and, and absolutely guaranteed there would be Star Wars stuff there. Um, not necessarily still boxed or carded because it was kind of the stuff that kids had played with. Um, well, I can definitely remember hitting jumble sales and picking up various. Um, box ships and box play sets and things like that for p- pence, you know, t- 10p for like a, la- a box Palatoy Land of the Jawas and things like that. And I definitely had a few of those, um, which I would sell on, you know, I was picking these, not not a lot, but I was picking up anything I could. Again, going to the Chesant and the Stevenage shows, um, I was friendly with the dealers there because obviously I was buying and we basically trade and I'd have a few bits and pieces for them to bring the prices down. And yeah, so it was, from from being around there where we were, it was it was pretty heavily available. 
Um, and it, but it wasn't. I remember it wasn't very long. It was probably say eight ninety one ninety two. By then, not in a not in the sense that it is now, where even you know the general public, everybody, you know, everybody's grand's dog knows that the stuff's worth money. But it was just that turning point where people were like, oh. But yeah, and, and for me, yes, I definitely saw quite a lot of stuff around in the late eighties, early nineties. People started buying stuff back then, keeping them as corded figures as well. Even back eighty nine, yeah. ninety, they were doing yeah. that with the intention of displaying them or or storing them away to be kept perfect. Uh, I think that fifty uh, fifty, I would think you know a lot of guys like me were buying them to have it in addition to the loose figures, just to display them. Um, but you could see there was definitely a trend. I think where because they were still around and they'd lasted, you know maybe 10, 15 years, people were starting to twig on that, oh, you know, these, these are quite cool, these are collectible. Oh, yeah, I remember having them as a, you know, my son had them as a kid. And I think there was a definite turn there where people were starting to pick them up and not open them. Uh, and people were picking up still the old few bits and pieces of overstock or stuff that had been left in toy shops and not slicing the, the carton open, just slashing them away and, you know, things like that. So, and, you know, various toy shops, I guess, would shut, you know, a few did in our area. I remember picking a few bits up when actually when Trent's turned into Beaties, um, I can remember going in, I don't know when that was, but I can remember going in and out on the shelves, um, they had a few, Star Wars bits and pieces there then it was obviously what they'd had in their storeroom when they were being bought out by another company they just raided the storeroom and and put this stuff out on the shelves and there was I remember there were some Lima trains which from back in the day you know from like ones that had been brought out four or five years earlier some Action Force bits and pieces and some Star Wars bits and pieces and that would have been probably we were probably talking like I said 92 maybe 93 something like that so into the 90s here and there there was still stuff available you know on, on shop shelves amazingly i remember i was chatting with a mate of mine the other day and he was saying the last star wars items he found i think it was in 2000 and he was on holiday in turkey and he still saw return of the jedi carded figures just on the peg in 2000 he did actually buy everything <laughs> <laughs> just every single Star Wars figure that the shop owner had just went into his suitcase. <laughs> so, something that's um, is a bit irrelevant to what we're talking about, but when Toy Tony broke, yeah. uh, the thread on Star Wars Forum UK, Joyner stated on there that it was quite well known across those fairs for people that were going regular that he was making these. Do you, do you remember anything at the time that this bloke was knocking these things up? Uh, do you know what? I, d- I don't remember anything of him making them but i because it was obviously tony emptywitz and i can remember remember his store like you know like it was yesterday he was a couple of always a couple of tables along from jim stevenson um and i can remember seeing that he had always had some really stupidly mint carded figures but they i don't know there was always a little bit of a you know they just didn't strike people as right and there was always a few rumors that there was you know overstock bits and pieces so I would guess, no, I never really had the rumour that he was putting them together, but I definitely caught the gist of there were basically separate pieces available and that Tony Emchewitz was, don't buy from him. <laughs> not for want of a better word, not in a nasty way, but it was always that kind of vibe, like, mm, where's Tony got them from? So fortunately, I'd never bought anything from Tony because I'd always buy from Jim or Darren Simpson, uh, obviously Stephen Lane of Prop Store fame. A lot of you guys who are probably aware of Prop Store, probably not aware that Stephen started off as a toy dealer. Um, Stephen's a big vintage Star Wars toy fan. He still collects to this day. He's got a very nice 
selective collection. Um, and yeah, Stephen started out at those fairs, so those were kind of the dealers really I was gravitating to because they had the best pieces. And by then, I kind of got all the carded and you know the sort of standard runs that I wanted, and was moving on to the more eclectic stuff. So what Tony had didn't really interest me. Thank God. <laughs> also, we just burn it now. I know you're um you're quite into your props, but do you still actively collect toys? Oh, absolutely, mate. Yeah, absolutely. It's still, even though I've got a massive collection, there's always variants, there's odds and sods, and it's weird. weird. There's a few little gaps in my collection, like the the six pack box I bought the other day, and there's still a couple of little things I do need to pick up. And it's weird, like my white tie, my box white tie fighter. I've got one, but it really is a bit ropey. And it, I've, for some reason, I've never, ever managed to get hold of a really nice mint-sealed white TIE fighter. So I still need to pick one of those up one day. Crazily, again, I never finished my 12-inch boxed figure run. Um, I just need a couple. I think I need a Stormtrooper and a C-3PO in box. So I'll pick them out, those up at some point. But, you know, it's so much to collect, even collecting back from the 70s all the way through. I'd, I'd never managed to amass an absolutely 100% complete collection. I don't think really anybody has, even the likes of Gus and Steve Sansweet and the guys. I don't think they're, you know, there is so much merchandise made for Star Wars, you know, and if you're into it, across all the kind of availability of collectibles, you know, if you like whatever, soap and cereal and figures and books and cards, and you, you, you can collect forever, and you know, but... Unless you unless you were in a bazillion pound, plan to live on being seven thousand years old and live in a mansion the size of Buckingham Palace, I don't think you're ever going to finish your collection. What do you think about the price rises? Ah, the million dollar question. Um, as a collector, I wish everything was worth five p because I could have the lot. Oh, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's it's good to see that this stuff is being valued as collectible art you know and that's what it is really you know that whether it be a, a mark's tin robot or a lionel train set or you know the, these things have cultural significance you know and it's good to see that finally people are realizing that someone who's kept a, a 12 back vader you know that's no mean feat to have kept it in a good condition that amount of time and it should be worth a commensurate amount of money you know and i think the public perception now is is catching up with with how rare and how valuable and how important these pieces are um so yeah from that point of view that's great it's great that it's getting to the public you know psyche and everyone appreciates it from a selfish collector point of view uh, i don't know (laughs) i still want to buy everything so i wish it was all i wish i could still go around the car boot sales and jumble sales and pick it all up but not to be now, you've already alluded to uh, the Hoff Rebel Soldier being your favourite figure. Um, we had you on last time, you discussed it. Is this a, a focus figure as a collector for toys? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I kind of fell into it. I know for uh, us old school guys, kind of focus really it isn't the word. We just kind of ran out of things to buy and... <laughs> variants of bits and pieces you end up you know i suppose what do i feel i've got about half a dozen 10 land speeders somewhere in various boxes i've got i think i've got four palatoy death stars in like the kenner toll toys palatoy packages i've got umpteen rebel soldiers and yeah so it's it's just something i, I drifted into because i love the hoth rebel soldier and you know it's my favorite character um as an action figure later on and you know i love the hoth scenes and loved empire um, I kind of decided to get a few variants of those back in the day. So I had obviously like the Palatoy you know, um, and the Kenner normal one, and a few different Kenner card backs, and then 
a few bits popped up over the years, especially, you know, when over the last few years, it's shaken a few things from people's collections. So I've got a QC sample and a, I've got a revenge proof, um, bits and pieces like that, odds and sods. Um, so, yeah, it, that, I kind of fell into that. And obviously, prop-wise, it kind of made sense with having the original pieces from the Hoth Rebel Soldier, you know, the gloves and the goggles and the weapons and things. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I do kind of focus on that now. Something I wish some of the pieces that I saw back in the day, all you guys got to do is look at Brock's um, collection of Hoth Rebel Soldier stuff. And I kind of wish I'd tuned into it a bit earlier, um, you know, when things were a lot cheaper and more of the hard copies and more of the proofs and things were readily, readily available. But it's still a nice collection. And I've got the original props. So that kind of trumps it all. With regard to prop collecting, it's not something I've, I've ever touched on. Uh, I've had the old browse, but is prop collecting purely for people with deep pockets? <laughs> uh, can I plead the Fifth Amendment here? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> ah, no. To be honest, no. No. Um, I mean, you, it, it depends what your aims are. Obviously, if you want something iconic and recognisable to the vast majority of the public, then yes, you, you need deep pockets. It's simple as that. You know, you are not going to get a Stormtrooper helmet for 500 quid. That's not going to happen. You know, it's... But there's plenty of other things to, to focus on, you know. And some things I say to people, you know, people say, oh, we can never collect props. We can never collect... Oh, the toys are so expensive. They're so... That, do you know what? You can make a great cabinet where it may be some smaller props, a few carded figures, a couple of loose figures, put them into a display cabinet, display them properly, you know, with some nice etched plaques and some nice you know, frames and bits and pieces and nice cabinets. And it looks a million dollars and you haven't had to spend a million dollars on it. But yeah, if you want the, the higher end recognisable props, they have got a little bit out of control now. They've got a bit silly, really. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of it. Example being the, the Crate Dragon Mill. I've sold a few of the Crate Dragon Have you got, you guys got one? You got one, Stuart? I think you got oh, one. I one off you, yeah. I bought you one yeah. off you at uh, Farthest From. Yeah, which were very, very reasonable. Those are, for people who don't know, I went over to Tunisia, um, would have been in the mid-1990s and brought a load of bits and pieces back. I bought a, a vertebrae piece from the Crate Dragon and parts of Luke's homestead. And sifting through the dunes out there, I found a few, a few. well, I found a bag full of basically bits of the Crate Dragon skeleton, which I brought back in over the past couple of years. I've made, uh, I mounted a few of those up uh, into displays and, um, and sold them very reasonably, I believe. Um, just so the guys can get a bit of original props, you know, for not a lot of money, you've got something that was used in Star Wars that I dug out of the desert 20 odd years ago, which is pretty cool. Did you, um, you probably had to dig for that, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah. We hired, oh, I, went out, I think it was, you know, I, I'm, I have lost, I haven't got any of the paperwork from the holiday. Uh, it was 20 odd years ago, so I can't remember. Well, I think it would have been, I think it was around, it was up between 95 and 98. So, I, but I know it was before they started building the sets for Phantom Menace, so whatever around about 96, 97, I think. It was the same sort of time that Brandon and Gus and David West Reynolds and all those guys went out there, and Philippe's from France went out there. Um, yeah, we went over there, and it was this was before the kind of tourism trade hit over there. Um, so at the time, my girlfriend at the time spoke French, um, and in Tunisia, they their second language is, well, the sort of main language is French. So as soon as we can actually talk as soon as you can actually speak to them in French they kind of they're, they're very interested and you can you know, have a proper chat with them so we ended up hiring one of the Bedouins for a week um, and basically went off into the desert and he took us around we hired to hire camels to get out there um, so we went out to the Dune Sea um, by towing out around Tozer I found all the sites the um, city Bulal the canyon where Raiders was filmed and where um, the Jawas jump out on R2 
and it was literally a case of sifting through stuff in the desert. You know, the Bedouin guy was taking us out. I would show the locals pictures of Star Wars, and they were like, oh. And then I went into one Bedouin. I mean, it's it's it really it's in the Sahara. You know, it's in the middle of nowhere. You could, we could drive for two hours and see nothing. You know, just a dirt road base, and then you'd come across a little encampment. And um, I remember we went into one hut, which was near the filming sites where they did the Dune Sea. Um, and in that uh, little hut they had there, they had a fruit bowl in the corner um, with like a few limes and a, whatever it was and peaches and whatever in it. And the fruit bowl was actually an upturned piece of crate dragon vertebrae. It was a complete vertebrae piece for the crate dragon that they turned upside down and were using it as a fruit bowl. So I, I bought that off of them for, God knows, it was like nothing like $5 and a crate of water. Was They thought they would win, win the lottery. And uh, once I had that, I was showing the locals, you know, this is what we're after. And they were sifting through the dunes. But what, they, what was also interesting, they also already had bits and pieces of this because the locals, they actually used the fiberglass that was used to create the crate dragon um, skeleton, which was, in, interesting enough, it was the um, skeleton of the brontosaurus from Disney's One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. The production had bought it and actually shipped it out to Tunisia to use as the crate dragon. But they would take the pieces of fiberglass and they would actually burn them and sniff basically the fiberglass resin so they'd glue sniff and get high off <laughs> these pieces of great <laughs> dragon so it was their drug of choice and so they were they were quite happy to be digging these out of the you know the, the sand dunes because for them it was like basically <laughs> digging free drugs out of the sand so you'll notice i've shown a few guys a few of the pieces i've got have got singed edges on them and that that's why because the tunisians were getting high to them back in the back in the 70s and 80s and 90s um so yeah we were literally going through and digging through huts i remember we went to, out to one hut and the guy was using part of um the skywalker garage like the the support structure with like the lozenges in it he was using a big section of that as a prop to hold his door open just as an actual like a, a bit of wood and i bought that off of him and we brought all that back on the plane we got some interesting looks couldn't do it nowadays but <laughs> myself and my girlfriend at the time we had like a suitcase under one arm and under the other arm we had like a crate dragon bits of luke's homesteads or a crate dragon bone balanced on our shoulders and everything just walking into the plane and putting them into the overhead lockers <laughs> i think they quite let you get away with that nowadays you you said you found a piece of homestead out there as well yeah yeah have you pulled the- that off the wall Andy, come on. Oh, no, 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 that was the one the guy was using as a prop. It was, um, he was using it to hold his front door open. Um, they, it obviously got <laughs> smashed up years earlier. And yeah, he was using it. They were, these guys were just using bits of it, you know, bits of set dressing as, as, as their own homes. I think, you know, after the Phantom Menace was filmed out there, I mean, they went mad on that. I think half of their homes out there now were built out of set, wood, set dressing from episode one. Did you go back out there and try to find more no, props after? No, uh, no, I know Gus went out and a couple of the guys went out there. Um, but then it wasn't long after that that the unrest started over there. And obviously, you know, it was getting pretty dangerous to go over to that part of the world. So, no, unfortunately, I haven't been back, which is sad, really, because it's a, it's a lovely place to visit. And to tell you a little story, actually, this will show you how sort of nice they are there. We were we were looking to for a city, Bulal, which is the canyon um, where the Jawas capture R2 and where Harrison Ford takes the Lost Ark, where he ambushes it with the bazooka, etc. And we went into the, the local town and completely lost. I had no idea where we were. And there was a, a policeman there, a Tunisian policeman, directing traffic in this roundabout in the middle of the town. So I thought, well, we'll try and figure out where we are, try and speak to him. So we pulled over, went over to this guy, this policeman, and sort of showed him pictures of Star Wars and, and City Bu- Canyon, City Bulal, you know. And he, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, nodded, yeah. And he was like, come, come me, you come me. And he just left the traffic, left, stopped directing the traffic, came over, got in our car and said, right, okay, we go, we go. And he basically directed us for about a quarter of an hour 
down the road, out, out through this town, out the city below, to where the canyon was. It took us all the way out there to where this was, got to the set, got out of the car, said, you're here now, enjoy, and just wander back and hitch the lift back. Can't really see an English policeman or American policeman doing that, but... That's the kind of guy, you know, people they were. They had absolutely nothing, but they would they would share it with you. It was it's sad, really, that it's so dangerous over there now because they were lovely people. Well, I, th- I think it's been opened back up again now, hasn't it, in the last couple of months? It, it um, has, yeah, but it's. It, I, I wouldn't like to be the first, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I know they're doing tours um, because we've looked into it for pricing and that, um, but you, you've got to pay for an armed guard to accompany you. Yeah, if Which... a, a, any holiday where I have to pay for somebody to come around with a machine <laughs> and make sure I don't get killed doesn't really strike me as a holiday, personally. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I know there's some areas in Magaluf and Benidorm where you've got to do that, but that's just personal choice, you know. Some areas in Newcastle, you've got to do it. Yeah, some areas where we are where you got to do that as well. In fact, I think I've seen a few armed guards at far this from. So going back to the props then, so a beginner's level, there's not going to be a great deal they're going to be able to pick up. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd be, there's some nice pieces. I mean, you know, obviously I, I spoke about Stephen Lane, who's a lifelong friend of mine who owns and runs Prop Store, and you guys are all well aware of the Prop Store guys, and we all hang out together. And um, But, you know, you, you look on their website, and there's stuff, you know, from a couple of hundred quid and upwards. It's, you know, it's not going to be a, a Chewbacca mask or a Han Solo costume, but there's some beautiful artwork, you know, things like storyboards, um, production art and things like that that start off at very reasonable prices and, and they look great. You know, you get these up on the wall, they're all framed up nice and, and you know, you can make a start, you know, and, you know, a couple of nice bits of storyboard art and maybe a bit of crepe dragon bone and you might be lucky enough to pick up a, I don't know, a, a blueprint from somewhere from somebody and it's it, it looks great, you know, it's a start of a a nice little collection of something that's different to the norm. You know, it's it's original production used memorabilia. It's something that wasn't mass produced. You know, it's something that's stood the test of time. And yeah, you can you can pick these pieces up reasonably. So I wouldn't let I wouldn't let the fact that you haven't got deep pockets put you off. You know, and it's it's a lovely piece to have in a focus if you've got say I don't know a Darth Vader focus. What's better to have than a maybe an original Darth Vader, Darth Vader production new storyboard signed by Robert Watts or someone like that, or John Dykstra, or you know, and these pieces are available and they're great, you know, great, great, great pieces. What's the, um, what are the what are the prices like compared to other movies? Um, oh, r- ridiculous! <laughs> if you get into the higher end sort of things, it's you know, um, I mean, we were the, the Thai pilot helmet that went what a couple of year, a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, it was hundred hundred eighty thousand pound. Um, quarter of a million dollars sort of touch you know you've seen the TIE fighter model that came up in profiles in history again that was another one I think they did three hundred thousand dollars um you know you, you're talking astronomical amounts of money you know um but for every piece that goes through uh, multiple hundreds of thousands there's pieces that slip through for a thousand you know there was a couple of bits I think you know a year ago I kind of kicked myself afterwards in the prop store auction actually it was um there was an, a production, it wasn't filmed, but it was production made. It was an Atat head. It was unfinished, but it looked absolutely amazing. Made by the guys at ILM, just never made it through to production. And I think that went through the auction and it ended up just going for like £2,000, I think, which to me, I thought was absolutely ridiculously cheap. And in hindsight, I wish I'd have bought it. <laughs> it was a, a really cool piece of, you know, model miniature work from the ILM guys. And, so, so things do slip through, you know, not than that. But comp- again, comparing them to anything else, you know, a, a Thai pilot helmet does quarter of a million dollars. You've got maybe I don't know 
a helmet from Starship Troopers does three hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, there's even higher end, you know, pieces like recognizable. Let's uh, take a recognizable helmet from another franchise, and maybe like Mister Spock's spacesuit helmet from Trek from the movies might do ten thousand dollars. You know, a Stormtrooper helmet does a hundred thousand dollars. So there's you know ten times as much as a kind of rule, but. You know, these Star Wars is the the franchise that end all start all franchises. It's just sort of head and shoulders above everything else. You know, there's always interesting things like Star Trek and aliens and raiders and these type of things. And uh, but Star Wars just seems to really, really have stood the test of time. And if you're a Star Wars prop collector, it's a it's a pretty hard and lean time at the moment, unfortunately. How do you authenticate these items? And because we've seen certain items that have come out from the Kenner factories yeah. where we've got guys who are now photocopying them or or selling items that, that have been photocopied by the Kenner guys. Yeah. So if you've got a storyboard of a blueprint, I mean, I mean, I've seen quite a lot of these myself. And I'm looking at them thinking, right, how, how do I know or how do you guys know that these are the genuine items? Because I, I don't know, the cynic in me is waiting for the big, huge prop props you know scandal you know <laughs> well there's been a few of them mate don't <laughs> worry about that but uh, it's just provenance and sources everything absolutely everything um you know there's a lot of the stuff i've get i get i've got directly from got from crew guys you know and this was before it all kind of became worth money so you know it would be a case of you know i'm quite good friends with a lot of guys that worked on on the original star wars trilogies through this you know i'd but find someone who had a prop, have a chat with them, got, get to be friends with them, they'd say, oh, my mate might have something wrong, and have a nat with them, and these guys are so interesting. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, getting pieces from the original guys back in the day was the kind of way to do it. Unfortunately, nowadays, with newer productions, you know, the crew guys have kind of caught on to the fact that this stuff's worth money, so it becomes a bit more difficult to authenticate production items, but, you know, there's, there's still towels with stuff, with the props again, being friendly with the guys who made them, with the crew guys, there's little towels on everything. Like any, you know, good antique dealer, you know, these guys made them in a specific way, put specific materials in, specific strengthening points in, and nobody other than the original guys who made them will know this. You know, you've got some good replica makers out there, but when you've held an original prop in your hands and had a good look at it, you'll, you'll understand there's, there's, there's something about it. There's just something, you know, I, I can pretty much having handled these things extensively for years and years and years, you, you, you kind of instantly can tell whether something's got age to it or not. And, um, you know, a lot of things, like you said, the, the storyboards, pretty much all of those, the ones that we, I've had come through my hands or have come through, have actually come through in what's called storyboard board Bibles. So the guys, pretty much everybody in the departments had a Bible, a storyboard, so they'd have just a normal A4 folder for whatever scenes they were working on with all their boards in it because, the, you know, whether they were a miniature guy or an effects guy or a stunt guy or whatever, they or an art guy, they needed guidance. You know, they'd have core sheets and storyboards so they knew who was going where, what time, who was picking them up, what they were trying to do so they could visualise it in their head. They'd have storyboards. And, you know, a lot of the boards that you see, for instance, on the Prop Store London sites, um, those come from those Bibles. You know, we would buy an entire Bible from a crew guy um, and then, you know, part them out, you know, you would, and the provenance is impeccable, you know, is the ones that he had stuck in his loft that he'd been using to make the scene 25 years ago. But 
yeah it is it, provenance is everything source is everything um you need to be a detective you need to be an antique expert you really you need to be an industry expert as well and um fortunately you know i've got a lot of friends in the industry i've actually worked uh, in my engineering capacity um in the industry a bit myself in theater and rigging design and stuff over the years um so all, all that helps you know in in being able to ascertain what a piece truly is but um it's just it's like being a detective you have to be a detective it's no different to a piece of art or an antique piece of furniture or an antique stradivarius you just need to trace it back trace the source trace its provenance trace the material um and do do your homework and do your due diligence um you know and obviously there are a few companies out there that sell props that do that for you you know there's some good uh, companies out there with guys that are absolutely 100% legit and working in the industry and that these these are the people, you know, if, you, if you're not able to do it or if you don't have that kind of knowledge yourself, you know, you need to go to these people and most of them, you know, are very willing to lend a hand and, and help you and impart their knowledge to you. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not easy <laughs> and it helps me uh, doing it for sort of 20, 30 years um, and, you know, having a hand in the industry helps. Um, but yeah, I can see how it's quite daunting to somebody who's just starting up. But like any hobby, you need to put in the miles and put in the time. Is there a lot of reproduction out there? Um, less than you would think. Shocking enough, it's it's you know, if if you're getting from the right sources, back in the day, those guys didn't really know this was worth anything, you know, and they just chuck it up in the loft. Um, and to to physically fabricate a prop is hard, you know. It's it's you know you see that with action figures you know a lot of people now are trying to rapid prototype action figures um and, and doing it very poorly you can't do it you know to uh, to go out and actually create a, an injection molding die and get it right it is massive amounts of money and investment in your machinery and the dies and things like that and it's you know no different from the prop world you can you can make some out of cardboard rolls and a bit of resin and a bit of latex here and there but anybody in you know who's familiar with this stuff will instantly know it's not correct you know to to go and craft something and build a mold um is difficult and to get it absolutely spot on to a screen use piece when you haven't got the blueprints or the plans or measurements to hand it is difficult um so I guess that's why, fortunately, there's not a monstrous amount of it about. But it does happen, you know, some, from time to time, moulds have become available or, or people have taken moulds off of original props. Um, and, yeah, you have to be aware of it. But, you know, again, it's all down to source. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a minefield. <laughs> but stick yeah, with us and you'll be all right. That's good. So, really, when you're buying these things, always use a, a reputable company. Yeah, or uh, and and don't be afraid, you know, to to have a chat with with more than one person. You know, reputable companies are great and they're fine and they're reputable, but the same as all of us, they all call in other guys who may be experts in it. You know, it's the the, the more people you can get to have a chat with who know these things inside out, the, the more more forearmed you'll be. Do you collect movie props outside of Star Wars, or is it, are you purely Star Wars based? Absolutely everything. I'm sat here at the moment in my lounge and I'm staring at Al Pacino's suit from Carlito's Way. Uh, uh, what's over my shoulder is Lisette Anthony's uh, main costume from Krull, which is next door to Malcolm McDowell's suit from Gangster Number One. So, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> a wide and eclectic range of props. Yeah. Well, Andy, if you need to raise some funds, when before you said that you wish everything was 5p for a Star Wars <laughs> item, I'll, I'll give you £5 
for each one, and then perhaps you know you can make ten times, well, more, more than that, hundred times the money that you thought it was worth. If you, yeah, you know, so just let you know I'm interested. T- that sounds very tempting, Rich, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to uh, politely decline. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, wow. it's, yeah, no, I, I collect and and toys as well. It's not just you know I collect obviously the vintage indie toys, Battlestar, Black Hole. Uh, we've got a couple of He-Man bits floating around somewhere as well. So it's just just anything from that era I kind of grew up in. You know, funnily enough, literally last weekend where I where I work, um, the business that I own, um, just away from there, there's, a, there's actually a, car, a Sunday car boot sale, and uh, I went over there and I picked up a um, I think your Corgi James Bond Moonraker shuttle with the original satellite, and I was happy as a schoolboy. I only paid three quid for it in the car boot, but yeah, that still brings a big smile to my face. <laughs> uh, awesome. Awesome stuff, mate. Let's all go and buy a prop, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come and buy a come and buy the last couple of crate dragons I got left. I'm up. <laughs> and I went. You need a that. piece of that crate dragon, Rich. Mine's it's mine's on the wall straight ahead of me now, actually. And um, yeah, it's nice. Sets a room off, Rich. You could do with a bit of wall stuff hanging. Yeah. Well, I've yeah, only got three or four of them left now, I think, and then that's it. I've just uh, just got my big pieces that I kept for myself. So. I haven't yeah. bought one yet, I probably should do, but the reason why I haven't bought one is because I've just been worried where it'll lead. And it's the same <laughs> with um yeah, it's the same with it. exactly it's the same with storyboards and things like that. I mean if I seen if I saw something with R five on it, I would look uh, you know what, I probably would buy it. But then I would just be so panicking thinking, Oh, the second item's gonna come, a third item will come, a fourth item will come and uh you know, before I know it, I'll end up looking like Andy, and I'll be thinking, God, where, where's the years gone? I, I couldn't understand how I've aged so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but, it's bring, bring one down to Birmingham. Bring one down to Birmingham. I'll buy one at Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't even asked the price there, Andy. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a couple. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, Andy, uh, time has ticked on. It does it go quickly when you're just talking. Yeah, one thing yeah. I do always ask my interview guests is... If the uh, the Earth's got some disease and it's dying, and we're we're taking a shuttle to a new planet, uh, there's going to be no monetary value out there. But you've only got room for one piece of your collection on the shuttle. What piece are you going to grab, and why? Oh man, Do you know, if it's if it's absolutely strictly just one thing, then it would be my childhood Paratoid Death Star. I love that. I, I think that was basically the greatest toy ever made just from a um a manufacturing and design point of view and from a playability playability point of view i'm just in case anyone my, my background i'm an engineer i own an engineering company we do laser cutting and fabrication but i also um work in the industry i used to work in the automotive and the aerospace industry uh, and i worked in the um, entertainment industry designing theaters and rigging and things like that and 3d modeling them um, so I very, very much appreciate, you know, a product that's well designed and well thought out and out of, out of necessity, really. You know, Palatoy couldn't afford to use the plastics at the time. And to come up with something that's so, so simple, so cheap to make, but has such a massive amount of playability. As a kid, I loved it because you could populate it with your figures. As I sort of, you know, grew up and went through my engineering career, I just appreciated what an absolute master stroke of design it was. Um, so I think it would be, if I couldn't grab all of my entire collection of childhood action figures, then it would have to be my childhood Paradoid Death Star. That would be the piece that I'd take with me. Well, it'd probably get a bit soggy in the water on the way to the island, but we'd figure that out. <laughs> so uh, there's, a, there's an island on this planet. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah we're going to do an island, yeah, and it's got a bar and a beach <laughs> and a cinema. Celebration being announced, Andy, you... 
Planning on going? I'm packed already. I've got a, a bar stall reserved. Um, I'm seeing you and Rich in the bar uh, at half past seven on the first night. Um, by half past ten, we'll be rolling around the floor. Um, yeah, Darren McAleese is joining us. Yeah, the Swedes are coming over. Darren Simpson will be there. The prop store boys will be there. Gus will be there. Cannot wait. Bring it on. Yeah, precisely. Well, Andy, for this time, thank you so much for joining us and um, taking the time to chat with us. Always a pleasure. And it's always interesting to hear about the props because we don't get too many guests on that collect props. So it's always kind of a, a nicer nice niche kind yeah, of topic yeah, yeah we'll, have, we'll have to do it again I could you know I've got a million billion stories from the guys that worked on it as well that I've been lucky enough to hang around with and uh, yeah we'll have to we'll have to do it again and I can go into a bit more depth um, with some of the guys that I've been lucky enough to hang out with over the years who worked on the original trilogy and, and on the new films as well um, yeah we'll have to do it again <laughs> yeah definitely perhaps I even um, maybe even look at a, a kind of like a prop in that kind of area round table and get a couple of guests on together yeah, might be a yeah sure might yeah, be yeah. an option yeah mm-hmm. yeah but uh, well, for this month, mate, guys, you know that <laughs> yeah uh for this month mate thank you so much and um look forward to having you on again don't forget rich will pay up to 400 pounds for the piece of crate dragon <laughs> if i make it 425 then that's okay yeah i'll just push him a bit there you go yeah <laughs> i'm a northerner man you, you know i don't get pushed <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, four twenty-five to him is probably four pound twenty-five. Four pound twenty-five. Even that probably be a bit steep for him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on, mate! I got to buy my own props. I got to skin you. Yeah, I got. I got to scalp you, Rich. That's the only way I can keep buying props. <laughs> well, you, you know that's Ian getting blood out of a coal. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, thank you ever so much, mate. Really do appreciate it. No problem at all, guys. So uh, yeah, I'll see you all around, and I'll I'll bump into most of you at shows or wherever. So look forward to the. Uh, the next meeting and beer wherever it may be yeah Yeah, see you at Birmingham Mm -hmm. yeah cheers guys thanks a lot see you soon cheers Andy This month I want to talk about chromalins as part of the Kenna Code, an attempt to educate some of the newer members in the community. Whenever we look at anything at all to do with chromalins and proof cards and 2D packaging, we refer to Matthias's excellent A New Proof Book. So in here he's got a paragraph on chromalins and it states thus, A chromalin was a standard for package proofing during that time. It was created by mounting together transparency colour sheets, one colour per sheet. It gave a very good approximation of how the colours and packaging would look when printed. The chromalins had two major functions at Kenner. The first was to see if the colours were acceptable or they needed adjusting. It was also the last chance to proofread the text. If the chromalin was approved, it was then used by the printer as a colour guide and checklist when the actual printing plates were created. Chromalins were very expensive to create, so very few of these were done. Often, not more than two exist for any character or toy. A chromalin only shows one side at a time and has the registration marks and trim marks. The original chromalins were made in sheets of eight and many were later cut up into individual chromalins. 
Right, now let's go over to Jez for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. Yeah, we are back again. Before we crack into it, I just want to say thank you ever so much for keeping the spirit alive with new acquisitions over the months. I've really enjoyed listening as as a listener rather than taking part myself and doing all the editing, which I know Stu really enjoyed. Not, but thank you ever so much. So I've had to go back and have a complete look right from the beginning of the year, pretty much, because you know you guys have been covering stuff, but there may have been something which took my fancy. But it's the Star Wars Forum UK, as we always start off with. You wouldn't believe it. At the beginning of the year, January, they were on page 2,178 of their new acquisitions. They're now on page 2,243. What? That's incredible. Just bam, new acquisition, bam, new acquisition. We're going to start off, though. It's on page 2,230. Cardback Kid posted a Japanese pop-up book. It just looked fascinating. I love some of the Japanese stuff. I, I've got the theatre programmes, which we've spoken about, about before. But this is a fascinating book, which initially he showed the cover off, but then later on he showed some of the all-important inside pages, the pop-up stuff. Now, first of all, do any of you guys have any pop-up books, be it the Japanese or any of the other range? Not anymore. I think I had some as kids. But this this is like this is like the three D Karma Sutra. This is this is awesome. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, Sorry, is this yours? You know your bag, Pete. He, I mean, we mentioned Karma Sutra here, so you know I'm, I know that you've just put down your cutlery. What's what's going on? <laughs> I uh, I never had any other pop up books as a kid. I've got the Empire Strikes Back one now, and I think maybe a, a Jedi one. And I think they're they're brilliant. I absolutely love them. But uh, never as a kid. So I sent them a message uh, saying, you know, tell me a little bit about them. And, and please, can you send me some more pictures of the actual inside of the pages? Hi, Jez. So here's info I have on the pop-up book. Sorry, it's not a lot, but I don't really know much about it myself. It's published by Random House in 1978 and licensed by Bandai. He said he paid £70 posted from Japan for it. And he's now trying to put a run of the pop-up books together. And so far, this is the only one he's got. But he knows, and you can check this also on Star Wars Collector's Archive, there's UK, USA issues are fairly common. And there's also French, Italian, and an extremely hard-to-find Icelandic version. All of them with just gorgeous covers and just, you know, lots of fun on the inside. I particularly like the X-Wing page, which he's shown. He's saying the Icelandic version, there's only a few copies known. He's guessing there's a German version, but I haven't seen that. But there is a whole range of these, not just Star Wars ones, but you can see it on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, a whole range going through the different formats and going through the different uh, films themselves. He said there's 15 pages in total. All of the pages are great, but he loves the front cover. He said it screams vintage Star Wars and the Japanese writing makes it pop up. Unfortunately, he can't read Japanese, so he doesn't know if the book is different to the English version. But he's heard in the Icelandic version, they changed the names of the characters. Incidentally, having checked it, whilst there's the Colombian ones are on um, Star Wars Collector's Archive, the Japanese one isn't actually featured. That They don't have a picture of it. So, uh, yeah, Carbac Kid, why don't you contact them and uh, maybe get your picture uploaded onto the Star Wars Collector's Archive? 
what's cool is uh, is they do go into a little bit more detail and um with regards to some of the books but there's also an El, El Returno del Jedi which which is a great one Ewoks save the day which which I absolutely love so really really nice to see some of these pop up books I'm delighted that he put it on Star Wars Forum UK and uh, head over there and also to the Star Wars Collectors Archive. Nice one. Now, we've all been on Star Wars Forum for a while now, and Tiger Ham, or also known as Ham, was definitely one of the favourites, one of the active contributors to the forum when I first joined. Rich, I think you joined about a seri- uh, similar time, maybe, maybe earlier, maybe just after. You guys, Pete, Simon, you must all be aware of Tiger Ham, yeah? Yeah, he had. Did he have something? Baker's Gold Focus or something? That seems to ring a bell. I definitely yeah. remember seeing some really nice Baker's Gold that he had. Yeah, well, 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 Tiger Ham was there when I first started on the forums. So that might have been slightly earlier, but yeah, he had a he had a Biker Scout Focus, and he had a lovely collection. And in fact, you remember my Harbert R two or C one P eight? That's who I bought mm-hmm. that off. So you know, he he has some cracking stuff, and just got to a stage in his life where he's just like, Do you know what? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a break. Whether or not he, he said, I'm taking a break, but he, he was done with it and sold his stuff. So now, several years later, it's brilliant, particularly brilliant from my point of view, to see him back. But boy, he is back with a bang. So, so he's come back and said, yeah, yeah, I'm really up for this. And uh, I've just started buying some stuff. And very much like when collectors start uh, and they go along the whole nostalgia thing what they had as a kid you know i certainly started that way trying to pick up the things which i had a kid and, and re sort of reproduce my childhood he's done the same from a collecting point of view he's gone around now trying to buy back what it was he sold the things so he's showing off it is on page 2235 it's it's absolutely brilliant it's just he's just dropped some incredible items well not literally because obviously then that will just destroy them and you'd be crushed wouldn't you but yeah straight away the first one empire strikes back power droid 31 back which was uh he, he said the last purchase because he's really pushed the boat the boat out he's got a trilogo imperial gunner mint on cards he said the first one he had way back when had two guns in the bubble which is pretty cool this one's just got the one but he loves it it's near mint condition especially the bubble but he said it's these third and fourth ones which he had first time round, and he needed to get them again for his small R2 focus. He's once again got a Harbour R2-D2 12-pack. So, yeah, he had one, sold it to me. I then had to move mine on, and uh, he's bought another one. And he's also just bought a Trilogo pop-up R2. So he said this one goes brilliantly with his misguarded pop-up, which he got a while back. He saved the best for last. <laughs> best for last. He's just shown off a Harbour R2 and a pop-up. Um, it, it's cracking. Aiming to buy his loose Jawa collection. So this was a great start. Managed to get a Toll Toys VC Jawa. And as luck would have it, shortly after, he managed to get the right card back, which is a 41E. And he got it unpunched with a near-mint card and the bubble was still half-attached. So he's essentially put it all together. It looks like a great reseal of a Toll Toys VC Jawa on the correct card. He's delighted. He's just definitely back with a bang, and I'm delighted to see it. So, you know, we talk about people losing the love for a bit and saying, oh, I'm going to have a sabbatical. Well, he's done that, and, and he's come back, 
and it's great to see him and and uh, take all of his wealth and knowledge of of the Star Wars community and bring it back to the forum. So it's great to see you back, Ham, mate. I'm delighted. Yeah, I mean that's awesome, that Jess, because as you said, when you came back in the collecting, you wanted to recollect your childhood toys. So that oh, would have been like what a rebel troop transport and a couple yeah. of mini rigs. But for Tiger Ham to come back into the <laughs> hobby and pick up, I mean, even Sai and I have been discussing for three months or something about getting this Imperial Gunner. And he's bang, there you go, try a little Imperial Gunner with a 1.59 price ticker in a fantastic condition. You know, even then getting them at the right price is difficult to get. And then Hitler was something like a Toys Toys Final Cape Shower. Yeah, yes, you see them, but they're not easy to acquire. And that Harbot or two is absolutely amazing. What a way to reintegrate yourself back into the hobby. It's 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 awesome. And I hope he sticks around. I hope he doesn't burn out too fast, which many people do. It's great to see people do take a sabbatical and do come back again to keep it alive because it's it is easy to get a little bit, I don't know, all consumed by it, especially with Disney churning movies out like hot dogs. It's quite easy just to just to be overwhelmed by it all. So if in doubt, if you're beginning to feel like the love is going just take a little step back don't don't have a massive sell-off don't feel you need to have a massive sell-off although i've got to say that did work quite well for me and and before you know it you're back in the game and uh, everything's cool again awesome there we go nice one great to see you back ham we would be honored if you would join us and uh, yeah should we move on shall we so i'm gonna mix it about a bit a little bit crazy like that now, who's been talking to me about Lawrence Dyer buying all sorts of cardboard boxes again there? Si, sounds like your kind of cup of tea. Oh, come on. There's nobody that likes to buy an empty cardboard box like Lawrence does. He specialises in it. We'll be returning to this later in the market section uh, because this, this comes from a sale that I want to talk about more. But yeah, Lawrence has picked himself up another Palatoy Star Wars figure shipping case. And this one's just got history literally written all over it. It's absolutely fantastic, but I'm not going to ramble about it anymore. Let's listen to what Lawrence has got to say about it. I'm Lawrence Dyer. I was previously interviewed on, on episode 19 of the podcast. I think it was called Dyer Another Day. Due to the fact that I found out that my granddad was the architect for Palatoy's finished goods warehouse and there was nothing documented. So I spent three or four, five months researching it and put up a post which drew quite a lot of interest. Quite a significant piece of the Palatoy distribution network, which was really unknown about. Since then, few focuses and collecting differences have changed and less of the toys now, more into Palatoy distribution items, I, I guess you'd call them. Well, I'm pleased to uh, be able to introduce my latest acquisition, which is a Palatoy 96 figure, 84 Jedi Mix 1 shipping carton. Now, this shipping case was shipped to Fair Play Toys, which was 24 Belgrave Gate, Leicester. The box was at a local auction in Leicestershire called Gildings, which was in Market Harbour. It's quite an interesting box, actually, because it's got a variety of markings on. I think what I've determined now is I think these are his own markings from the store itself. So as he went along, maybe buying and selling, there were markings for, for what he had left. There's numerous markings, B-wings, numerous numbers around the box and all over the box. Even one of the top flaps says damaged, I believe it was, from memory. I'll have to go and have a look in a minute. Yeah, so it's a proper, proper life in the shop, this has. It's not just a shipping carton with with you know Frank Beach is put on it like some of the others I have or yeah so yeah I'm a weird person I have an interest in old smelly cardboard boxes as I call them I think that's number 10 now so that goes fitting with quite a few 48s it's my second 96 
bigger box, well as a Rancor and a Scout Walker, and I think I've got a Falcon box on the way. Obviously, all Palatoy, not interested in any of that Kenner product. I suppose it's the emotional bond. Uh, the shop, though, is quite interesting because I, I, I was unfamiliar with the shop. Being a Leicester lad, born and bred, Domino's was the, the big one. I went once too much, but it was one one step down from my gorums. You used to have a train running around the top three floors, packed with toys, and, and was the shop in Leicester back in my childhood. But I was unfamiliar with the shop, and, and the markings was there, uh, Bay Toys, which was in Leicester and, and on Belgrave Road, which is one of the main roads in right in the city. And unfamiliar, it's now a pound land. So I've done some research, not a lot. There was something on Thorsten's Nine Holy Grails website, oh, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. It's got a picture of the shop and the owner. Now, I think the owner's just passed and why all this, this stock has, has come to the uh, fore. And then I keep finding references to Wigston. So he must have had a shop in Leicester at some point. No idea how long. Maybe it was short-lived. From what I can sort of determine, the shop was from Wigston. That's what the auctioneer told me. The shop was from Wigston. So maybe he tried to expand and, and maybe it was a cash cow. I don't know. But yeah, and, and we have I found pictures of, you know, kids lining the streets for Vader's visit to, to the fair play in, in Wigston. So, yeah, unfortunately, not something I attended. Great if any listeners have attended and feedback. That would be amazing. Yeah, really impressive photo. So 10 boxes, some of boxes. This is it the pinnacle of them not too sure not too sure yet it's really interesting though if anyone has got any palatoy super cartons or memorabilia or, or even old envelopes i'm your man thanks very much for that lawrence brilliant another great acquisition following in your uh, grandfather's history so to speak and great research on the shop itself it's nice that it actually came from the local area that's brilliant Right, here we go. Back to Star Wars Forum UK, page 2238. Bargain of, well, just a bargain, generally. A-wing pilot, right? We're talking beaters. You know, you go off somewhere, and, and it doesn't have to be a beater, but a loose figure. Go to a convention, and what are they? I don't know. They're a little bit, aren't they? But an A-wing pilot. Talk to me, guys. Just, I don't know if you've seen this. What would you expect loose A-wing pilot to be? He says, grabbing tracker. Oh, 20 quid for a loose A-wing pilot, I would say. Probably miles out now with today's prices. But, you know, with an A-wing pilot, there's only Star Wars fans knows that the A-wing pilot is a Star Wars figure. Yeah, fair point. And it is the blaster, isn't it, which carries a lot of the weight for the complete figures. But here we go. goes by the name of, ooh, Tomatus Furia. Ooh, Thomas Furia. Thomas Furia on page 2238. 50p a wing pilot yeah that's a bargain good for you mate he said he just found it in a, in a shop and he was like yes ding dong i'll have that now i would have gone straight off and bought a lottery ticket seriously not you know not encouraging gambling all right because for some is you know is an illness but i would just say if you found yourself a 50p a wing pilot man, i go and uh, you know i'd definitely buy a lottery ticket what do you guys think would you be chuffed to bits or what it doesn't matter the condition for 50p he's not lost out even if you just used it as a diorama figure or something it's awesome it's yeah. it's yeah any any one of us would have bought that for 50p just to rescue it from the from the charity shop totally that's, that's an old school car boot sale 1997 bargain that is that that's brilliant that warms the cockles i don't care how many arms it's got for 50p i'd be having that do you want to know how much a current a-wing pilot goes for loose Oh, yeah. What is it? Incomplete, is this? Have you got that sort of data? 
no, no, not for, for obviously for a complete one. So oh, right, contacts, contacts, a loose one complete goes for an average of 136 pounds. Sorry, Pete, I think you okay. broke up there. It, it, it sounded like you said, sounded like you said 136 pounds. Can you say that again, mate? We must have had a Skype problem. It is 136 pounds average for an A1 pilot. What did we have the other week? Um, loose IG88 12 inches for 170 quid or something like that. And now we've got 136 pound A wing pilots. But do you balls. know what, mate? Well, no, no, no. The, the is, last four. Yeah. The, the last four, this, so uh, this is May, April, April, and, and March. 155, 142, 111, and 138. So all off eBay. Um, it's not the data. Are, are they graded? No, no, no. It's just a, that, that is a loose, complete A-wing pilot, obviously, with yeah. a gun. It's a blaster. That's what they're going for. I paid £100 to make hard one last year. I, I'm sorry, 136 quid. I don't give a toss what the track says. Balls. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what people are paying. That's what well, I tell you what, I looked for the last... Just because there's four of them doesn't mean that's what people are paying. That means that's what four people are paying, Pete. Okay, yeah, yeah. here well, we go. Let's just, have a look um... at the last, last year's data then. So, for the last okay. year, £118 average. The last year, so that's that's twenty two examples. So it's now twenty two people. Yeah, but that's including graded, isn't it? Surely. Oh no, that's not graded. Oh, what? I right. Okay, I'm on eBay. Sorry, eBay so this, is my bible. This this is something we talked about uh, the last couple of years that the the A wing pilot loose is going for more than the A wing pilot in you know in mint on card. Yeah, I did yep. notice well, that recently as well. Yeah, I mean here we've got a, a lovely tri logo A wing pilot. In fact, there's two, three, three of them all sold at £155. That's carded. You've got Power of the Force, as you say, doing less than 130 quid, and yet you scroll to the top, and the top four are graded A-Wing pilots, £165 plus. Right. Dude, I'm looking here. Sold on the 15th of April, a loose A-Wing pilot, minty, fresh, apparently. Uh, with weapon, one hundred and forty-two pound uh, plus yeah, postage. Another one, one hundred and thirty-eight pound uh, with eight pound postage, and and yeah, there are carded ones cheaper. Um, yeah. Oh my word, the weapon itself. I've got to say, the weapon. There's loose ones here without the weapon, selling for seventy, seventy-five, eighty pounds. Eighty pounds for a loose one without the weapon. A weapon here, just the weapon, one hundred and fifteen pounds from the states. That's redonkulous on toast. One hundred and twelve pounds. One hundred and twelve pounds. Yeah, I, re- I I retract my statements in terms of a wings because it's. I should have covered this in flavour of the month. This, this is you can't get an a wing pilot for less than forty quid. That yeah, eighty pounds for a uh, loose one, very good condition. I mean, don't get me wrong. The one he got had, had a little bit of standard sort of nose damage and whatnot. But yeah, mate, 50p, the guy got an absolute bargain there. I would say definitely I don't know, 20, 30 quid's worth. So from a, from a percentage increase point of view, boy done really, really well there. You don't need a gun anyway. It's rubbish. <laughs> rubbish gun. Did you ever see an A-wing pilot with a gun in the movie? Exactly. He didn't need a gun. What's he got to do with a gun? Shoot at... Um, I don't know, TIE fighters with it. A fighter pilot will have a small sidearm on them, yes, correct. What's what's the point of that? What, for, for crash landing on an asteroid and fighting yeah, off? Yeah, bang down somewhere. You know, if, you, if you're in an environment 
with an atmosphere and you you bang out somewhere and you won't have enough room in the cockpit for a long so you've got to have short with you that's just the way it well, is you, you can have a nice sandwich instead yeah i am gonna take you out with some up. indigestion <laughs> you, if you crash under the planet you don't want to go you want a nice sandwich yeah and a small bottle of scotch oh yeah. right yeah. what are you gonna do with a gun shoot yourself no, you want a sandwich, a picnic. If it keeps <laughs> going up in price like this, um, it's going to be worth my while actually finding that one that I dropped down the back of the radiator about three years ago. <laughs> it's going to be worth paying a plumber to replumb your house, Rich. Exactly. Yeah, I'll rip, rip the lambda phone out and go hunting down that back of the radiator. I think I might find that gun. Here's, uh, here's, here's one to scare Simon even further. A minty, a mint as mint can be, ungraded, in February 2017, went for £247 with loads of bids. It was so minty, it was mint beyond I mint. I don't understand this. This must be Seven's work or something, because what's going on? People like spending money on Star Wars figures. They love it. Why did They're you throw in cash. Why did you say Seven? Was he a bad Oh, shill bidder extraordinaire, sir. Who's the one that was selling minty loose figures like vaders for 90 quid ah, on right. bids i mean we can't yeah. single him out we've been picked off no, of before not. so other shill bidders are available you know but it's just he he's just the one you mentioned so yeah fine that that wasn't actually for show, but there we go I'd you don't want me to leave that in a lawsuit no right, yes, okay but just well you could just say <laughs> seven is an utter shill bidder allegedly and surely that's all right I don't know. I'm not really good. <laughs> yeah, just cut that out, Jez, yeah? Yeah, okay. that'd be easier, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, you know, for legal purposes, because yeah, yeah. Richard won't pay in the end. We'll just run away. Let's move yeah, on. we'll run away. Yeah. So there we go. Crack him. Well done, Thomas Furia. I wouldn't be furious at all. I'd be Tomo delighted. <laughs> right. Uh, lost right. Very, yeah, very, very poor. <laughs> very poor. <laughs> So, we go over. In fact, we don't go over. We stay on the same page. Jam-packed page full of bargains and greatness. TK7785. He's put a post on there. Sometimes you find the goods in the most unlikely places. Like this 1977 Sandica licensed poster at a 1940s themed country fair this weekend. Not in the best of Nick, but for seven quid I'll take it. So what he does, he shows off sandica swedish poster now, i hadn't seen this before cracking poster of r2d2 and c3po now before i go into the rest of the range and yes there is a range what you guys think of this what anything sort of struck out or jumped out at you with regards to this anyone done Jess, any? Jess, that poster would only look good in that condition it Ooh. suits the the, the the framing of the pitch you know c3po looks mangled and he's dripping you know leakage uh r2d2 looks a bit beaten up and the poster looks beaten up so it looks wonderful in that condition i I think that's the best condition frame it just like that it will give it such gravitas you don't want a mint version of that post don't look rubbish Um, i like your style mate i like your style this is actually the third time we've talked about this poster before so i'm a bit surprised you've said you've never heard of it this is the second version of that same poster because the first version is the one that had you know that pointy W? Pointy W. That, yeah, so we've talked about that before, about the first poster having the pointy W with the slightly larger Star Wars logo, and then the later ones have come with this style font on it. Yeah. 
but it, it's it's a really nice poster. Um, for seven pounds, you know, you, you kind of you kind of complain about that at all for you know a genuine nineteen seventy seven poster. So yeah, a nice item, great. I mean, you're right, there, there is a there is a full range, and was Scandicore licensed or were they did Lucasfilm just turn a blind eye to them? I can't remember if it was an actual license. Um, no, I'm sure without um, now without going back online and, and searching this that and the other, I'm, I'm sure I'd seen Lucasfilm at the bottom because this is a company mm-hmm. who who specialised um, specialised in in cinema posters. They did a lot of you know like Athena back in the day. They, yeah. they had loads of posters in the UK. Uh, according to Mateus, who put a post on, I think it was Rebel Scum. His, he initially thought it was a company who because it was Swedish only really specialised in, in the Swedish and sort of Nordic regions. However, they did make it over to, definitely they make, made it over to the UK and uh, and a few other places. Now, Rich, um, you have to uh, pardon me for not remembering when we discussed these last. How long ago was that? Oh, I would say probably about probably about a year and then we'd already discussed them uh, probably about two years, maybe before you won the podcast the first time. But yeah, I, I would say it'd be about twelve months ago now it was brought up with it with the point W's yeah. things, Scandica posters, yeah. To be fair, Rich, I mean we talk about all sorts of things many times, like A Wing pilots and stuff. So you know. Yeah. Some, some, someone's found a, this wonderful poster in an interesting condition. And I think it's a great find for seven English pounds. Yeah. Nice item. So what do you know about the range though? Guys, anyone, anyone found out or Rich from your recollection of when they've been spoken about before? Did you, did you go into detail with regards to the the different ones? I don't recall. I remember there's a, there's a lot of Empire posters, isn't there? That, that they seem to was it the Empire where they really explored with Scandica? Yeah, well, with regards mm-hmm. to the Stoles ones, I mean, mm-hmm. Scandica did a lot of posters, but in this set, I was having a good look around, having a little look on on Rebel Scum again, very much like earlier on with. Um, Rebel Briefing, Rebel Scum guys, lots and lots of information. Again, people not realising about the pointy W, but there's one thing which I'd really like to mention. I don't know if you guys have got the image up in front of you, uh, and if you've got the ability just to check out the image, can you just have a look at the R2-D2 and C-3PO image and tell me what you think? Tell me, have a really good look at this image and and, uh, get back to me. Now, can you guys see this or not? The the poster... The that you're actually discussing, mate. Yeah, so it's on page okay. 2238. Yeah. I'll I'll see if it. I can uh, get it up. Yeah. Now, okay. 2238. What I'll do is... I'll is, it the, is it the R2 has been superimposed on top of C2B in a random way? R2-D2 has been superimposed. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not standing in front of him in a picture, is he? He's been yeah. stuck in there. Yeah. Continue to look. Is the image reversed? Hmm. Looks okay. Hmm. <laughs> just is making random noises. Just yeah. Hmm. 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 Well, are you going to say something like uh, R 2s not got his restraining bolt? Three PO has. No, the, you were right the first time when you were like, mm, "Has it been reversed?" It has been reversed. Puts out of our misery early, Jazz. So when you look at yeah. his optic underneath his sort of, I would call it his. No, is that the eye? Who knows what he's looking at? But you've got what looks like to be the movable optic is on the left-hand side, and it's normally seen on the right. 
Interesting top fact for you there. <laughs> so initially, it was a poster of just C-3PO, and then they've decided, oh, we're going to shove R2-D2 in there, and it looks quite good, but yeah, they've just got it reversed. So, uh, so there we go. Awesome. So I wanted to do a little bit of research on these, and yeah, so we've got this one in the range. There's also the one where you've got Chewie, Luke, Han, and Leah all in a sort of classic pose of them, you know, shooting, looking and aggressive. But it's one of the ones where of Leah sort of cowering and sort of cuddling up, looking a bit scared, looking a little bit sort of not feisty, not getting involved, which is uh, which is very very strange. There's also uh, an excellent one with regards to um, X wings. It's very seventies, very sort of neon, which really stands out. So a lot of people initially on the Rebel Scum thread were saying, yeah. This is the range of three and people showing that they purchased these at Carnaby Street in London. Someone comes on much later in the thread saying there's a fourth. This fourth one is cracking. It's it's Darth Vader coming along with some stormtroopers behind him. And it actually has the line, may the force be with you underneath. Now, these posters came in two different sizes 70 by 100 and 50 by 70 centimetres. And uh, they're, they're brilliant um, and really, really interesting. But it was a Vader one, which certainly appears to be a little more hard to find. The the one of the four characters seems to be the most popular one, the one which is for sale the most. The R2 and the C3PO one doesn't come up that often. There's a few buy it nows for the Han, Luke and Leo one. £300 buy it now. Um, but there was an auction... Sai Eubanks auction house? Yeah, I was. Uh, th- that was after the toys. They did a poster sale, and the Scandicore was yeah. in there. Two, yeah, in 2016. Uh, so oh hammer- no! Well, they sold another one um, a right. couple of months back. Well, the the hammer price on this it was valued at thirty to fifty pounds two years ago, and it sold for forty five. So. You know, that's uh, that was about the... what the last one went for, mate. Yeah. To be honest with you, it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, as you say, the, the certainly without the pointed W seems to be, I'd I'd say common. I'd definitely say common. And it does, it does pop up from time to time. People ask an interesting variety of prices on it. You go to a, a proper sort of poster store and you can be talking 150, 200 pounds, which is ridiculous because, like you say, you can pick them up relatively frequently at auction for anywhere between sort of 40, 50, 60 pounds and less, I should imagine. <laughs> Indeed. So, but for seven pounds, seven pounds after a 50 PA wing, yeah, boy done well and a nice one. So over on to page 2240, Andy Preston. Now, you know, he always brings out some awesome stuff. Check out this British pie store display, but with the LP with it. Not seen anything like this before. It's absolutely cracking. We have you on our screen now. Please identify. Thank you, Jez, for asking me to record a bit for the podcast. I love what you and the guys do each month, and I'm really pleased to have been asked to contribute. You've asked me to talk about the store display for the LP records that I've picked up recently, but perhaps first I can introduce myself and explain why I love this piece so much. I was born in 1970, but I didn't actually see Star Wars until the summer of 1979, when I was eight. 
We lived in South Devon, which in the 70s really was quite remote from the rest of the UK, and Star Wars had largely passed me by until my dad took me and my cousins to see it while we were up with family near Stoke-on-Trent. It made such an impression... And over the next few years, I built up a little collection of the action figures. Uh, I had some of the Letra set and Helix items, books, stickers. I had Star Wars wallpaper on one wall of my bedroom and Empire Strikes Back on another. And Star Wars was pretty much my life back then. Like many of us, I suppose I grew too old for Star Wars around 1984. Uh, but I then came back to collecting again in the 90s, going around the toy fairs and uh, in the early days of the internet. Firstly, trying to complete my loose figure collection, then moving on to vehicles, playsets, carded figures, beyond the toys stuff and production pieces. My driving force has always been nostalgia, and my focus is very much on British items. I love collecting the things that either I had as a kid or friends had when I went over to play, or things that I remember seeing in the shops or the magazines back then. I have got a particular love for vintage store displays, Partly the graphics and the rarity of them, but mostly I think it must be something about going back to that thrill of walking into a shop in the 70s or 80s and seeing all the wonderful Star Wars items laid out on display. Uh, this particular LP record display I've been aware of for some time and just had to go for it when the chance came up recently. It's a display for the double LP soundtrack record that was issued in the UK by Pi Records, I think under licence from 20th Century Fox Records. Uh, it's the one in the black gatefold sleeve with the Star Wars logo, and it came with liner notes and the uh, large space battle poster painted by John Barkey. For those who've not seen the store display, it's a large piece. Uh, it's printed on thick cardboard, and it measures about the same size as the British quad posters at about 30 by 40 inches. On the left-hand side, it's got the Tom Chantrell poster artwork, which I just love. Uh, I think that artwork is so representative of Star Wars in Britain in the 1970s. It was used on the main UK quad poster and on so much of the merchandise and the advertising in the early days. And this is a really big, vibrant representation of it. On the right-hand side of the store display is a big Star Wars logo in electric blue, which looks brilliant against the black background. And below that, there's the text advertising the official soundtrack double album and the large full-colour all-action poster. Underneath the logo, there's an actual record sleeve stuck onto the store display. It's exactly the same sleeve that the record was sold in, but this one's empty of any contents. And I can't think of any other promotional piece that's got the actual product built in as part of the display, and it makes this one really eye-catching. I don't know exactly where or when this piece would have been in stores, although a couple of friends who've also got the same display, they said they got theirs from former HMV employees, so it's probably a good bet that it was in those stores and possibly used more widely as well. I know from Craig Stevens' excellent book, The Star Wars Phenomenon in Britain, that the soundtrack was released in the UK on the 28th of July 1977, way before the film was first released in December. So it must have been one of the earliest pieces of merchandise available in Britain. I first became of uh, I first became aware of this particular item when I saw a post on Facebook. And this was from a guy who'd been hoping to buy it privately. He was after some opinions on value. A few weeks later, he posted again to say that he'd not been able to strike a deal and the seller was going to sell it with Aston's auctioneers if anybody wanted to bid. Now the guide price was pretty high. 
But as I was thinking about it, uh, I got a message from a good collecting friend who made me a really good offer on another item that was in my collection, something he'd been after for some time to complete a run that he was after. And uh, we struck a deal with the funds from that sale. I was able to bid for and win the auction for the store display and actually got it in my hands about a week or two ago. I'm really, really pleased to get this. It's a very rare piece. Uh, It must be one of the earliest British store displays and it just looks fantastic. Uh, Certainly one of the centrepieces of my collection and I just love it. Thank you again, Jez and the guys, for inviting me to share this with you on the podcast. Uh, Hope that's uh, interesting to everybody and may the force continue to be with you always. Cheers. Great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Remember, the force will be with you always. Pete, you're into all sorts of, you know, vintage loveliness. British pie. <laughs> Tell me about it, buddy. We love pie. That's what we love. Well, I'm assuming that, uh, that Simon has probably got a lot of this stuff. It's probably lying in his back room piled on top of each other because it's i mean the logo itself if you ever remember the logo i mean i remember this from being on, on electronics because pi uh records was like an offshoot of a company that made tvs and and all sorts of electronic stuff we'd had in our houses before we, some of you youngsters like Stu, was probably born um and they also had a record label um as well and they were quite famous i think my mom had a lot of the records with this logo on it and the, the logo is so famous because it was basically a big Y um, splitting a, a circle with a P and an E on the left and right. So it's about pine. It, it, it was such a famous, 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 famous uh, logo. You saw it everywhere. But um, you've probably not heard of any of these these acts, though, Jez, because, you know, you're quite a youngster as well. Um, let me have a look and see if any, well, you'd probably know the Kinks. They did some of those. They did a bit of Bowie, early Bowie. Um Pickety Witch, that's one of Richard's favourites. Uh, Sandy Shaw, The Search is Tommy Steele. Frankie Vaughan, probably uh, big in Simon's household. Um, so, yeah, the, I mean, the brand itself was, was very, very famous, but I believe that they, they kind of stopped making records sometimes in the 80s. And apparently, according to their Wikipedia page, they started up again in 2006, but then died off very quickly again. But, yeah, very, very, very famous british brand i think they even they even stretched out to america for a little while so yeah very very famous you must have Simon. you must have seen some of this on stuff that you that, that you've found at car boot sales that logo oh absolutely mate the 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 y being sort of dominant something like almost a mandalorian helmet style thing mm-hmm. uh, yeah you get the the I've seen loads of the radios or even the older radio grams as they called them and the odds crt tv great brand always wondered what happened to it did someone end up buying it out um it seems that they they just kept going um blah 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 let me look what they're still doing now if anything in 2006 pie records was reactivated by sanctuary records as an indian alternative label featuring artists such as scottish alternative rock rock group idlewild i've never heard of them However, plans continued usage of the Pi name abandoned when Universal Music Group bought Century in 2007, so they were kind of closed down. But, um, yeah, they're, they're, they feature in the US and Canada. Hmm. 
but the um, the electronics brand, I mean, I imagine that's probably that got bought up by somebody. Let's have a quick look. Pie Company. Oh, defunct in nineteen eighty eight. Bless them. Owned now by Philips. What a shame because that logo it, it was a corker. I loved it. Well, I'm sure we had a TV from Pie. Founded in eighteen ninety six. That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, it's awesome, isn't it? It's absolutely awesome. A, a, te- a technological company making TVs, radios, and other stuff was founded in the 19th century. That's incredible. That's how Pete remembers them. Well, yeah, <laughs> they were they're everywhere when I was a kid. Thanks ever so much for the for the work in the background on Pi Records there, lads. That's brilliant. So the whole poster. First of all, if you were to look at it and divide up this large poster into six. The record, the album, takes up the bottom right portion. So three portions across the top, three portions across the bottom, and just the whole album takes the bottom right. That's how big this store display is, with the Chantrell image there, Star Wars on the right, and then official soundtrack double album includes large, full-colour, all-action poster. It just looks brilliant. Absolutely love it. Got all the characters on there. It's got the pie logo, which you were talking about. Lovely bit of observation there with regards to the Fett helmet. I think that's a really good, really good observation. Also available on tape. And then when you look across Century Records, Century Moon. So many things going on here, buried with Star Wars Easter eggs. I think it's brilliant. What's your favourite bit? looking at this store display what bit to you do you think yeah that's just the business jess it's the uh, it's the way that they've done the star wars logo which is the uh, the, the black outline on the the blue the sort of like mm-hmm. electric-ish blue really makes it pop yeah yeah it really does doesn't it yeah yeah so but it's also the fact that is it's only the actual border because it's still the rest of the image behind it so the, the laser blast coming out of Leah's um, blaster just still shines through behind it, but it does really, really pop, doesn't it? Really cool. Sorry? I love it, mate. I think it was a absolutely brilliant buy. And I was speaking to Mark Daniels about this because, because I thought something like this is so rare and it's so unusual and it's so eye-catching. Surely this has got to be it, really, surely four-figure item i know it's got a bit of damage and wear to it and mark said well no in actual fact its size goes against it it's it's the same size as a quad and quads go for stupid money but you you can't roll this can you you can't put it away somewhere and and it's there it's big it's a board it's got to go up but it deserves to go up because it is fantastic i love it great buy andy just what made me laugh about this poster as in, it was beautiful artwork and stuff. But what was, just made me laugh is the fact that Chewbacca and C3PO and R2D2, little miniature people who were walking around uh, Big Monster Luke and Big Monster Leah, they're just sort of like between the legs, uh, wandering around, having a, you know, getting in the way. They're just tiny little things, bless <laughs> them. Yeah. Little miniatures. It's like, hello, little Chewy. Lumpy. <laughs> oh, and then there's like little miniature X-Wings kind of like flying around Leah as well. It, uh, that always makes me laugh. For some reason, poor old Grandma Tarkin gets a, gets a blue face. Yeah, he's, he's really illed out, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I love the moisture evaporators in there. So as well as the whole space thing and everything kicking off, you've got you've got an element of Tatooine there as well. It's, yeah, lots going on. 
brilliant, brilliant stuff. Talking of brilliant stuff, Rich, you've been uh, tagging us and stuff and saying you need to cover Steve York's pen. Well, come on, mate. Let's uh, let's cover Steve York's pen, yeah? Yeah. So when somebody like Steve York posts about the grail, then you really know it's going to have to be something special from the collection that he's had in the past and how long he's been involved in the community. So he posted on his Facebook page, my grail showed up in the mail with a couple of exclamation marks. And he wrote there, I've been teasing this for a few days, so here it is. Now, before going into the actual story, I just want to go to the, the background a second here. So back at Celebration Anaheim 2015, he was on a bit of a buying spree. Um, he had a couple of deals that worked out well. Um, and he decided to start really tracking down some of the early 76 to 78 Star Wars cast and crew items from pre-production right through to the Oscar season. So that's an incredibly tough um, era to, to crack into. And what he said was Fluffy, who went over through the Kyle cast, he had a whole stack of items from the fan club for sale. And in there was one of these pens. And it was a crew pen handed out to people involved with Star Wars. And he had it up for about $150. And he said that he was buying so many things that he, he sort of got caught up in the middle and he'd forgotten all about it. And he ended up not getting it. And as soon as he realized he hadn't got it, I think he's been kicking himself ever since. So he says his dad has put it best. There's always those shows that are not defined by what you bought, but what you've passed up on. And he said, I don't have too many regrets over the years, but this piece has really become one of them. Would I ever stumble on one again? So he's been looking for three years on eBay searches every single week, looking for one of these pens. And he said he's had no dice up until now. So what he did was he went on the Star Wars Collectors Archive and he said it was at 2 a.m. And he just wanted to double check the spelling on the company that made it. And as soon as he typed it into eBay search, it popped up straight away. And he said he'd usually been typing things like Star Wars 1977 pen, Star Wars crew pen, and no joy. And he couldn't believe it when he appeared. So he thought the buy it now wasn't cheap, but when you're after something like this for three years, you know, when's another one going to appear? So he pulled the trigger, bought it. The seller had a rough idea of what it was. I knew it was a race Star Wars pen, but had no clue it was a cast and crew giveaway item. And it showed up in the mail and he was absolutely delighted. And then Steve's posted a photograph of himself there holding the pen. And I looked at that and thought, that's an amazing item. I've never seen it before. It's a pen that's been made by a company called Chromatic. And it's described as a two-colour pen. So it's in a white box with a blue and a red diagonal stripe with a nice black pen with the Star Wars logo on it. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. It says turn cap right for blue, turn cap left for red. So really, really nice item. That really is a true grail item. And not that expensive considering it's a, it's a cast and crew item. $150, $200, I think I'd, I'd quite happily have paid for paid that if i knew what that item was so nice one steve and it's always fantastic seeing these long-time collectors getting a true grail awesome i went over to rebel scum you rebel scum and they start off the year on page 184 i thought right let's have a little look and they're still on page 184 which is a bit disappointing really or they've shown some coins or uh, very early on in the year I was like oh come on rebel scum so you know that as a forum we've already demonstrated tonight that they've got some cracking information and some really great stuff which we've used in rebel briefing 
but this whole area of the limelight in for rubble scum is just not working. They definitely need to put it into the main vintage thread as you guys used. I think it was Rich used last month when he found something. So yeah, nothing for rebel scum. Moving over to Tansiv 11. Really, really popular forum now. And they've, they've had 20 pages just so far um, coming along. So they're pushing out some great stuff. It was on, ooh, let's see, page 35, the 89th Chris. Now I know that we've covered these things before. The uh, Canadian Asset playset, as discussed in the previous podcast. Great, great section, lads, when you did that. But he's also put on the SSP van. Now I know, ooh, going back maybe two years or so, I think we discussed these at one point. Did you guys get to see the trailer I put on? Yep. Have you all seen it, Rich? Yeah. Yep. Pete, did you see the trailer at all? The advert? Oh, no, I haven't, no. No, all right, okay. Um, no, I, I didn't, mate. You didn't. Right, what I'm going to yeah. do now, I'm just going to pause it. I'm just going to bring it up. Right. Lads, I am dropping the link in here. Check out this. I'm Don Vader. I'll beat you to the finish. I've got Luke, R2-D2, Chewbacca, and all the good guys. I've got the force. I've got the force. It's the blazing power of the new Star Wars SSP van set with features like headers, mag wheels, custom grills, yeah. and space-age graphics. Yeah! The good guys finish first. Till next time. The Star Wars SSP van set by Kenner comes with everything here. Each van also sold separately. So pretty cool. I know we've mentioned them before, but you can get them individually or get them in a in a pack together and they came with the barrels. But how 70s was that? Comes with this, comes with these rims, comes with this grill. Just just really, really hilarious. Great little advert there. But with regards to the uh, SSP, what, what do you guys know about them? What, what does it also make you think of with regards to toys and stuff in the 70s? Rich, Pete, Steve? Uh, yeah, team. A-team? Yeah, okay, A-team fan? A-team was 80s, mate, not 70s. <laughs> Good one, fair one, yeah, a fair point. But, lads, looking at that van, what, what are your thoughts? Come on, look at the trailer. Crap. What did it do? What a rubbish. <laughs> it is, I mean, oh, I mean just, that it's is got nothing not to do with Star Wars. Sorry. Exactly. Nothing so to do what? With Star Wars. It's got barrels, it crashes through them. You're talking Bodian... Doyled. You're talking every great 70s New York scene with a car driving through empty cardboard boxes. It's just brilliant. I don't care if it's nothing to do with Star Wars. Well, it's... that's that's the point, isn't it? They would be like, well, that's not to do with Star Wars. If I said as a kid, I would, I, if someone bought me that, I would, I'd be like, hmm. Hey, someone could buy me that now, and I would oh, be yeah. happy. Now it looks lovely, but like, as a kid, you go, I'm sorry, that's nothing to do with Star Wars. There was no Star Wars bashing through containers down the streets yeah that wasn't my could stuff have been Pete. Okay. Could have been. it just wasn't but if you think <sighs> about it you know this this oh i've got the goodies i've got the body i've got the force stuff i mean ssp supersonic power that's what it stood for <laughs> <laughs> what happened what what was going on with that pull through thing and, and then the sparks underneath surely it's got to be worth the sparks beautiful even worse tacky yeah. I would have got two Emperor's Royal Guards with their lances, blue tacks and figures to the top, and had jousting against each other. Then you would have seen Sparks. Jez, Jez, we had we had something called Evil Knievel. That's right? where, we did need, well done, we, we did not need some van with Star Wars figures painted on. Evil Knievel rocked. Not 
a van with sparks. Come off it. Well, that, you, had a, that... you had a little windy wheel thing which you put your bike on with Evil Knievel and let him go. That's all the sparks you needed. Yes. Well, I thought it was great to see. What I loved about Tantiv is when they put something on, if someone's got anything else to add, they do. They take a genuine interest in when people post stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, can you add that to this thread? We've discussed it before. Or have you seen this advert? Have you seen this TV advert? Oh, the little red pull-through thing. Sometimes I've also seen those in black. And it's really lovely sharing environment uh, of vintage knowledge. So uh, good on you, Tantive. And nice one, 89th Chris. I think it's awesome. You might think it's rubbish or you might think back in the day, but it, it is so 70s retro. As we said, Scooby-Doo Mystery Machine, all sorts of stuff. 18 band from the 80s. Yeah, I, I just think it's cool. <laughs> awesome. So let's move on. Pete, now you said something as well. You said, check out this link. I couldn't open it, buddy. I couldn't open it. All the links here is Star Wars dark times what's all this about mate is this it's, facebook page or what this is this is a group that i don't get any any kind of uh, updates from i don't know whether i just i turn them off by mistake but something did pop up there and i, I went on and said oh i forgot i ever joined that group so it's technically if you're going to get fizzy about it um then it's between 1985 and 95 so it's about the time where there was no star wars stuff coming out hardly anything got produced but a few bits and bobs did kind of squeeze out. Um, and it's um, it is kind of like a – I think we did cover it a long, long time ago. I'm kind of going with your theme here, Jez, of just repeating stuff for the sake of it. So um, I think we did cover it years ago, but it was just something I, I, I pay no attention to. But I thought, you know what, that is so cheesy. I kind of love it. And when I did a bit of further investigation into it, I found some beautiful sort of other items in the range. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you boys the links. So just bow and pull a text So click on any of these links. So it, and what it was, if you've had a look at that, I'll put a link to the SWCA. What it was, was um, it was three out of the four Ewok, they were Plaza Joven Edisonius um, comics, but on a die cut kind of cardboard backing. And the comics don't really have a cover as such, but the cover is um, into the design of the the background of the of the comics. So, you know, of the of the die cut background, so it looks like it's kind of hidden and secret almost. But um, if you look at them, there was there was four. There was a, a Wicket, a Nisa, a Latara, and a Logre. In this particular purchase, this was James Kennison had bought these off Javier Florencio Suarez on this group, and I paid about one hundred and ten. Dollars, I think, or 110 pounds, which is probably a reasonable kind of price, maybe. So there's only one missing, but they are they are absolutely gorgeous. I really, really like them uh, because they're, they're something a bit different. So have you guys had a chance to have a quick look at those? I'm just bringing them up yep. now, mate. Yeah, the only ones I can see. So the Wivergus's Star Wars Collectors Archive. Um, Wicked, right. little bit of information, no picture. Um, there's a picture of Low Grey, and there's a okay. picture of Nisa, but not a picture of Latara either. So the comics, the comics themselves are pretty basic stuff. I mean, they're in big writing, lots of lovely, you know, big pictures. I mean, they're for really young kids, but it's just the fact that the, the presentation of this, you know, you probably won't do this these days because it's, you know, too much efforts involved, but it's that it was Spanish. And uh, they also did 
a droids range as well. So if you weren't really into Ewoks, they did do a droid range. Mm. Now the droid range, I think, and uh, there's three of these, and they are absolutely brilliant. I mean, I would almost, if I wasn't, didn't really not that like droids that much, I would, uh, I would be half tempted by this because they are, they are spectacular. Because I'm assuming the comic books are of a of a normal basic size, probably kind of like the A, maybe around about sort of a four-ish size, maybe. But the the backing on the droids ones are enormous. Yeah, and they are really, really tight picture. I mean, there's one with a spaceship with R2 and a few of the, sorry, with C3PO and a few of the of the droids sort of figures in in the front of it, but on the, but on the on the bottom, there's a big kind of like desert scene with 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 machines on. Yeah, I mean, and there's a. this, and then there's an enormous one of R two and Superior. R two does look a bit odd, but uh, yeah, it is a comic version of it. Um, but again, that's pretty big. I mean, I mean, if you look at the size of it, it's you know, it's that 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 would really you know, it's bigger than a comic, two or three times the size of a normal comic. And then the third one is again, it's it, it's the it's the A wing with I don't know who that is in it, one of the droids characters, beautifully coloured, lots of colour, lots of energy in the in the picture, and again, it's enormous. I mean, these things are just I've never seen them before, but I've got a feeling we covered the Ewoks at some stage in in the past, but I've never seen the droids ones before, and it's by a company called Plaza Joven Ediciones from Spain, and these came out about nineteen eighty six. So yes. Not technically vintage, but wonderful pieces, and they, they would display so nicely. Do you know what, mate? I, th- I think that that can still classify as vintage in my book, um, but quite literally, yeah. It, I great find. I think they're awesome, lovely. I, re- I, I love the uh, the droid Zaywing, uh, but and the uh, and the low grey. I love in particular. Yeah, really, really cool. Imagine if those got produced today. They would. I think they'd go down pretty well. I, I think they're so such a wonderful, wonderful presentation. You could. You can mount those on your wall, uh, put them in your kids' room. Um, they are, I think they're really staggeringly beautifully done. I think uh, more stuff like that needs to be done. Well done, the Spanish. Let's, let's, let's. Here we are at the end. The end of new acquisitions with, well, we've had him already in my absence. You've had mm. Dean Sturr on page. Dallas. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you had him on. He actually came on to the podcast on the previous NA which was brilliant. I love listening uh, to to the guests who you've you've had on. You had Dallas and Blake Bundy. Oh, Blake Bundy, yeah, from yeah. Rubber School. Yeah, I loved I loved it when you guys got Dallas and Blake Bundy on. That was, that was great. But Dallas has done it again, and he's shown off his Power of the Force skiff on page two two three four. Now this has always been a favourite of mine. I love absolutely love the Power of the Force skiff, and uh, it, it's one which. I've wanted to have into my collection for a while. Now, I'm sure in the past we've mentioned this, we may have covered it for a little bit, but I would like to go back to it now. First of all, who's got one Among, amongst the podcast crew? Any of us guys got Power of the Force skiff? Yeah. Oh, so that's a no for you, Pete. Now, you know, the, these things are not cheap, are they? Is this something which you've just thought, not interested it's not going to go with my collection, or, or what, what are your thoughts on it, Pete? Well, Skiff, I mean, I've got it, it is the cost basically, but uh, but I mean, uh, I've got a modern one which is exactly the same from the same mold, effectively, and it's presented in a quite nice box, not as nice as that, 
but um, as nice as the Power of the Force one. But yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, to be fair, the modern one is 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 getting silly price as well. I mean, you're talking about 130, 140 pounds boxed. Uh, I managed to pick up a a reasonably cheap one a few years ago for about eighty quid, and I thought I'd paid you know kind of going rate, but it is. Yeah, it is pretty much the same mould, slightly different coloured, you know, nicely kind of painted and stuff, but it is the same thing. But, yeah, I thought, well, I'm quite happy with the modern one, actually. But if I ever get a chance to get one, I would. But, you know, they are expensive and they don't come up, you know, they're not, it's not impossible to get hold of one, but it's just like, you know, it's like three or four hundred quid or something. It's like, oh, it's not really sure. I I remember seeing them when I was at Anaheim, Stars Celebration at Anaheim, which was, what, 2015? 2015. And there was, I saw three or four boxed ones. And at the time I was thinking, I don't want a boxed one because I, I want to display it. This is such a beautiful yeah. craft. It needs to be displayed. Now, as time's gone on, and we'll come on to the box later on, I actually appreciate the box now. I appreciate the box a lot more. But in my opinion, it's still something which needs to be on display as the actual skiff itself. So I turned my nose up to those three or four which I saw. And I think at the time they were all... They were all about four hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. There was one missing parts, wasn't there? I remember I was goading you into trying to buy it, <laughs> and there was there was a couple in a box but not complete. Yeah, and then there was a loose one. I don't know what a ridiculous price for. I think I think it might have been in a um, an acrylic box. Yes, but, um, it was. Yeah, they were asking you know four fifty or something. I don't think it was graded though. I think it was just nicely displayed, but it was too much. It's crazy price. Well, Rich, you know, we, we, we've seen this. You said you've got one then. So, uh, yeah, tell us about it. What, what are your thoughts of this craft, mate? And can you describe it and, and you know, what your thoughts are since you've actually got it? Yeah, well, I don't know if you, you, you can't remember this either. Jez, I'm worried about your memory now because when you came back from Anaheim, you were crying your eyes out saying that you'd seen three skiffs here and you, you'd really wished you'd got one. And I actually bought one when you were at, at Anaheim and got it shipped over from the States, and I paid $200 for it, including the shipping. And I remember you stamping your feet going, I can't believe you got it for that price. And I was, yeah, so I was over the moon with it. I must, it's it's a fantastic item. It really is nice. But if I had that, and if any of you had that as a kid, right, it would be in pieces because uh, there were so many flimsy bits of plastic on it. It would have been smashed because we would have, you know, put Jabba on it and thrown it across the floor we would have had it swinging from all sorts of places, you know, what had Boba Fett falling off it. There's, there's no way that many of those would have survived if they had been released, you know, 83, 83, early 84. But I'm really glad I got one, and I, I don't think I would be in a rush to get one now if I hadn't got one because of the price that they've gone to now. It's sort of tainted for us a little bit, but it's a, it's a cracking item, and there's so much play value in them, but it's just a shame that they're so flimsy. Yeah. I mean, I know that things do sort of um, get brittle and become a lot more fragile as time has gone on. You know, we've seen how very easy it is now to break the wings on a shuttle, for example. So I think these things have got a lot worse of age, so they're they're not going to stand up to the knocks, which they may well have done back in the day. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I The more I've seen this now, the more my sort of desire for them, my passion for them has been reignited. No nostalgia value at all, not for this one. No nostalgia value whatsoever, but I just think it looks brilliant. It's fantastic. Sorry, you're not one to uh, sit back in the, and keep your thoughts to yourself. What are your thoughts on this? Massively overinflated price or, or or something which you quite like? I'm in two minds about it, mate, to be honest, because 
like you, it holds zero nostalgia for back in the day. It does hold some kind of nostalgia for the 90s when I got hold of the Tomark Guide and started discovering all these new things, including the skiff. I didn't even, I didn't even know it existed before about 1995. So there's nostalgia for the 90s, sort of almost like a grail feel to it because you really didn't see many over here then. But as a toy, it, it sort of leaves me a, a bit cold, really, because it doesn't doesn't mean anything sort of Star Warsy to me. It's it's a great looking toy, but I yeah, I'd have one at the right price. I'd have one, but I'd far rather have an A wing, to be honest, which is obviously in the the same range and at the same time. The A wing is uh, yeah, love that, but the the skiff bit brown, bit sticky, meh. <laughs> okay oh don't get me on the a-wing i'll also love that one as well such a shame <laughs> one of those either oh no what's going on well before we go into any more detail we'll just go over to the star wars collectors archives because you know we go over i love their descriptions which they give you know usually ron ron's sense of humor or, or or chris but but rich you know this is something which is in your collection rather than me just read out verbatim what they've put on the collector's archive can you talk me through the actual uh, the features of it and, and what you get for your money. Well, I don't have it at hand, but I'm no. sort of going to have to go from memory here. Yeah, you've got your landing gear at the bottom, which is in, it's actually pretty good stability-wise for the vehicle. Yeah. I think that they've got the landing gear pretty much, you know, spot on. You've got a ramp which comes in and out to a, a bit like a diving board, really, for anybody who wants to dive into the sand. You've you got the, the the ramp has in walk the plank. Walk the plank, yeah. Yeah, so Luke's walk the plank feature, yep. So these are Mm -hmm. controlled by big sort of paddles on the back, which we Quay would be moving up and down. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Sorry to put you on the spot, mate. Carry on. (laughs) You've got the two, it's hard to describe, they they don't really do a lot. They're just a bit like wings that that move slightly. I don't don't even know what they do. The exciting rudder feature on the back. The exciting rudder feature. Zoom it along and make it look like you're going up and down canyons and over dunes, heading towards the, uh, uh, you know, the Sarlacc pit, Sea of Carcoon. Yeah, fantastic. Great, great imagination, Rich. Brilliant. Got your reels, obviously, which are flimsy and snap off. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, very fragile. Yeah, and as you said, you've you've got the control mechanism at the back. And that's probably it. But what about the man overboard feature? There's a man overboard feature. Can you remember that? No, I don't. I don't. Right. I don't so if you're looking at it from an aerial point of view and seeing as, you know, skiff barge, let's have a little look at this from a nautical point of view. We're looking at the right hand side. So the right hand side, there's a small little platform with a foot peg and another control mm-hmm. on the back. Well, in fact, this one, it appears actually there's a button just on the port side. So you, you've got your baddie and you can pretend oh, that you've shot I'm going to have to get it now. I'm going to have to get it. You've got us excited. You you give us 30 seconds. Yeah, go get, get it. it. Go and get it. Let's have some incidental music whilst we wait for Richard. Maybe Richard's missing a piece and he's forgotten. <laughs> and then good luck on getting that. Tell you what, just uh, seriously, if you want a placeholder, mate, the... the, the the modern one is 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 just the same thing. Yeah, uh, just slightly different colour, and there's a, yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. little oh. subtle things with the mould. Yeah, we'll come on to the modern one a little bit more in a minute. Get it? Buy 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 it. <laughs> 
getting expensive now. I mean, it's getting silly, really, for the price. I mean, a few of those modern bits and pieces are getting really stupid price-wise. Right. We're going to have to put some sort of legal waiver on this uh, as soon as Richard's back, or maybe even before Richard's back, because I'm slightly concerned now. Why? Well, because even though Richard claims to be the unluckiest guy in the world, he's still the guy who gets the you know the find of the final Cape Jawa. He's still the guy who's got the Ben Kenobi DT. He's still the guy you know gets the three pack, and you know he is a lucky guy. And he went to Buckingham Palace the other day. So, on the whole, Rich is a lucky guy, even though he comes across as you know Marvin depressed um, robot from Hitchhiker's Guide <laughs> to the Galaxy. Often. Um, <laughs> What I'm you concerned about? Oh, oh, hello, Rich. I didn't realise. Oh, yeah, about. oh, it's Rich. I, my, Actually, my, I'm going to describe it now. That's my, my worry sore. is here. We go. Just, just, Rich. You've mm-hmm. elected to go and get this. You're now yep. playing with this. Please, yep. please, please, do not break it, mate. And if you have broken it on on your skiff helmet, be it, yeah, because um, just, just be careful, buddy. All right. Well, it's not a DT. See if I saw I'm unlikely to break it. Um, <laughs> just, just don't so, break it. Don't say I'm. Don't say why well, I am unlikely to break it. <laughs> what was that? Just, just, just don't break it. Right, go on, right. mate. So right. at the back, I've got one lever which um, can push in. It makes the the ramp extend and then back again. Yeah. You've got a second lever which, when I push that, makes the rear. Land well, actually, no, it makes the whole landing gear go in and out, which is a great little feature. Tricycle carriage, yeah, like it, like it. That little feature that you're on about, so when you push that, two tiles, which I'd never noticed before, two tiles lift up from the deck. Yes, and if the if the rail was in the down position, your your little guys that were on that tiles would flip over, absolutely. And yeah, that you've given us a whole new appreciation of this little vehicle now. And um, this fantastic. is something, Rich, this is something that we do because we buy these ships, we buy the ships and we have a little look at them. And sometimes we don't actually have a little look at them enough. Yeah, you know, we, right. we, we've recently, or not recently, but over the last year or so, you know, discovered bits about the Millennium Falcon, which we had no idea about. And bits about the, you know, the Slave One. So from a playability point of view, it was brilliant. Now, back in the day, the rails were meant to be... Not flimsy, flimsy, but very easily up and downable. The, the point being that if someone was on one of those hatches, you know, the man overboard hatches, you press the button and they would lift and the rail would automatically go down. So it was a great feature with regards to your imagination because you'd have Luke walking the plank. So that ramp, which you're talking about, it gets to the point that that ramp should go out so far, then the bit right at the end collapses down have you seen that so when the pullout ramp comes all the way there should be a bit at the end then just drop down right so i'm pushing it all the way along to the end um yeah it does look two pieces but i don't know if it's just because of the age yeah but yeah it is a two-piece ramp yeah so oh yeah 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 i see it now so again so you've got someone on that Mm. ramp the person goes out, walk the land, yeah. indicate to R2-D2, hey, mate, you know, the old little hand flick, and then uh, would fall off. So whilst you've got that going on, undercarriage coming up and down, press another button, someone falls off the side, it's all going on. Mm-hmm. It is skiff hot. Love it. 
I, I'm going to put it back before I break it. Yeah, please do. So what else? What are one of the other features which they've got as well, which wasn't necessarily in the film so much, but it's a weapon stowage rack right in the centre. You picked up on that, Rich, as well? He's run off to put it back. Oh, he's put it back. I don't, I don't think you can really miss that weapons rack. It's right in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. So, so we've got loads of holes in. Everyone's always got a spare skiff pike and stuff like that. Vibro axe. I'm not sure if a vibro... Yeah, vibro axe would fit in with the blade up at the top. Skiff pike, all that sort of stuff going on. So, yeah, cracking, cracking piece. Just wait for him to come back. Which like the dog's probably eating it on the way up. Oh, no. My oh. dog's eating that skiff leak. <laughs> my big dog oh, right so we've seen how great it is we you know we, we started speaking a little bit about what was on the Star Wars Collector's Archive and then we actually went one better and got rich to get it out and and, and it was brilliant I'm going to go and back, I'm back. To, yeah oh nice one and, and also rich then the other thing we spoke about is the weapon stowage rack in the middle yeah, with the holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. so so all in all, brilliant, brilliant display piece, which I, I, I would love to have. And from a size point of view, one of those would fit quite nicely in a Detolf cabinet or or any other sort of similar size cabinet or just on a bookshelf or what have you. So, yeah, really, really lovely. What else did they come with, though? So you've got it out of the box. What should have been in the box with it? The planetary map. Yeah, 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 which was a sort of... And uh, they say catalogue on one side, post on the other. Um, yeah, really, really fragile. But as we've said, it's been reissued and it's been redone again, hasn't it? Remoulded in sort of 1999, sort of 2000 time. Yeah, 1999. And again, 10 years later as well. So there are three different versions doing the rounds. Now, come on a little bit in a minute, but going, to, uh, going over to you, Cy... Mate, market-wise, have, have you been able to see much? I, I don't suppose there's been that many. No, it's, it's a bit of an interesting one, actually, because whilst there's been a slight rise over the last 12 months, and, and by slight, I mean about it, has actually gone up, the boxed version, by about £100. So whereas you used to be able to pick up a, and I'm not talking a mint box by any stretch, but a box for about, 380 400 pounds you're now looking more like 475 500 pounds so there has been a gradual uptake but what there's been is a once again of anything unusual they virtually disappeared off the face of the earth so the only things you'll find now if you go on ebay are remarkably overpriced examples for sort of like 800 pounds a mint and seal box recent sale sold for a thousand and I guess that's what you're going to be looking at, really. That that struck me. Given that if a if a nice boxed one was doing about five hundred, a mint in open box, I guess would be sort of six seven hundred. So mint and sealed a thousand. That seems about right. But again, a massive decline in numbers and availability. Interestingly, the A wing, which again is about that same sort of time, whereas that's actually come down in price in the last twelve months. In theory, try finding one. That's all I've got to say about them, really. But yeah, they are—they're really hard to find at the moment. Really hard to find, certainly at the right price. Well, you know, th- these were, as it says, released right at the end of the line, only on Power of the Force box. 
and it yeah just didn't last that long so something it, there aren't that many out there and uh, so therefore they are getting more and more desirable as more and more primarily middle-aged men return to the uh, hobby and start collecting these things are uh, they are extremely popular as we said unfortunately a lot of them are breaking and getting damaged yeah, Jez, just on that, I, I was looking at the, the sort of same graph that Simon was looking at. Yeah. And it is it is funny that, that ships just don't have that big rise in prices over, over. I mean, like if you look at the last three years, there's just, there's literally no change. There's a few bizarre ones that went for lots of money, people fighting over them. But the, the it's very consistent in numbers. I mean, thinking like four four years of Trekker data, there's, there's like 45 loose ones and about 48 box ones that's in the last four years so you know about 10 a year come up i had a quick look at parts as well because obviously you know these things you do see quite a few of these now and again uh, missing bits but I, I would say if anyone is looking for them just be careful that this you know if you are after a vintage one you might just want to save up and splurge on one rather than getting trying to get parts because i've noticed quite a few are very sellers on ebay a little bit crafty with their parts you know oh vintage skiff part and again that's that's not vintage that's the modern bit because you can see it's been painted um and they've just put the word vintage because let's face it you can put the word vintage in front of anything because it can look like it so just you know just be wary do your research you know ask around there's plenty of people out there to tell you but i think in terms of 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 people buying this thing I, I'm not sure if there's a do you reckon there's a massive market for this. I mean, as I said, it wasn't in my childhood. I mean, I never saw one as a kid. I only saw one a couple of years ago. That's when I first thought, oh, a skiff, that's nice. And I bought the modern one because I didn't even know it was a vintage one. But I was always after the modern one because I, that's the first one I ever saw. I thought, oh, that's brilliant, that's brilliant, that is. Because the box was a nice display with a sort of cardboard sarlacc underneath it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just be a warning, Will Robinson, warning. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for the warning. Uh, is there a market for them? Whenever I've seen them come up for sale, they never last long. Um, so there is an element of market there. We, we were talking earlier on and we've been talking offline about going to Celebration next year. If I only come back from Celebration with one thing, and that is a, uh, a vintage skiff, I would be over the moon. I think that's the place where I'm most likely to get one. And I'm already going to put it out there that, oh, yeah, if I do go to Celebration, I would absolutely love to come back with it because I, there's definitely a market for it in my heart. Now, Rich, is there any concept stuff out there? Have you seen anything online of anything which looks cool? There's quite a bit of stuff, actually, for the skiff, which I was surprised about. So the first thing I want to talk about is, and obviously we've got all this from the SWCA, so there's amazing stuff on there. So the first thing I want to talk about is conceptual artwork for the skiff. And it's done on a, what's the correct word, an illustration board. And this drawing is amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. So it's been, it's painted, but it's also got pencils and inks in there as well. So it really looks nice. Very, very vibrant and incredibly detailed um, representation of the skiff. It does say there that to the best of Ron's knowledge, it was never used on any commercial product. But it's possible it was also produced by an outside vendor. For, for Kenner, so it was a re- it's a really really nice uh, conceptual art uh, piece. So we'll circulate that. There's also a photo sample of the skiff, but unfortunately, it's it's one of the links that doesn't doesn't come up, which is a shame. But uh, what I want to move on to next is is what you said before the droids. 
The droids box is absolutely brilliant. I haven't, I don't, I don't even know if one exists. I don't know if the actual box exists, but it's not a box flat. I think it's a, it's what's called a comp sheet. And I think the best way I can describe it is imagine just the side of the box and that's it, just one side on a sheet. And it's, it's absolutely brilliant. There's also a droid skiff artwork. Now, this is absolutely amazing. It's a picture of the skiff over Tatooine, but it's got the droids figures on it instead of the, the Fett and the Luke that was on the Power of the Force and the, um, the other droids artwork that we've seen. So it's got, um, C3PO, but from the Power of the, uh, sorry, from the droids C3PO version. It's got Kleb Zelek, the chubby guy with the green hat. I can never remember the name of the of the the lad there with the red vest on. Is it Jan Torbel or something like that? And, and there's one or two characters on there as well. And that looks really, really good. It does say that that artwork was actually, in fact, used on the Spanish Spanish packaging of the Droids puzzle by Didactechna. Um and that's pictured on page ninety five of the Tomo Price Guide. So that's a really nice item to see. And finally, other things that I found in there, um, obviously, are the coins. And the Power of the Force coins for the skiff, incredibly difficult to track down. So you've got the production coin, which is labelled a Cat 5. So there's the six categories of coins, and we've talked about coins many times. So there's the production version of the skiff. There's an alternative version that has the sail barge on the front instead of the skiff. But it has different text on the back. And there's also a pre-production skiff coin that doesn't have the Star Wars logo on, which is a Cat 6. So three incredibly difficult coins to track down. And finally, we've talked about this before, the line extension presentation binder. So so I think these are things that are, are put together in binders of what would happen if the if the licensee continued on from 85 onwards. And there's like a, a mini version of the skiff. It's certainly nowhere near as long as the one that's uh, that was made into production. It's a, it's a shorter version, although... In every other way, it looks as though it's got all the features. It's got the ramp, it's got the rails, it's got the front end pretty similar, the back end with the fins or what did you call them, rudders or something like that. Yeah, that that's all there. It doesn't have the block in the middle where the weapons, uh, the weapon rack, if you want to call it, and it doesn't have the the console unit with the two levers. It doesn't have that on it, so it's a much much shorter version. So it is a prototype, but I've got no idea if they were perhaps thinking of redoing the the skiff into the smaller version, perhaps to cut costs or whether that's just a pre-production item and, and it's been made from an earlier time. Uh, but that that's also fantastic to see as well. So there's quite a lot of stuff out there for the skiff. Yeah, nice one, Rich. Let's get some quality <laughs> in now and go over to the Vintage Rebellion Alliance and see what it is they've got to supplement this section. You are part of the Rebel Alliance. Hello, gentlemen. This is Ron Salvatore checking in for the Vintage Rebellion Alliance. It's Memorial Day weekend here in America. Uh, do you have something like that in England? Maybe you have something similar to Memorial Day. Here it serves as a great excuse to stay home from work, drink, and eat hot dogs. But it's also a special weekend in Star Wars history, as it was on Memorial Day weekend of 1977 that Star Wars was first released to theaters. Fittingly, on this special weekend, you've asked me to talk about a special vehicle, special to my mind anyway, the Tatooine Skiff. For vintage collectors, the mere words Tatooine Skiff are a little enchanting. It's always been among the rarest and most sought-after vintage vehicles. I remember seeing a sealed example at a toy show in the mid-90s and being amazed that the guy selling it had the nerve to ask $400. This was in the days when all things Power of the Force seemed to command a substantial premium. Uh, still, I mean, that's probably true in, in a lot of quarters, the Power of the Force remains very popular. Uh, regardless, $400 in 1995 sounded 
sounded crazy, and now it sounds fairly cheap. Uh, the Power of the Force line hit store shelves in 1985, more or less coinciding with the last theatrical release of Return of the Jedi during the vintage years. It hit at the tail end of the line. Despite the inclusion of some cool vehicles and characters and the special bonus collector coin, the line did not last long. With no movies on the horizon, Star Wars was a lame duck toy line. By 1986, it was consigned to the closeout aisles. The popularity of the skiff was based, is based more on just its rarity, however. Uh, it was surely one of the nicer and more screen-accurate vehicles in the line. Design-wise, it was a delicate thing. The fins on each of its rear sides, the breakaway railings, the two control levers, all of these fine details belied its identity as, the toy for as a toy for kids. It almost looked like a model made for adult collectors. Those aforementioned le levers controlled two different action features, so the small vehicle had two separate action features. One made the landing gear descend, the other caused the gangplank, the one on which Luke walks in the movie, to extend out from the side of the toy. If pulled far enough, the end of the gangplank folded down, automatically dumping the figure standing on, on it into whatever gross contraption you'd rigged up as a pretend Sarlacc pit. I and some friends once spoke to one of the engineers responsible for designing the skiff, and he recalled having problems getting the internal mechanism responsible for the action features to work correctly. In particular, he and his colleagues struggled mightily with the gangplank. They wanted it to cause the figure to fall uh, with minimal inter interference from the child. But how to make it do that? The solution came from a movie western which the engineer was watching on television. In the movie, a desperado was shown being hanged. Uh, a trap door in the wooden platform below his feet was quickly opened, and boom, adios desperado. This trap door feature was immediately worked into the skiff. Yes, a cracked neck led to this undoubtedly cracking action feature. Cracking action features are no cracking action features. Uh, the skiff didn't last long at retail, and it was never a big closeout item. You didn't see these liquidated through KB or anything like that, at least not, not in any huge number, to my knowledge. I suspect Kenner produced relatively few of the toys. However, Kenner's 1986 Toy Fair catalog provides a tantalizing look at what might have been had the Droids cartoon series been something other than a steaming pile, a skiff in Droids packaging. The packaging features the painting used in the Power of the Force iteration of the toy. Unfortunately, no examples of the toy in Droid's packaging have surfaced, not even as prototypes. To my knowledge, all that exists is a printed graphical representation of the box front known to collectors as a comp. Uh, you can see one of these on the Star Wars Collector's Archive. Interestingly, art, art also exists showing the skiff being used by characters released as Droid's action figures, uh, including one that wasn't released. Uh, Boba Fett was one of them, and the unreleased one was Kleb Zellock. Kleb, if, you're not, if you don't remember, is the fat guy in the jumpsuit who looks like an off-market version of Dune's Baron Harkonnen. Uh, anyway, the existence of this piece suggests that at one point, Kenner considered abandoning the power of the Force art in favor of something more droid-specific. Droid uh, to make matters worse, or even more convoluted, there also exists a piece of art that appears to be an alternate for the power of the Force skiff. It depicts Luke striking a somewhat awkward pose while standing on the toy's gangplank. You can see a small photo of it on the archive. Honestly, I think Kenner made the right choice in releasing the skiff and the packaging art that they did. Um, it's the art we all know and love. To my mind, it's more dynamic, more dynamic than the unused art. Uh, I think it's unquestionably some of the best art from the vintage Kenner line. Well, that's all I have on the skiff. I hope it was interesting. Um, the, the vehicle did not have a long history, so it's not like there's a ton to say. And as for the vehicle, there's not much to it, but what's there is Churse. I hope you guys uh, got something out of this, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks. 
The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. Fantastic. Gorgeous. Brilliant stuff. So there's a few other bits and pieces. We spoke about the, the newer iterations as well. And now, yes, whilst they've all got slight colour differences, and you know, as they've gone on, they've looked a little bit more screen accurate. So it's, it's relatively straightforward to, to see the difference between the, the original and the later ones, very much like we've seen with the shuttle, with the large shuttle. But also on the rear, the rear section, if Rich, you were to get yours out again, they're squared off versus slightly rounded section um, on other versions of the of the skiff itself. So a couple other things, not just the colour to look at. And also, look, let's face it, if you couldn't have seen this, or if you weren't aware of this, what else came out before this? What else was available from a skiff point of view? I'm sure everyone's got one. The one-man sail skiff. <laughs> the desert sail skiff. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm using at the moment is my sort of, you know, shelf filler um, but yeah have a little look at star wars collector's archive it's awesome that the vintage rebellion alliance are uh, adding to our uh, add to our chat which is fantastic here we go rounding off new acquisitions it's lovely to be welcomed back to the warm ample bosom and it's certainly been ample this month of new acquisitions and over to pete to beyond new acquisitions <laughs> So what else have we got going on with the Tatooine skiff? Now, I've I've set the guys a kind of a target of loosely with anything that's a bit sail bargy or skiffy, because there's not tons, there's not tons, but anything within that remit. Try to stay away from background images. So, you know, uh, the kind of the general Luke and Slave Lair kind of like with a background on a sail barge or on a skiff. So trying to try and stay away from that. Trying to, I mean, we're trying to find anything that's a model, trying to find that that's a, a whole image. You know, maybe it features on a bit of material or something. So in in that kind of remit. Now, the first bit I want to start at was um, the board game, the Sar- Battle at Sarlax Pit board game from Parker Brothers. Now, Jez, if you want to save yourself some money, right, rather than spend like four hundred pounds on this Tatooine skiff, you should go and get yourself a Battle of Silex pit from Park Brothers for about 15 quid off eBay, and you've got yourself a beautiful cardboard skiff. Not only that, with this board game, you get, and just brace yourself here, you get 10 Gamorrean guard figures, you get a Chewbacca, a Princess Leia, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, a Boba Fett, a Nikto, which everyone wants, a Chewie, and of course, a Jabba the Hutt figure. Now, that's for £14, just £14 versus £300, £400, and then add in the rest. You don't need you don't need that anymore to get one of these. Now, this board game, I've had a little look around, um, 
uh, people who've played it and it, it doesn't come highly recommended as a family fun night out i've got to say um bizarrely the the um I'm not quite sure why, but the age grouping on this was ages seven to twelve. Maybe it's because you're, you're literally the point of the game is to to use cards, uh, move the figures around, and basically flip the the baddies off the board into the Sarlat pit, um, which is a bit harsh. But maybe that's that's the the violence of the game. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was too horrific. The Sarlat pit was too horrific for kids, but it's a beautiful cardboard construction. And, it, and the, the box art is now. If you've, ever, you've got the box art in front, of you guys, I think that's that is just beautiful, beautiful artwork. You've got everything going on there. You've got a barge. You've got people on the top of the barge, or cheering on the uh, well, hope, hopefully cheering on Bubba Fett and friends trying to get Luke Skywalker in that silent pit. You've got Lando hanging off the bottom. You've got action shots. You've got a Nikto, and I think it might be a Brada being blasted. Uh, you've got a very evil-looking silent pit. I mean the. I mean, I'm actually a little bit shocked. This isn't like a bit more famous. It's you know, look at it now. I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm 15 quid. I might get this, guys. Why you? It's got it all going on, mate. You should be a second-hand car salesman or something other. You know, you 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 had me at a low, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. I still want the skiff, but yeah, sold me on this. That's two things I got to buy. You're not saving my money. You're spending it. Brilliant. <laughs> Cardboard skiff. I know. I, you know what? I never realised it had figures. I know it says on the front it has figures. I never realised it had actual figures. They're not the best things in the world. If you look at the figures in general, you'll notice that they. That, well, I'm assuming they come in a, a kind of a tree, a plastic tree where you have to kind of like flip them off. Because a lot. If you look at the, the lot, the loose versions, they've got little little bits on top of their heads. So, and you guys actually had this at all, or have it now? No. Uh, Carl Dennis was selling one not too long ago that was sealed for about 40 quid I think um, so they're, they're easy to pick up and I, I think if you're going to pick one up you've got to pick one up that's boxed and possibly never used because they're, they're quite flimsy the cardboard inside when it's assembled the way the cardboard's been painted inside of the silent pit and you know it, the skiff isn't brilliant but it's you know it, it does a job it's a beautiful visual piece I think considering what it actually is, and you know what what you can get it for. I mean, it's, I mean, you you can have that in display. Like I said, it, it doesn't come with highly recommended to actually play the game. Um, and you can actually, if you if you want to look at how the game is played, you can actually download the instructions still from the actual Hasbro website, which is a little bit odd. But there we go. I don't know how many other instruction leaflets they have on online. Sai, you must have picked this up in a car boot sale at some stage. I haven't, mate, and I'm gutted because I do want one, but I've been holding off to find one in a car boot. They've got to turn up. I've turned up almost every other star wars board game so it's a matter of time yeah and and, and another little feature of it is the uh, the cards um the cards seem to be you know have most of the characters on art again some of them are beautifully painted some of them looks like they've been photo rendered kind of pictures but yeah i mean it is i i think it, that might even make a nice display piece you've had um the box and it's opened you can actually display that with the cards and in a frame i think it'd be quite a nice little feature i'm actually i'm actually falling in love with this piece a little bit I, I think i might actually go and buy one okay right second item second item now i was looking for stuff for tatooine skiffs and thinking oh this is this is proven a little bit hard there's not tons of stuff and i was trying to find if there was any any models i couldn't find anything but the closest i got to it was <laughs> not really a model um, it popped up on Facebook as I was looking for it. It was just out of the blue, and it was from our good friend Craig Stevens, and he was talking about stickers. And there were some stickers released in Switzerland. It, I think I'm going to pronounce it really badly, but uh, maybe it's just an acronym, but it's Dufco. 
<laughs> or Duffcore. Um, apologies to all Swiss fans of Duffcore or Duffco. And it was uh, just an ordinary sticker sheet. Um, it's got uh, Luke Jedi on there holding his hand. You've got Paplu on there, which is quite interesting. Um, Yoda and the Sail Barge. And the Sail Barge is it's quite a grand size sticker. And I'm going to start with Rich because I know, I know, Rich, you've been looking at this very intensely. What else can you get in the Skiff range? Give us a few items. Well, to be honest, I thought there wasn't going to be a great deal. And I think I sent you a message saying we're going to struggle if we keep going down this route. But I'm glad we've done this because there's some cracking items available with the skiff on it. So the first thing I want to talk about is a 1985 pocket calendar. So I've sent you an image there. Yeah, so the first item I I want to talk about is the 1985 calendar. So I've sent you an image there of the skiff and you can see week where... Chewie, Han, uh, Luke, and various other Lando Skiff, etc. in the background. So, so that's the front cover of the calendar. You turned it round; it had the, the the calendar, obviously for nineteen eighty five, all together in one shot. So that's a nice item. Uh, there's also the Coca Cola glass, which has mm. um, Luke standing over the Great Pit of Carcoon with the, the Skiff in the back. That's a really nice item as well. My favourite probably is the, the bed sheet, the bedspread. You know, it'd be interesting to really look at this one day and actually look at it and think, does it have the entire movie on the bedspread? Um, so right in the middle there, you've got uh, Jabba Sail Barge and you've also got the Skiff there. I mean, we are finding there's quite a lot of sail barges, and obviously that that, that counts. But that is that must be one of the, the rare ones where there is actually a Skiff and a sail barge in. I don't think there was much out there with the two of them together. So that's, that is a definitely a rare piece, but just go back to your glass. You, so I, I think you've got to mention the fact that the colors are beautiful as most of those glasses are, but that Sarlat pit looks nasty. Dixie cups. Obviously, I mean, Dixie cups can always be relied upon to find the obscure, the unusual, the things that you don't find. So there's a nice Dixie cup with Jabba's gif on it. There are a few other items, but I think I'll, I'll leave them for the other guys to chip in. But yeah, there's, there's quite a few items with the skiff on and, uh, Especially that bedspread. You know, the amount of times I've looked at that, I thought, you know, that's really nice. That I would, if perhaps if somebody's got a damaged one, and I could, you know, perhaps frame it or, or display it on the on the wall, something. Put it in your bed, Rich. Be lovely. Mm. I'm sure the wife will love that. Um, yeah, but wasn't I think we mentioned <clears throat> just in our previous section about a coin? Was that actually a, a coin that featured on a card, or was that just one of those coins you, you can find out there that had a sale skiff on it? I think store? it was the mail away cut five coins. There's a production coin with the skiff on it that got changed to the board later on. And there's also a pre-production coin with the skiff on it as well. So there's two coins that you've got absolutely no chance of getting. But yes. Uh, Simon, you have found something. Now, we know that uh, Stuart loves to criticise your love of very expensive items. But you found something that is an absolute corker. Yeah, I, I'll confess. I didn't have to dig very deep for it <laughs> because it's on ebay and it popped up whilst i was doing my my markets research but wow what a piece it is described for anyone who wants to look at it i'm sure we'll stick a link up on the facebook posts anyway 1985 kenner star wars potf original tatooine skiff artwork it's brilliant it's thirty-two thousand dollars. what we got here is a painting an original painting one off that measures 29 inches by just over 20 inches it's about 70 centimeters 75 centimeters wide and about 
45 high, something like that. So it's, it's a really big painting, and it's an unfinished piece of artwork for what was meant to be the Tatooine Skiff box art. So they went with the the one that is now, and this was an alternative. And it is quite clearly unfinished as well. You can see because Luke Skywalker's got his lightsaber held out, and that's a sort of sandy-coloured beige. And also, off in the background, you can see Jabba's sail barge, which appears to be on fire, judging by the smoke pouring <laughs> off it. But it's not been finished either. It's also just a sandy beige sail skiff blob. So it's it's never been finished. And it comes with a certificate of authenticity from the marketing and research director at Kenner, the ex-marketing and research director at Kenner, Tom Nyheisel who has written a, a little letter accompanying it saying what it is, what it was meant for, and why it was unfinished. And it's just it's just an f- absolutely fantastic piece. I love it. It looks like it featured on a Star Wars Tops trading cards. They didn't bother to like put in the bit of skiff. They just left a little bit in on the side. If you look at the... Uh, you can't, <laughs> there's actually a little bit on the, on the corner where they've gone, yeah, we'll just leave it. We won't bother just, to fill it in. Just leave it. Yeah. So, who needs that? Nobody will notice. <laughs> as if they just slightly mispositioned it but yeah it's a beautiful piece of art i mean that is that that's a corking find to be fair 50 piece jigsaw by a company called didacta uh, droids 50 piece jigsaw and uh yeah it, it again looks like this has been reversed slightly what you do get to see on this jigsaw though is the two-part walk the plank or ramp as rich will call it which c3po is looks like he's just about to topple off of they've got it on coming out of the port side as opposed to the starboard side and i guess that's just artistic license to enable this jigsaw to work a little bit better but there's some fisticuffs going on at the back of the skiff with uh, boba fett giving it what for and it looks like he's got a diving tank on his back just and, what, uh, what is it about skiffs and fights it seems you get on a skiff and you have yeah. a punch up i have a good old ruck yeah. yeah, what's that about? I mean, do, do, do they antagonise people or something? So they're never obsessed with punching each other on the, on skiffs. Um, I had a quick look at that Didacta um, company. It seems to me that they've they've kind of stopped doing licensed products and stuff, and they're they're kind of like a German kind of exhibition centre now. I mean, it's the same logo and everything. They just kind of went, eh, we stopped doing that now. They've always been sort of educational products. So yeah, they've they've kind of branched out, <laughs> no longer kind of get involved in that. Instead. You might go to a if you're into that sort of thing. Might go to a German technology exhibition and buy Didacta. Moved oh, just... away from violent jigsaws <laughs> to uh, education. Yeah, excellent. Well, look, yeah, lovely. And now the top five most interestingly priced Tatooine skiff items on StarWarsTracker.com. <laughs> a five. A skiff means a light rowing boat for one person. In the British Army, it's slang for something completely rude. Let's ignore that and celebrate this incomplete skiff of £46 in 2016. Nerd 4. In the Star Wars universe, getting on a skiff means getting into a ruckus. Maybe sail argy-bargy was a more accurate description of these craft. It's a complete loose one for £161 in 2015. Staying at 3. I wonder if a Sarlacc ever needs a poo. Do you think he does it over there behind that sand dune like my father made me do on Margate Beach? It's the lowest mint and seal box one for £500. At 2. Tatooine skiff. Jabba sail barge. I wonder if there's a Klaatu dinghy. It's a mint in seal box for £920. And on number one, poor old Jabba could only get dial-up on Tatooine, 
and never got the email warning him of attaching feisty princesses to his necklace and then throwing friends into monstery sandpits. This sales gift coin went for £1,126 in January of this year. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. And now, it's time for Gimcrack. Gimcrack, show us your Gimcrack. We value your Gimcrack. Show it to me. I've seen a couple of them, they are hilarious. Um, Stuart sadly has not sent his in, so he failed. He has finished last this month, I'm afraid. Yeah, failure. So whatever happens, guys, no one's finishing last. Simon came from nowhere last month and knocked everyone out of the park with his with his uh, X-wing item. And I've been looking for this thing all <laughs> ever since that day. I still can't find one. Um, but really, you know, if anyone has one, please send me one for free because I'd love to have it. Now, Jez has obviously returned. Stuart has run off to. Um, not quite sure what he's doing, doing something more interesting. Now, Richard's entry last month was very strong, but it was not quite as strong as Simon's beautiful, excellent fighter. So, I'm going to start with you, Jez, because you've been away. So, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, okay. Well, it's great to be back, and I always try my hardest with Gimcrack. Now, mm. having a little look through the latest acquisitions, because you know, I wanted to find a bit of gimcrack which was licensed because it shouldn't all be just about, you know, homemade stuff or random or hook rugs or who knows what. That's good, that's and, good. And it was this I saw. Now, I sent you a link and I've just put it in our little chat on page 2242 for our listeners of the latest <laughs> acquisitions section of Star Wars Forum UK. This represents cultural differences between us and america because i have done some research on this uh, because for a while i thought it was wholly inappropriate but apparently it's all good so just indulge me with this and hopefully at the end of this little section i won't have you know upset our, our american friends or what have you i just asked some questions about this so this was put up by apac 7229 Got this today, got damaged on the corner and shipping, but the seller was a douche, uh, but they're neat nonetheless. And it's from uh, the Drawing Board Greetings Cards Company. Now, these feature in my in my Gus and Duncan's book, you know, this is a licensed product, 32 Valentine's cards. And it made me think, what sort of promiscuous kid is buying that? Just bulk purchasing <laughs> Valentine's cards. Oh, I'm going to whack them out to everyone and just try and hedge my bets. And I was just thinking, hang on a sec. So I look a little bit closer and I thought, this is all wrong. Because it says 28 classroom valentines, three teachers and principals. And I was like, whoa, hang on a second. In the UK, there's loads of all sorts of nasty stuff and people getting arrested and people being tried for really inappropriate wrong stuff, which happened in the 70s under Operation U-Tree. Uh, and it's it's all like really bad. And I'm like... Hang on, this is teachers sending kids Valentine cards. What's going off here? So so I asked a question and I asked APAC and she said, mate, what was all this about? I, I've got a suspicion. I think I know what it is. And he said, yeah, it's, it's just something they do in America. Um, it's really, really popular. Kids will send um, 
all other kids in their classroom a Valentine card. So everyone gets a Valentine card. And now it's quite popular that they'll get, say, stickers with them or some candy with them. And I explained in the UK, that, I don't know about other sort of European countries, but not everyone gets involved in Valentine's Day. And usually a, a child will pick another child, a single child, and send that one child a Valentine's card. So you can understand my confusion when I saw someone potentially sending 32 Valentine's cards. I just thought it was, um, yeah, a little bit weird, a little bit weird, but no wholly appropriate by all accounts. <laughs> and if it wasn't, Luke's film wouldn't have signed up to it. And I think we should talk about the design very quickly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot, lot of lovely red, uh, Star Wars logo in red, which is interesting. Yeah. Really big, shiny kind of uh, heart um, done in the kind of racetrack kind of reflective style, which is nice. Yeah. With, bit odd that so you can't really see what's also behind it it's obviously a clear a clear area with the the cars behind it it's a bit of a shame because you've got kind of darth vader's lower half can't go without mentioning what on earth is going on with c3po um a little bit paunchy and also his right arm as in his right arm if yes. you extended that arm down in the drawing would be back down to his knee i don't know whether someone drew a picture of someone in a, a c3po costume for reference or they just had a, an episode and drawing but yeah Sithro has definitely been eating Valentine's chocolates, I think, because uh, it's looking a bit chunky. Do you recall watching the, uh, I believe it was early 1990s, Men in Black by with Will Smith? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tony um, now, at the beginning of that movie, there was uh, an alien and he rips the skin off another man um, who's in a farm. And then I think the alien then ends up wearing that skin, but he wears the skin all wrong. It just... It, it was very funny special effects, and it was a man who sort of walked funny, walked very staccato, like he had just wooden limbs and stuff, and he had cockroaches hanging around him and, and stuff. So he was a, uh, an alien in a man's skin, and it nothing looked right to me. That is C-3PO. C-3PO is an alien in C-3PO's skin. <laughs> Good call. I'm still not comfortable. I don't care whether it's traditional or not. I... Kids giving Valentine's to teachers and principals is not a good thing in my book. Let's go through to... Who should we go to? Ooh, let's go through to Richard because he needs to redeem himself on last month's failure. You're only seeing failure because I virtually win it every month, but never mind. <laughs> this one came mm-hmm. from... Uh, I got tipped off with this one from Justin Lee from Australia. Oh. And this appeared on the Australian um, Star Wars Vintage Group. It is vintage, okay, which turned out it did appear on a vintage um, surfboarding um, group. So we've got a wave, okay, a huge wave. Think of, think of um, a wave on an ocean that somebody's going to surfboard on. But the wave is part of Jabba's tail, and it morphs into Jabba. So you've got his arm, um, and you've got Jabba's head. But you've got Slave Leia on a surfboard riding the waves, um, with the gold bikini, the chain around the neck. That's um, just an absolutely amazing item. Clearly unlicensed. This is somebody who's clearly talented in art and has done this and, you know, is, is enjoying surfboarding. Is this for sale? It, it it was on the... He was going to send us some more information about it, but... Uh, I need this, Rich. I need to buy this. He, he, he was good. He hasn't sent us information by the time we recorded this podcast, but he's going to dig some more information out about this. But yes, it's it's an amazing item. It's awful. 
but yeah, at the same time, it's brilliant. I, I, I would love to have it. I don't know how big it is, so it's not too big. It doesn't look massive. No, it doesn't. No. But I, w- I would love to own it. I know it's it's just it's just dreadful, but it's dreadfully brilliant. Rich, that's, that's a corker, mate. That is. Right, guys, that's that's a strong entry. That is a strong entry. I'm liking Jez's, but this is strong because one, it made me laugh, and two, I do want it. So, you know, unless it's like, you know, two, two grand, then no chance. Okay, Simon. Right, you can't finish last. Last month, you had the epic of epics. Let's have your gim crack. It is, for anyone that wants to have a look at the ended item, after I've no doubt ended up giving in and having to buy it, it's listed on eBay as Empire Strikes Back LP Empire Jazz promo. Beautiful vinyl, original RSO. And the cover is spectacular. It's got Darth Vader sat at a little round table with a couple of cocktail glasses looking on the stage, looking forward to the stage where you've got Empire Jazz written in neon lights, Chewbacca on piano, C-3PO on double bass, Stormtrooper on saxophone and R2 on drums. It's brilliant. I love it. I need a poster of that. Now, Simon, I'm just going to burst your bubble because I own this. And not only do I own this, right, I've also played tracks from it within the market section over the last couple of years because it is an absolute corker of an album. Is it good? It is. It's it's beautiful. Right. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm bidding Um, You must buy it. But yeah, it's, it's unofficial, but it is, it is an absolutely fantastic album. But I do want to know, uh, I want you guys to speculate here, who is Darth Vader out on a date with? He's got two glasses of something juice. Who, who's, he, who's he on a date with? He's gone to watch these guys play. Grand Moff. Yeah, he's, he's trying to seduce Grand Moff Tarkin to a bit, mm-hmm. not blow things up too quickly. He's a bit saucy as old Darth, isn't he? He is so jazz. I would definitely recommend you buy it. Okay, mate. I'm I'm on it. I'm looking for the relisted item now. Right, guys. That's that is three good strong entries. I think Stu wouldn't even have a chance anyway, even if he bothered to turn up tonight. Ah, oh, let me go through. Let me, let me just summarise. Simon, that is something I love because it's it's you know something I've got and I bought it and it is beautiful. Um, Richard, oh, that's that's annoying. That is annoying because that is something I do want and it's slave layer. So. You know, you're playing, you're playing the emotional card with me there, but I think Jez is he's come back and he's won. I'm going to give it to Jez because of the weirdness to it, and it mm. shouldn't be allowed. And uh, you know, that is something I'm I'm amazed that's not come up before, the the creepy weirdness. But but Jez, but I mean, I'm talking you, oh, the two boys. I think you, but the boys are level, and, I, and you've just literally put a, a snout hair in front of the pair of them. I really Snake do. Hair. It's yeah. that close because they are three good, solid items, very solid items. But we'll play out the section with some Empire Jazz.
Okay, welcome back to markets. We're going to take a canter through eBay to see what's been going on there before heading off to the auctions around the UK to find out what you've all missed in the last month. Because if you're anything like me, you probably have missed half of it. That's why I did it. So you'd miss me. First up on eBay. Given up on the idea of just the top five price items, because that doesn't seem to change a great deal, and they're not necessarily the most interesting anyway. In at first place this month, we've got an absolutely lovely DT Luke Skywalker on a 12 a bag card. It's incredibly fresh looking. It, it could have been pulled off the shelf yesterday. The card isn't quite perfect, but it's damn close to it. Sold for a, well dare I say, quite reasonable, $16,000. Just nice to see these things popping up because what we've been seeing is fewer and fewer really nice rare items appearing on the market. It seems that these things come out, they go away, and that's it. They've been, they've been black holed. So nice to see one of those coming to the fore. You want this, don't you? Number two is at the other end of the scale, something that is very popular, but not exactly rare, I've got to say. Although graded Cas 90, I guess it is quite rare, is a blue snaggletooth still in its baggy. This thing sold over here in the UK for over £1,500. That's, uh, I don't know, about $2,100, $2,200 just for the blue snaggy in his bag. Strikes me as completely and utterly pots. But if you're chasing grades, then I guess you're willing to pay the price. (laughs) Closely related to number two, actually, and this really has seen quite a meteoric rise over the years. Number three, we've got a stunning Creature Cantina. It has been opened, but the contents are completely unused. So all the figures are in their baggies, and it is the blue Snaggletooth variation. Now, I don't know if anyone else remembers, but on. Star Wars Forum UK, about two and a half, three years ago, a, I think he was a sports car dealer, actually, who had inherited a load of Star Wars stuff from his, I think it was his brother who'd sadly passed away. And he was seeking valuations and help and advice on how to dispose of the collection and what was the best way to go around it. Does he grade it? Doesn't he? And one of the pieces he had was a really nice creature cantina, which had all the figures in the baggies and the boxes and the contents. And it was absolutely smashing. And I'm sure at the time, and this was only about two and a half, three years ago, he was receiving valuations of around about £1,500 if he got the blue snaggletooth in particular graded does anyone else remember that yep yeah is that about right rich yeah Yeah. i would still see that the price today is not far off i would be totally inclined to agree with you because the place itself isn't particularly rare is it it's just the presence of this error figure that makes it super desirable well this one which wasn't graded it was opened unused Figures in the baggies achieved $7,750, £5,750. I'm stumped. I'm thinking I've missed something else. I couldn't see what it was. Pete, did, did you have a chance to have a look at what these have been doing over the years? Yeah, creature cantina sets are bizarre. I mean, that price you got there makes no sense. It literally makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. Still, there's nothing even in the stratosphere of that price. The closest on Star Trek was this year, and a Mintasil box, one went for only £567. Would That's... that have been the Sears one, or the, the, the regular Red Snag? 
the regular, I believe it's the regular one in the regular, regular, regular one. But I mean, it's blah, 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 blah. it's bonkers, isn't it? It's uh, good. It's not just me being a grumpy old man going ridiculous. It, it is a completely and utterly bonkers price. Second thought, let's pass on that. Huh? Number four. This does seem to be another what the hell price. Now, I, I contacted the seller about this, actually, because I was just so blown away by it. I really didn't understand what had gone on, like the Cantina set. But this one went through, and the seller was a really nice guy, really, really great guy. It's just a, and he says just, a Palatoy 65-back Boba Fett. And it's got the Tri-Logo bubble, which is nice because it puts all, all the worry warts to rest about the fact that this can't be a Toy Tony because Tony never had any Tri-Logo bubbles. What's possibly the most unusual thing about this figure, however, is that the Tri-Logo bubble has gone yellow. I think I've owned one Tri-Logo bubble that's turned yellow. One. That's it. They just don't do it. However, this one has gone yellow. It's a nice card. The bubble is relatively undamaged other than the yellow. The figure's a nice figure, but it's not a tri-logo vet. It's a standard vet in there. And it sold for two and a half thousand dollars. Seventeen, eighteen hundred pounds. It's a silly amount of money. It's as silly as the creature cantina was. So I contacted the seller because bless him, he clearly didn't know much about it. He said, so I've gone to two experts. Again, I think he was a sports car dealer and a collectibles dealer. He's gone to two, as he calls them, experts, and they've given him some really quite entertaining advice about how rare this is. Apparently, the Bandolier offer was the rarest of the Palatoy offers. Hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> and apparently, uh, the fact that this had ROJ slash two marked in the bottom right-hand corner of the card made it super rare. And I, and I contacted him just out of interest, just to try and find out a little bit more had I missed something. It's quite clear he didn't know much about it, and he referred to the two guys he had spoken to. And he was very receptive to the fact when I suggested that he really does need to seek his palatory advice from elsewhere. And I, I pointed him in the direction of Stars Forum UK. What with it being UK, this being Palatoy. And he did seem genuinely grateful for that and was a really happy chappy. Mind you, if I had sold a rather common 65-back Boba Fett for $2,500, I'd be really happy as well. So uh, anyway, good luck to him. That's a great result for him. I'm out of it for a little while. Everybody gets delusions of grandeur. Finally, number five. I guess this just gives a state of the market. It's giving an indication of a flat market for loose run of figures. It was in the UK. And it was advertised as complete vintage Star Wars figure collection, 77, 1977 to 1984 original. And it's a it's a pretty reasonable, it's by no means mint, but it's a pretty reasonable run of loose figures. None of the last 17, no solid dome R2, no fixed limbs, 3PO, obviously no vinyl cape jower or blue snaggletooth. It's, it's what you'd expect to get if you picked up a 77 back kind of card. Those are your figures you're going to get. And it sold for £1,850, which, bear in mind, you haven't really got anything remarkable in there. I didn't think it was a bad price. Again, it sort of puts the pin in a loose set without your blue snag and VCJ being about £3,500, which I'm pretty sure when we were discussing loose runs, etc., etc., about eight months ago, seven, eight months ago, we were arriving at those sort of figures again. So just quite interesting. Two Star Wars films in the meantime, no major hype. It stayed, stayed the same for a loose run of figures. 
it's probably a good starter pack if you if you've got a bit of cash you're thinking right you know and you look at what figure what price the figures are now especially quite a few of the like, first 12 and stuff and some even types of like Leah Bespin figures have gone silly because the weapons that's actually a pretty good starting price for a uh, a collection you know to start a collection off because it's not a full collection so it still leaves you a bit of fun gets out of the way quite a lot of the ones which you know oh, you know can't kind of be bothered with a, a Zuckus or a, a you know, fall on and it's like, oh. and they're all there and it's kind of you know it's a good start price that I like that don't think that's a bad point of torpe it takes all the uh, it takes all the fun out of hunting that minty lobot out though doesn't it hey <laughs> yes it's it's not a bad way to start and if those weapons are all genuine then you've you've saved yourself a lot of heartache haven't you really and it still leaves you the set last 17 as well as those other odds and ends to you know the small headed hand and all the rest of it to to hunt down so yeah probably not a bad way of going about it on to the auction roundup last month was was it was pretty good i mean following on from last month you may recall i mentioned that east bristol auctions had a sale coming up imminently where they'd got a few figures, nothing nothing spectacular, but there was a 12A Palatoy C-3PO with a rather hefty, and this was ungraded, 1,000 to 2,000 pound estimate. And I felt that even the low estimate was was frankly too high. Well, it made that estimate, and it came in at 1,100 pounds hammer. It was about an 80 grade. I can't help but feel that the market value of that was around about the 750 mark, maybe 800. And as if to prove a point, you can currently buy an AFA 85 Palatoy 12 AC 3PO on eBay for a few pounds more than a thousand. So I think this just has to be another case of people getting carried away at auction. You add on your fees onto that, you're talking near on 1400 pound for a figure worth approximately half that. I mean, I know I got carried away with my 65-back Medine, but it was a Medine, not a 12-back 3PO. They also had a another Walrus Man 20-back, which we'd seen a few of in the previous month. Really badly squashed bubble. It was probably one of the worst ones that we saw at C&T auctions in terms of grades. Again, it's made £620 or around £770. It's got to be a good 200 250 pound above market value after your fees. Again, just getting carried away at auction. It's they're exciting places to be, and more people should actually go because they they're great to see and they're great to be there. But I think there's a little bit of auction fever going on. What you brought me today is worth one quarter portion. The really big surprise in the last month came two weeks ago, just under two weeks ago, sorry, from a very nice auction house that normally deals in really quite high-end antiques and collectibles in Market Harborough, Leicestershire, called Gildings. And what they had was absolutely brilliant. What attracted me first was a packing case, a Palatoy packing case, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi mix with a serial number of 96 figures and it was it was battered but this case was beautiful in its own right because it had a story to tell because there were annotations all over it numbers crossed out in marker pen lando skiff and a figure crossed out b-wing pilot f it was it was brilliant this box had lived a thousand lives and had clearly come from a, a shop and that was very clear when you looked at the other lots in the auction. There were masses of mint on card figures. I think in the end I counted 121 Jedi figures in there. And what was 
interesting rather than a vector sale where you've got that great variety is there really wasn't that variety here there were about seven different figures really in terms of return of the jedi 45c and 65 back cars these are these are all palatoy there were maybe maybe half a dozen kenners in there and most of those were r2d2s i think there were five r2d2 solid domes so it would appear that most of these did come out of the packing case and long story short is it was an estate sale the packing case belonged to a shop in Leicester. We've already heard from Lawrence about that in new acquisitions. So he's given a bit of the background on that. And a, most of these figures came out there and most of them were case fresh. There were some damaged ones and there was some really interesting damage, actually. So there's been a dispute about Toy Tonys and the long shaped bubbles on Darth Vader's and Chewbacca's. Well, this auction had quite a few Darth Vaders. I think it was about eight or nine Darth Vaders, of which about six had the long-shaped bubbles. There were five or six Chewbacca's, 65 backs again. Again, they had all had the long-shaped bubbles. Uh, two of them had clearly fallen off quite some time ago because they were repaired on two or three sides with sellotape, and it was old tape as well. So failing seals, palatoy, long-shaped bubbles, it all screams of Toy Tony, but they're all out of this packing case that came out of a toy shop. So that, that muddies the water a little bit more. But it was a really good sale. There were some silly prices being achieved. I contributed to some of those silly prices, and I myself succumbed to auction fever because I got rather excited. I saw a Han Solo Palatoy 45C, and I thought, I haven't seen the Han Bespin on that car before. I'm going to have to have one of those. And I paid I paid over the odds for that, and the Medine, and the Darth Vader. And yes, here endeth the lesson on don't get carried away at auction. But it was a really Really great auction. Lots of really interesting things. There were a couple of reasonable items to be had in terms of prices, but on the whole, stuff was going for above market. I think, once again, people got excited about the fact this was X-Shot stock. It had been hidden away for donkey's years. It was the first time on the market, and a lot of it was in really good condition. There were some shocking results. Bless. Whoever ended up with the Chewbacca that had been sellotaped on three sides and paid over £100 for that, condition reports condition reports condition reports get them done chaps send you the link to the sale ask you to see if there's anything in there that you would have picked out or that you think was a pretty good buy rich what did you find i didn't think there was anything in that lot at all that was a that was a decent price i wouldn't have bought anything in the lot come on let's keep a little optimism However, I did spot a Palatoy boxed Darth Vader's tie and Falcon together, and mm-hmm. that hammered at 120 which I thought was a good price. Um, they weren't in the best condition, but I thought for 120 for two box vehicles, which by all accounts were complete, I thought that, that, that was reasonable, but other than that, nothing. There were a few vehicles that were lotted together. Did you see it was a Palatoy boxed B-Wing, unused, 110 quid, great buy that was. Well worth mentioning vehicles. Jez. Yeah, I, I was looking at the Luke Farm Boy. I really, really, really <laughs> want to get a Luke Farm Boy myself. And you know, I was quite tempted. But then I think, was that before Echo Live that? Was it before Echo no, Live? No, it was, it was only, after? it wasn't last week. It was the week before. Okay, I, forget that. Yeah. I had no money then, but I, uh, <laughs> but I, I was, I was definitely after the uh, the Luke Farm Boy. I did like that. However, what I think was, I think this was a reasonable one. I'll take your better judgment on this. You had lot thirteen oh four, which was a Han tri logo Endor and the Return of the Jedi Hoth together. They sold for two hundred pounds. Now I thought the tri logo was in particularly good condition. The bubble was from the limited photograph you get. 
I thought the bubble was very, very good. And the Han Hoth itself, you know, they were selling individually for 120 or so. And so I just thought the two of them together, I think they were in fact 140. So I thought as a pair, yeah, that was good. Bearing in mind, Han Solo, he's the main man at the moment. He is, and that's a good find. Yeah, yeah, that was that certainly represented a good find. I was speaking to Chris, TK4475, I think his username is, from the forum who had picked up a few bits and pieces. And I am sorry to say I completely missed it. Some of the Han Hoths had the Stormtrooper packed. Some of them were short-shot Stormtrooper blasters packed in them. But that's that's quite usual. Stormtrooper blaster in Han Hoth 65 is, is not exactly uncommon however what i did miss was one of the tri logo atst drivers had a smuggler blaster in it i thought that was a pretty cool weapon error oh yeah completely missed that pete did you have a chance to have a look oh yeah i thought it was some interesting combinations of carbacks which i thought some of the price was a little bit weird they seem to be sticking in one half decent (laughs) figure then then three not particularly brilliant figures um and going for some slightly crazy prices but I think it was a bunch of loose figures, wasn't there? For about went for just just under eight hundred quid, which I thought was a bit bit odd. Again, I always think people who take those gambles are going to be your, your resellers and stuff rather than your collectors. But um, the, the prices weren't ridiculous either. But I guess when you when you add the fees up, it takes everything over a little bit too much. I thought things like I think there was like a Rebel Commando that went for like seventy quid, which takes it probably just under hundred pounds after all, all the fees. And I think that just that's just a little bit too much, even though the condition was decent. I think the one that uh, Jez pointed out, and I think the B-Wing was, was a bargain, but everything else was, yeah, yeah, there or thereabouts, wasn't it? But it was just great to see so many, and I would love to have known exactly what did come out of that case. And that was actually their second sale from the same source. Speaking to the auctioneer, they're not expecting any more from them, but it was quite clearly a, a, a wonderful old toy shop, and Lawrence has turned up some great photos of it. Uh, from back in the day when they were doing the Empire display. And it was the kind of toy shop that you would just walk past and drool as a kid because they'd real effort had gone into the window display. But that's the second case of figures that they've now sold off, and they're, they're not, not expecting any more, unfortunately. So really good sale and uh, really good photographs provided by, by Gildings. It was, it was certainly one of the better ones. And they had actually mentioned some of the defects as well. So that makes a nice change for a non-specialist toy sales room what is thy bidding my master right in terms of what we've got coming up in the next month sales room once again is bereft of star wars but that's not to worry about because it would appear that most listings get entered seven days before the sale itself so we can't see the full month ahead of us it's only the next week coming up and what we've got actually it went through today damn should have looked this up. I've got researching everyone else's stuff and not looking at my own. Old Hanson's auctioneers up in Derby, you may recall, they, they brought us the 50 Kenner Jedi stormtroopers last time that all achieved stupid money and the plethora of R5s and Imperial gunners. Well, this time they've dug a bit more and they've got a few more stormtroopers coming through and a Palatoy flipping R5-D4, which I would have had a little dig at because you don't see those very often on Palatoy Jedi cards, do you, Rich? No, you don't. I forgot no, about it, it as well. It looked like quite a nice one, so I'm going to be. No, it wasn't intrigued. a nice one. It was bashed in. Oh well, yeah, it had it had a bit of bubble crush at the top, but the card was was yeah. really nice. And yeah. being yeah, seeing as I collect tri logos, I'm used to bashed in bubbles, so it doesn't bother me that much. Would you have bought that for the price it went? I don't know what price it went, Rich. It went for one twenty. Uh, yeah, I would have done. Mm-hmm. How much? How much would the fees have been? 
that auction house ran about 24%, including oh, your yeah. VAT. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have probably bid up to 140, 150 on that. Mm-hmm. Too much, but you just don't see Palatoy 65 back R5D4. Would you have paid that? I mean, if you weren't completely brassic. Exactly. Yeah. You've just right. hit the nail on so, the head. Yeah. Okay, so well advertised in advance via the prop store is their film poster sale at BFI IMAX in London. That doesn't take place until the 28th of June, so I'm bound to mention that again next month. Great range of Star Wars posters. I mean, they're from all around the world. You've got from the utterly bonkers Russian ones to the unproduced Tom Bovey's original concept quad that had been a print run of 295 was done recently. And then there's also the interesting pre-production, and by that I think they mean pre-release, fan poster that was made and sold at the 1976 San Diego Comic Con, which now go for thousands of dollars. There's a really great selection of posters there. Lots to choose from. Have you had a little look and have you chosen your favourite? Jez? Mate, I had a look for all of them. Yeah, there's loads I'd like. Do I have a favourite? I've written down three. Flipping act. Three? I did. Go on then. Well... This will surprise you. You'll never guess this, but it's a mad, 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 mad world. I liked because I just my mum loved that movie. She laughed her head off with that movie, which made me happy and laugh a lot when I was a kid. And I just thought that'd be good. I'll give that to my mum. Like that. But the other one started seeing some Bond ones. And I thought, oh, yeah, classic. You've got Goldfinger. But what I wanted was the view to a kill one, which was just classic legs. Mm -hmm. And then James Bond there. They didn't have that. They had some ropey old random second rate other view to a kill one. But (laughs) the Empire Strikes Back classic image of Vader with his hand sort of raised, you know, come on, let's go together with everyone. Because that reminds me of constantly seeing that empty video cassette when I was a kid desperate to rent it at the local sort of video rental store i just yeah. saw that image every day uh, for for a couple of weeks before i was able to successfully rent it so i love that image that imposter x back one and that's on the quad is it the the british quad yeah these do seem to go for fairly standard money if you if you know what i mean they're, they're on ebay quite often i'd been looking at them and tempted quite regularly but you're not looking at much more than 200 pounds from those jess i think that would look rather smashing in in your room framed up yeah Yeah. very nice pete yeah i probably wouldn't go for star wars one uh, because there's so many much better posts on that i think if i had to if i had to choose one if Uh i had to go for just one poster it would be the girl on a motorcycle poster and I don't, I don't know if you know the post, what it looks like. It's basically the lower kind of body and crotch uh, of the of Marion Faithful in the um, leather kind of thing with a hand on her hips with a with logo in the middle. It's just such a classic poster. I would I'd love that poster. Absolutely amazing. The film is phenomenal, but that is just an amazing poster. Hey, like, I've never see, heard of that film. Uh, what? But I can see why you love that poster. I'm not so sold on the sound of music style one below it, but that 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 one is brilliant. No, no, no that's dreadful. You would not go that. That is not the classic. The classic <laughs> is that one because it is a very, very, very famous film and a very, very famous pose. I can't even have seen that before. No. It was just a film. Um, no, I'm an uncultured. How how can you have missed Alain Delon films over the year? They were on like. ITV every night for about 65 years. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too busy watching reruns of Star Wars, which was fun. <gasps> <you> saying? <laughs> Lots of saucy posters, isn't there? 
Oh, that's some good ones. Oh, yeah. Go through through the whole lot of your section. (laughs) There's some real saucy posters. Just many years ago, before everyone went PC crazy, film posters were a little bit saucy Mm. because people just went, if I don't like it, I won't look at it. But now, and it's got to be safe. Uh, yeah, you've got you, you. You're not allowed to offend people because that's yeah. just wrong. Yeah. Anyway, don't get me started. What they don't have is twenty thousand leagues under the sea, which is what I would choose if oh. they had it there, and they don't have it, and I'm very bitter about that. But let's move on. Rich, out of all the posters there, which one took your fancy? I think for me, it was coming to your galaxy this summer. The US foil teaser poster. I thought that was. I, I really mm-hmm. like that. It's a really nice poster. Incredibly effective. Even though it didn't have any characters on it, I thought it was fantastic. I quite agree. That one really caught my eye, just because it was unusual to have foil on a poster. Certainly back then. I mean, it's not exactly common now, is it? But really eye-catching. Very simple, but absolutely outstanding. For me, it was between that one and just the pre-Oscars Star Wars quad. It's perfect in every respect. Is absolutely perfect. So I think had I've got to say, had there been a Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea Disney re-release, I I would have had to have gone for that one over all of them. But for me, it has to be the that one. That's just beautiful. Right, and finally, market trends. What's clear is the Atat's brief flirt with insane prices and magnificent popularity seems to have come to a crushing end. It's been circled by snow speeders and it's taken its final crash to the floor. As you may recall, loose ones, incomplete, were going for 70-odd pounds and a complete loose attack, you were talking 150, 160 pounds and even higher than that. Other than the odd blip, some absolute nutjob paying £278 for a discoloured and incomplete at-at and a damaged ATST. Other than that, prices are back to normal. So really nice boxed at-ats are now 150 170 maybe £180. And those are in palatoid boxes as well. So at last, order has been restored to the Galaxy and the at-at has, has settled back down to where it should do. I think it was just a case of someone's posted up a nice one a dozen people suddenly go out looking for them and that takes the prices up it's it's back to normality which is great so if you've been holding off waiting to buy your at now's your chance traveling through hyperspace in like dust and crops boy finally this month let's hear from steve taylor at toy planet in wantage he's just bought in a rather interesting lot of stock i went up there a couple of days ago to see him and have a browse through most of his new acquisitions so let's go to him now Hi, this is Steve from Toy Planet. We're based in Montage. We specialise in rare and unusual Star Wars stuff. We've just had a £60,000 Star Wars collection, which has been buried for 20 years. Uh, Mocks, loose figures, box vehicles. Not your run-of-the-mill stuff. A lot of it's the rare and unusual stuff. We've got a second lot coming in. So they're all for sale as of Sunday the 3rd from 10 o'clock. Come down and see us or actually contact us on thetoyplanet.co.uk. You can contact me, Steve, personally on 07534-068-748. But everybody's welcome. We're open 10 to 4 on a Sunday, 9 to 5, uh, Tuesday to Saturday. So that's it for the market section this month. Thanks for listening and I will see you next month. Right, now I want to welcome back Andy Gordon for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Andy? 
I'm ready, mate. As ready as I can be. What is your favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. What is your favourite Star Wars scene? Uh, it's got to be the asteroid field in Empire Strikes Back. Just absolutely perfect. Perfect timing, perfect pace, perfect score. Just spot on. Uh, what is your favourite on-screen character? Han Solo. Kind of uh, quite uh, relevant at the moment. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's stick with that then. Um, what was your rating out of 10 for Solo? Uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, after, um, as you, most of you know, I'm not a massive Last Jedi fan. It kind of didn't really hit it for me. Um, so kind of nervous going into Solo. But, um, yeah, I would say it's a good solid 7 out of 10. You know, real good fun, just a good adventure movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed Old Aaron Reich. I thought he was a great Solo. Um, yeah, just great. Went and saw it a couple of times, and I'll go and see it again quite happily. And who's your favourite new character? Uh, on screen character, obviously, so might have been in books. I don't know. From Solo, do you know what I really like? Rio Durant. Um, it just just cracked me up. The little four armed uh, John Favreau voiced character. I thought yeah. he was quite cool. Yeah, brilliant, money. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Oh, it's got to be Harrison Ford. Although I hear he's pretty dull, but uh, I <laughs> I do hear he's uh, okay when you get a few points in him. So yeah, meet him in a pub somewhere. Sounds like you, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favourite? That leading lady now, Padme, Leia, Jin, Ray. Oh, it's a hard one now. It's um, oof. I, I like. I think Felicity Jones's Jin Erso was great. So I think at the moment, yeah, I think Jin is just pipping it. Yeah, I think she is for me as well. Uh, what is your favourite lightsaber duel? Uh, Phantom Menace, the Darth Maul, Qui Gon, and Obi Wan fight. What was your favourite figure as a child? Uh, Luke Hoff. And what's your favourite figure now? Well, shockingly, it's the Hoff Rebel Soldier. I bet no one would have guessed that. <laughs> and which figure do you think they should have made in the vintage line? Oh, Tarkin. Man, my Palatoy Death Star was so missing a Tarkin, it's unbelievable. What's your favourite toy vehicle or playset? Oh, uh, the, the Palatoy Death Star, the, the cardboard Death Star. It's just absolute genius. Just driven out of necessity from a cheap manufacturing point of view. Um, and as a you know, engineer and production designer myself just it's just it's absolute genius just to making something so playable so fun as something that's so simple and so easy to make just not only a genius toy but a genius piece of design totally agree great great toy uh which vehicle playset you were said made uh the sarlacc pit absolutely would have loved that and i used to build sarlacc pits on the beach when i was a kid with my parents and chuck all my action figures in it so i would have loved a sarlacc pit placer what is your favorite card back image so the actual photo art uh it's probably the 12 back han the han shooting up i love that image it's just great what on-screen prop would you most like to own well funnily enough shockingly it would be a complete hoth rebel soldier outfit um obviously as we've spoken about um i'm lucky enough to own a fair few pieces from the costume but i'd love an absolutely totally complete one preferably luke's <laughs> that's just being greedy <laughs> <laughs> i'll settle for anyone <laughs> <laughs> what was the last vintage item you bought uh, actually, it was from Jesse Sobman. I actually bought the uh, red six-packs Empire box, which I was missing. as oh, the nice. Rebel Soldier on the front, you know, on the box, so what I had to have. Yeah. And finally, what is your Holy Grail item? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you two, because one from the prop and one from uh, the toys. So from props, again, it would be the complete Hoth Rebel outfit. Uh, if we were talking toys, it would have to be a rocket fet and i had several opportunities over the years to pick one up and 
because they were around, I was kind of like, oh, I'll get one in the end, I'll get one in the end, and I never did, and they've kind of escalated to silly prices now, so I don't think it's something that I'll ever justify spending the money on to myself, so it'll probably remain out of reach, but just wish I'd have picked one up when I had the chance, so rocket fat. Andy, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for your great answers there, actually. You're similar to what I would have gone with, sir. <laughs> I'm old school, mate. We're fairly predictable. It's a, like Empire and Han Solo for everything. <laughs> That's very true. Well, Andy, (laughs) thank you ever so much, mate. Right, so on to our closing question for the month, lads. At the current time, Pete is romping away with this. Only four months in of 12, so plenty of time as yet, but he does lead the way with 17 points. Not quite sure how, but Jez is still second on 10. Uh, Rich moved off the bottom last month and is on nine. And Sai, who didn't answer the question last month, finished off an impressive show on a downer and is bottom on an eight. However, Sai, speak. speak, please, Jezebel. Yeah, well, thank you ever so much, Stu, for covering for me on my behalf over the last three months and stuff and I'm, I'm still chuffed to bits to have my two but I didn't get any opportunity to defend some of my suggestions as we go back over the last couple of months because I know a lot of these skip rats they do really really sort of dig in and defend and counter and argue their point and stuff well done. Mm. and my uh, my tantive carry ship I thought was brilliant brilliant and the fact that you get those rebel soldiers with it I know it's too late now now but i just thought you know guys you were just jealous and i think you all bullied Stu that night and and belittled him a little bit and uh and you stuck the knife in in my absence so uh don't worry Stu. i'll look after you mate i know who's coming last the night the new one <laughs> probably sorry that'll be me then <laughs> yeah Sai, your answer last month did inspire this month's question. Well, it's lucky that, because all I'm going to do is rehash it, mate. So, yeah. Well, I I once (laughs) said you can't do that. And although I've said you can't have the same answer, to be fair, you'll probably give me a playset this month. So, So what I've asked each of you to do is to invent a board game based on the OT era for people at home who don't know what OT is. It's original trilogy. I know that Sai struggles with some of the terms. (laughs) Um, and the game needs to be of its time so don't go giving me a dvd board game he's been missing so i'm gonna let him go first jez let's start with you this month quite simply like you mouse (laughs) droid trap (laughs) so you remember mouse trap everyone wanted mouse trap i didn't get to get it unfortunately but mouse trap if you remember it was very very of its time i think first came out in the 60s in fact i can play you all a quick video now because i've gone to the extra effort which i hope is recognized not only by the podcasters but also by the listeners of this great show The wildest, funniest game you've ever seen. Mousetrap! Catch the mouse, that's half the fun. But there's even more to playing mousetrap games. Here's where the fun begins. Move two spaces. One, two. Start building the mousetrap. Race your mouse around the board, building a mousetrap as you go. Then comes the funniest part of mousetrap games. 
Why don't you get... Mousetrap! Mousetrap! The nuttiest, funniest game you've ever seen. It's a wonderful game. It's ideal. The only game that took longer to set up than it did to play. And never worked. And never worked anyway, no. Droid Mousetrap. But can you imagine the fun? Because you can have it set up very much, you know, in a Death Star combination of maybe a little bit of Kenner, a little bit of Palatoy, and, and there you go. You set it up. You, you can imagine the mouse droid has got a little short circuit or something or other, and he's going buzzing around, and you've got to catch him. And I think everyone would love that. And it's it's just timeless, brilliant, brilliant. We were so happy back in the day, weren't we? With just a ball of string and a conker. But I think, yeah, yeah, mouse droid trap. So basically, you've just taken my idea from a couple of months ago where I talked about the mouse droid racing around the Palatoy Death Star. Not at all. Oh, yeah. Richard's getting offended because he's only just got string and conkers up north. <laughs> just, just string, actually, not the conkers. I, I, think, I think that's a fairly strong start, um, but I've got a feeling that Pete, he's so neat, has smashed this straight off the street. Petey Weedy! Right, you know you've got. I've been putting a little bit of thought into this, a bit like Jez. I've kind of adapted a game we all know and love. It's going to be called Chewbacca-roo. Now, we all remember Buckaroo, but we're going to have a little Chewbacca thing in the middle of our board game. So there we are, little Chewbacca. He's got a kind of mechanism. All you've got to do is pull it up, and he's got on his back a bag, and you have to effectively attach bits of droids to his back or put them in the bag, whichever one we can we can work that out later. So as you go on the board game, you've each got, you can be up two to four players, doesn't really matter. You need at least two people, otherwise you'd be a, a lonely person, that'd be quite sad. So you're each given four little Ugnaught toys, and you have to roll a dice, and you progress on the board. Each board place, so every other place, is a go. So you can attach a piece. So as you, you roll your dice, you put like a four. So if you get one to three, you have put a light piece on there, and four to six, a heavy piece on there. And of course, as it drags it down, the first person to make Chewbacca roar, i.e. The, the thing pops back up again, um, obviously loses. So it's the first person to lose all their Ugnaughts. So you each get four little Ugnaught toys. It's very simple, very effective. Uh, it's great fun because you've got a lovely big Chewbacca in the middle of your board, and you've got lots of droid parts, so there'd be lots of nice pieces. Dead easy, no no electronics, just simple old, good old-fashioned chewbacca Wow, Well, this is interesting. Which one to go to next? Um, let's go Rich. Okay. Um, for my own personal amusement. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tougher one than I thought this one. Uh, I thought it was going to be easier first. So I went with Ghost Castle, which I think the Americans call Witch Witch. And I would revamp it using a New Hope theme. So Ghost Castle, for those who can't remember, was a board game and it had walls and a door and it would have a tower in the middle or some kind of chimney stack and you dropped a skull in the top and it would fall out in a different zone. So what I would think is, I looked at the token. If you remember the spinner, it had um, it had feet and skull and various things on it. So we already had one of those in the Escape from the Death Star board game. So that exact same spinner could be used in this. So therefore, no cost increase. But I would have different zones, obviously not the castle. So I would have a detention centre zone from the desk door, a hangar bay, perhaps an area where they were closing the blast doors. 
and maybe you paint the stormtroopers on the wall just like what you get on the Paltoy desktop. Now, in Ghost Castle, you have things like shaking floors and creaky stairs and the night, which swung down with the big axe, which was absolutely amazing. Loved that as a kid. So I thought, right, okay, obviously you can't drop a skull down, so what could you drop down? So I thought mini TIE fighters or something along those lines. So you dropped a mini TIE fighter down the skull, and if it landed in your area, it would be the same as you being shot down by a TIE fighter. Or if it landed on the creaky stairs, perhaps that was a blast that shook the desk door and you fell back down at the bottom of the stairs. End of idea as well, that one. And the goal of the game, obviously, is to get to the top of the chute. Instead of Ghost Castle, where you just close the coffin lid, you drop your torpedo down and you shut the chute and you blow the desk door up. So that would be that would be my game. Sorry. Mm, First of all, Sai, last yeah. month you invented a game where you've got to get a mate around just to move the scenery with a wrench. Yeah. He's got a fun day. But I'm going to be honest with you, Sai, that game would have taken max points this month. Oh. Just want to put that out there. So let's see what you can come up with. Okay. Well, could you just cut what I said last month? and put it in this month you know me uh, I like an honest game yeah yeah I know you I know you alright well I uh, a couple of, I don't know which one to go with at the end I think I'm going to go with I don't know it's a bit tough right I'm, I'm going to go for the simple one because I, I know you love you love simple stew you, you understand it so let's let's go with this one it is once again it's a, it's a rehash as everyone has done they've rehashed a childhood favourite and I remember as a kid at the car boot sale finding Jaws. Do you remember that game? It's from the same sort of family as Buckaroo. You had a big shark, blue shark, and a, a bill hook, and the shark's mouth was full of bits and pieces, and you had to you had to get it out without snapping its jaw shut. Well, this one is going to be based around the Sarlacc pit, and you've each got, basically, it's like a little fishing rod, but it's got a little sail skiff at the end of it, and a little windy reel, and you've got a bit like the Sarlacc pit game. You've got a cardboard pit there, except you've got plastic jaws that are wedged open to begin with at the bottom. And in there, you've got all your favourite characters and a few naughty ones like Boba Fett and Klaatu and Barada and all the rest of it. And they're all jumbled in there. And you've got to get your guys out with your little skiff and your little fishing reel and you got to wind the reel and drop the hook down into the sarlacc's mouth and hook your buddy and get him out without making the sarlacc chomp his jaw shut it's simple but it'd be it'd be a bit of a laugh and it's it's you know it's got snappy jaws and everything what's not to love oh dear <laughs> I was really rooting for you then. What was your other one? Uh, the other one was going to be based on Lost Valley, uh, Land of the Dinosaurs. Oh, where, do you know what? And, we and yeah, you have spent many hours in a car recently together. Yeah. We talked about board games, and you yeah. know what my favourite vintage board games were. I know. Escape from Atlantis and Lost Valley of the Dinosaurs. Exactly. The dinosaurs. But and that one, you could have had little ATSTs instead of your little explorers, right? Or, sorry, instead of your dinosaurs, they would have been ATSTs. Your explorers would have been on speeder bikes. They'd be little rebels. And they'd be trying to get to the temple, which is actually the blast shield generator, and they have to go through. And then you have to move the ATSTs to try and catch them. And there could be all sorts of things like swinging logs and rolling logs and naughty, rabid. Ewoks and all the rest of it trying to stop you getting to the shield generator but you know I went for the simple one you would have liked that wouldn't you yeah I think you should have gone with the second one (laughs) (laughs) oh dear right Uh, I had that one on my list as well not quite the same way you've done it but I I love Lost Valley of the Dinosaurs see Ghost Castle was another one of my children's Mm favourite my children's favourite my favourite no ghosts apart from Anakin Ghost but yeah I enjoyed Mousetrap do you know what? 
because it's been rehashed already a few times in recent years with different things. Pete, I'm only going to give you one point this month. You've been smashing what? it, but there is it's quite a few versions of Buckaroo now. So um, Chew Buckaroo. Yes, Buckaroo. It's, it's good, but uh, am I getting <laughs> off the shelf out of those? I'm thinking of if I went into a shop, what order would I be buying these in? And uh, yeah, you're um, not lived up to your usual big man self there. Chew Buckaroo would make billions of pounds. Who do I like the most? Let's <laughs> <laughs> see, the problem is, he's going to think I'm doing it to spite him. No. Sigh, I'm giving you two no. points. What a shocker. <laughs> Your lost value of the dinosaurs <laughs> would have definitely yeah, yeah. been higher up. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course it would, yeah. I'm going to give three points to Jez. <laughs> I'm going to give five points to Rich because he has rehashed one of my favourite board games as a child. Oh, I just, and, he, and he makes me wet. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so, this will surprise you all. Sai is bottom on 10 points. No. Jez is third on 13. Rich is give... second on 14. And Pete is in the lead on 18. You get five points for the win. 3-2-1, Jez. So you picked up three points. Rich picked up five. Oh, wow. So, uh, and Pete Richard still picked up one. One point, yeah. Wow. I might go back to my favourite places that should have been made and we'll do Empire next month because I know Cy loves it when I give him a certain topic. You um, are an absolute... I've got I one. might give you a better one next month. No. A better topic what? next time thing rather than the trench run because... Why yeah. don't you just do the asteroid field, Stu? I mean, that's a nice big one, isn't it? Oh, that's quite a good one. Good idea. <laughs> Make a note. Notebook out. Asteroid... <laughs> thing you could use some um, pete's hand puppet i've got one myself mate. i've got one yeah yeah you could use it with your hemorrhoids pete's his um mouth stuck together these days that's uh oh rocks. <laughs> <laughs> it's full of chopped liver <laughs> um rich do we have much feedback for 47 yeah we had a lot of feedback kicking off was like i was completely unexpected tk7785 which might be chris might not be chris there's loads of tks now I'm going to say these six words, and I'm just going to pause just while it sinks in. The market watch was particularly interesting. So it come again? The market watch was particularly interesting. I've now, always I... liked TK447856. Just <laughs> wait for his next six words. <laughs> Shame about the host. Yeah. No, so TK7785, a market watch was particularly interesting, especially the auction houses and some of their nefarious sales tactics. When I first started buying from auction houses, I was far more trusting than I am now. I got caught once with a well-known outfit known for their vintage toy sales. Their description, now get this, original vintage Star Wars figures and accessories. So they questioned it when they received the repro accessories and they says, hold on a second, we said original vintage Star Wars figures and accessories. We didn't see the accessories were original vintage. So misleading at best, I think that's crossed the line that I think, you know, if I would be down there headbutting them into oblivion to get me money back on that one. Um, So north. (laughs) But that's how you say good morning, isn't it, Rich? Yep. So... Moving on, um, both Taffius and Scarif Pacific both said that they enjoyed the debate between Andy, Jared and Steve, and that would flow like a natural conversation. We've had that lots of times where it just sounds like, you know, sitting around a table having a drink with mates down a pub. Um, Palatoy Junk, he loved the pieces on Brian Angel's Ray 31 back. It's our five acquisition that we discussed last month, and the very rare... 
blue saber Luke try. So you added some information in there. So he agrees with Sai. So we've got two positives with Sai. More feedback. I don't like this. Three options. I need to sit down. I need to sit yeah. There. So I think the blue try makes Medine look common, and he's put that in exclamation marks. I know a top collector who once sent me one. He had a pick of three card try Medines in top eighty five condition, and he would not have been able to send me three Luke blue sabers in on try logo. In fact, he, he most likely doesn't even have one. I believe one can count on one hand how many of these actually exist that we know of, which certainly isn't the case with Maydeans. Maydean is that like the Kenna card at Vital Cape Shower. Costs a fortune, but there's a fair amount in existence. I've personally only seen one, and that was owned by four member Scotty Boy. Uh, he's not sure what he sold it for, but he believed it was a four-figure sum. So thanks for that, Paltai Junkie. Great information. Spoons, another enjoyable listen. Thanks for having me back. He thought the Snow Speed is a fantastic toy. Hasn't changed much in price at all over the years. We agreed with what, what Sai said about that. The first one was from a vintage shop in Manchester in 92. It cost £15 back then, and it's about £30 today with inflation. Reed liked the quiz, but he pulled me up on a mistake. Um, Sai, he still got it wrong anyway, Sai, but um, <laughs> he said that one of my questions actually had the answer incorrect. He was correct. I, I checked that one out. I missed the, I think I missed the 45 backs out and I went to 47. I think Sai, you went with a 49 and a half back or something. So you didn't get it. It didn't make any difference to the quiz, but, but so you got it was wrong twice. Like you got it wrong twice. You should get dock points and someone else. Yeah, that, that's a fair <laughs> shout, actually. <laughs> got Kato. Uh, when I was a kid, every Thursday, I would check the local free payback to see what was on the cinema. Often it would take weeks for the latest films to play. Sometimes it would miss us out completely, and that was definitely true, yeah. We would never travel 10 miles or so to Newcastle to see something at the cinema. I think I lived three miles from Newcastle, and we would never travel that far either. If they missed us out, you just had to wait till it was on TV. Sometimes for films, would do a second circuit, and you might see it then if you got lucky. Crazy times. You also said you used to love the Burton's Biscuits. Um, I actually felt a bit sick when they got a mention because you gorged on them so much in the 80s and he liked the Jabba ones the best. Now, I'm assuming that wasn't the taste because I, I thought they were all the same. It might just be the actual um, depiction of Jabba on there. Uh, Jason weighed in on the AFA mislabeling. Now, this is an interesting point and it's not something that I even remotely considered when Jason put this on there. So he said in the early days of grading, before Ford's Palatoy.org matrix got going, EFA actually came up with their own letter de- designation, and some of which differ from the ones that we now use on the Fords and therefore the Jason's Palatoy Matrix. And it looks like they're starting to align now, but obviously some of the very early grade Palatoys will have different labels on them. But the, the cards are sufficiently different that nobody should be confused anyway. And that was a fair point. Perhaps the same thing did happen before Kellerman. Maybe AFA did have to start off with their own grading system, and maybe some of the ones I've pulled up on are not new labels. Uh, so I didn't even consider that. So thanks for that, Jason. Over on Tantiv, another fantastic write-up from Clint. Cheers for everything you do, Clint, and cheers for everybody on Tantiv for the running storm to our raffles that you put on there. And I've noticed that Nico has uh, one of the green medals, his profile pick. So, so cheers for the guys. Juan Salvatore, hey guys, great episode. Regarding the SD's rockets, there were more products than just the R2 and Proton torpedo. And he sent us a link to the SWCA blog where Ron wrote an article um, talking about SDs and their different rockets. And I had a look at that, and I love the TIE Fighter. The Imperial TIE Fighter is absolutely amazing. Unfortunately, there's only a handful of known to exist, so it's a shame that I'm never going to own one of those. But what what an amazing box. I love the purples on it. It's a really, really nice uh, image. And it's got some of the photographs of the, um, the rockets in action. And the R2 must be about two foot off the ground with a load of uh, with a load of steam out the bottom of it or whatever whatever it is. It's a fan- fantastic article, so we'll put that link back up there for people to go and check out the SWCA blog. Michael Shanks, you guys are always putting down the cloud car. 
I've never heard Jez called the cloud core before, but never mind. <laughs> um, as a kid, I only had two vehicles, which were the 3.75-inch scale. That was the Land Speeder and the cloud core. Of course, I never had a cloud core driver, so I always had to put my best man guard in it, but I got a lot of play out of it. Just sharing a little love for the cloud core. Keep up the great work of the podcast, despite the cloud car hate. I don't hate the cloud car. Or me. No, I think we haven't covered no, that properly like yet. It. And um, I I'm not a fan a of it. I'm not a fan of it, but yeah. yeah, but yeah. You're, not, you're not a fan of life, Rich. That, that <laughs> might be true. Yeah. Twin pod cloud car. I can Twin remember defending cloud. that last month, in fact, saying I kind of liked it, kind of groovy. Pretty sure he didn't, but never mind. Justin Lee's asking for, um, and quite a few people had commented on this, he wants a hard into Han Solo, Han Solo t-shirt pick, so perhaps <laughs> Pete can knock one of those up. That would be that would be interesting. And so, and thanks for all of the comments and the likes on Vivo. We're starting to we're starting to get lots more uh, comments and likes on Vivo. Lots and lots of comments and likes on Instagram. So, Stu, if anybody wants to leave us any feedback, what's the best way you can get in contact with us? You can uh, contact us on, you can find us on Facebook by searching The Vintage Rebellion on email at swtvrpodcast at gmail.com search The Vintage Rebellion on Instagram on Twitter at swtvrpodcast and on Vero not quite sure just searching Vintage Rebellion is it Rich? Yep just search Vintage Rebellion on Vero that's my favourite because it reminds me of Vera Duckworth don't say ducks don't say ducks no Vera Duckworth um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Joe, I just I just want to introduce that back into the world, Rich. I had so many people I had people mention it at Echo. Um, I said we're not allowed to mention it anymore. They were like, "Oh, it's brilliant." Some people said they put their cars over, and they listen to it back, and they still find it funny. Um, one person said, "Can I release the full hour of that conversation?" I mean, you really should give it top billing, really, shouldn't you? In a yeah. release, yeah, that's very good. That's very good. No, I, I um, think size just proven why you shouldn't come back. I'll have to. I'll have to go for the vaults. Um, I don't know how mallard that would be to find it, but I'm sure I can. I <laughs> oh, don't um, have a downer on it. <laughs> A feather yeah. in your cap, Rich. More airtime. If you want to go back and listen to that episode twenty-eight, the outro, go and listen to Rich <laughs> exploding. Um, <laughs> if I get five likes for this, I will release oh. the hour. Where, where to... do I like it? <laughs> no, well, it's it's free, isn't it? It don't cost anything. There's no bill. We should release the full length. I'm not even on it for forty minutes because I actually left you, you and come back. You can hear your steam. <laughs> building up though and your breathing gets heavier yeah so if you do want to listen to the old shows go and find them all on itunes or at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com we still have some editions of the second fanzine still available if you still haven't picked one up and pete do you agree we're gonna we're gonna make a third fanzine for the summer farthest from so it'd be nice to have a few fresh people writing articles Couple of Absolutely. Some different names in there. So if you fancy writing an article, drop one of us a line, or Pete particularly ever say I'd like to write an article. I think that would be. I think it's worth stating, uh, our American friends, you can still order these fanzines. So you can still have issue two sent to you for a small fee. So please get in touch. It's extended also to our Canadian friends, our Australian friends, and our friends around the globe. Well, the Canadians did well with the purchases. They did actually make a few purchases. I wonder wonder if Taffius would write a love letter to Jez. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, Taffius' feedback for um, for this month is going to be amazing. It's going to be, oh, yeah, Jazzy, you're back on the show. I don't know where he's from. (laughs) 
<laughs> Not from wherever the hell that was. <laughs> that, I that bet was, you would have bought Mouse Drug Trap as well. That was East Jamaica. Who would have had your face on the box? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> yes, Taff, yes, he's back. He's back. We're all thankful because, obviously, like you say, the show needed saving. Um, brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Uh, thank yous to this month's guests, Andy Goulden, Todd Hudson, Paul Chu, Andrew Preston, Lawrence Dyer and Ron Salvatore. And finally, one big more push for the running Stormtrooper boys. Just finish it off in style. Just give him that extra 10p. Uh, that's all he's looking for. <laughs> but it is for May. Goodbye from Ricardo. See you guys. Goodbye from Jezebel. Great to be back. See you next month. Goodbye from Simone. Bye-bye. And it is a goodbye from Petey Weedy. Why would a Wookiee, an eight-foot-tall Wookiee, want to live on Endor with a bunch of two-foot-tall Ewoks? This does not make sense. And it is good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? I understand. I get it. But I reckon someone possibly, not that I've ever seen any of these types of movies, but what I gather is some of the best female porn stars in the world, <laughs> first time, probably didn't like it themselves. You know, they were encouraged to have another go, and then bam, your, they love is it. Is this your review of The Last Jedi? <laughs> just I'm, I'm just, the same just way. trying to say to you that, you know, give it another go, mate. Give Don't it another go. Don't be such a wide-legged yeah. hooker. Get in Try there and try it again try it with a different person how about I'm just I try being with... tired i'm gonna try it with a different movie yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. oh dear. but anyway uncomfortable surroundings no so i, I went with gorse castle which cue the cue cue the sound effects Mate, I'll do it again. Yeah. Oh, man. That was good. Is it good to be back? Yeah, I enjoyed that tonight. That wasn't exactly <laughs> enthusiastic, was it? <laughs> well, no, yeah. it's not. I could have peered at the skirt. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Let's I'm try that getting... again. Is it good to be back, no, no, Jess? No, 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 no. Hang on. I'm getting that didn't sound that enthusiastic from Richard. Yeah, the Marvin exactly. of the podcast. Oh, here I am with a brain the size of oh. and they want to put my head in a bucket of water. <laughs> he is.
Is, was Marvin it Hitchhiker's Guide to the, the Galaxy? He is the Marvin of the podcast. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I just scored myself a three-pack. Marvin's The Martian's the greatest cartoon character I was. Yeah, just, I just, just had an all-expensive trip paid to Buckingham Palace. The same month, you know, I, I end up getting all these amazing carded figures. I saw the Queen. My life sucks. 